Welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I do appreciate you for tuning on in today on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon here, middle of winter. Almost feel like we've turned the corner here, like we can see spring coming down the bend, and that means we're just a little bit closer to their Seahawks, potentially. Okay, it's a long offseason. We got a ways to boil, but I'm hoping this offseason goes fast and furious because we got a lot of things to be excited about this Seahawks team and in pondering a little bit of the future and what this offseason might entail a little bit, I thought it would be a fun exercise to take a look at what would be my ideal offseason here for the Seahawks. And so uh, it's going to take me a bit of time, of course, to get all the way up and down, all the way through on this to try to explain myself fully because I try to do this with as much of a bit of realism in it as you can. I think that there's always a pull when you do this to end up in a little bit of the Maddenville of things where you know, you're just able to make any kind of move you want and it all looks you know, super sweet and sexy on on uh, paper, but when you go to practicality and in actuality, how it plays out uh, is just never, never as close to that. Um, so I wanted to try to put together what I think is a feasible offseason. It's an offseason with hope. It's a championship hopeful offseason that these young guys develop around. Certainly you could be a team that could be dangerous next year, but it's also an offseason that's not pressing the ball forward with a go-forward approach next year. I'm not necessarily saying we've got to get out there next year and make X, Y, and Z move in order for us to be hoisting Lombardi's next season. I'm fully well aware of the fact that we're going to be moving to two different schemes on both sides of the ball. There are going to be probably a good amount of complicated items within that that are going to need to have their ironing out throughout the course of the year. So we've got to be patient with that process and understand that it's not going to happen overnight. And so if this team isn't ready to go next year to be that contending team, I don't want to have had put all my chips into one basket in order to drive to that when that's maybe not as realistic overall. It's hopeful, but maybe not realistic to be looking at it in that pathway. I um, I don't want to look in, in that approach. So flexibility. We're going to give myself some cap space going into this year so that if the Seattle Seahawks do have an ability to push forward within my plan here, they will uh, be able to go make a move and get themselves an over-the-top type uh, player at a particular position if that's what they want to do, though that's, of course, not what I'm advocating for. The first place that we've got to start when looking at the Seattle Seahawks moving into this offseason is you have to have a keen understanding of where their cap situation is currently at. And as I bring up sports track here over the, the top of the screen, you can see here up at the top, you have the commanders who are sitting on $80 million of cap space. I scroll on down to way down to the 24th realm there. And that is where we're going to find us with our negative, negative one and a half million dollars of cap space. So the Seattle Seahawks are sitting in a bit of a predicament going into this offseason. We have a couple of free agents, no doubt we would like to re-sign. We don't have any cap space. We cannot sit on just the players we have right now and go, okay, we're good. This is what we'll do. Something's going to have to be done in order to move this cap space. Um, and so I, I think what is going to likely be required is that John Schneider is going to have to make a, a collective good amount of cuts in order to get themselves in the right cap space just to do normal function functional business here. I'm not doing these cap casualties to go hog wild on the open market. I just showed you here on this uh, sports track that when you have teams that are up in the 80 million, 70 million, uh, 69 million, uh, $66 million range, you creating 30, $35 million of cap space, you still have half the dollar of what they do to spend out there on the open market. So you're, you're not really going to be able to compete with anybody on the big bucks deal for the prime free agents necessarily. So you're going to have to be a little bit more scalpel-like in your approach 
even with these casualties, but these casualties are nonetheless required. The first thing up that we're going to go with here, uh, you have all these potentials here on the list. Uh, the one guy I'm not going to go with, two guys I'm not going to go with on this list are going to be Geno Smith and Disley. These are just all of the options you have. I went from this list and I said, Jamal Adams, you're going to be a post-June 1st designation. Quandre Diggs, I'm going to have to cut you out too because those are the two biggest money-saving deals that you can create here. Brian Monet, Nick Ballore, and injured Eskridge are all going to be cut. I will keep Disley. I will keep Geno. They are potential other guys they could do this with if they wanted to. I don't necessarily think they will. But this right here and just cutting those guys collectively will now create for you $37.63 million. Okay? So $37.63 million by these initial cuts that the Hawks are making as far as creating now cap space here, collectively speaking. You also get to add in on top of this, the there's $7 million on the books right now for the cap space for the remaining year. I'm sure there's a couple million dollars of business they still have to do from that $7 million. So let's call it $5 million is going to be rolled over because you get to roll over your previous year's unused cap into next season. So this would put us at a collective $42.63 million to spend before we get to our own internal house free agents. Okay, created the space. I can still go beyond that, but that's about the spot where I would expect them to be right around within. Uh, in order, this is just to get normal business done. Again, not to go out there and spend other moves. This is just to get kind of normal business done that you need to get done. I only have two in-house free agents that I'm going to be signing. That's going to be Bobby Wagner on a one-year deal for $8 million, and then Leonard Williams, three-year deal for $43 million. So, uh, the, And that's going to be with a first-year cap hit on Leonard Williams of $9 million. So those are your only two, two in-house free agents. You end up signing Leonard Williams for the big money that you're going to have to do to get him and retain him in. Bobby stays too, so you don't have to address necessarily have to address getting both two middle linebackers in one offseason, which is going to be probably pretty tough given how tight the cap is overall. Now, this means that we're going to have, with you look if you look at this with the one-year $8 million deal, I'd even do Bobby maybe with a two-year if you can kind of spread the money out, but this does put you at $17 million now off of that money I just talked about being the $42.63 million. So uh, we've already got that sliced up. Let's go over here and uh, look at the free agents that I'm looking to sign now. Actually, let me see if I got this right here. Hold on. Uh, sorry, I thought I had this all set. And I didn't. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. All right. Here's the NFL free agents that I'm looking for the Hawks to sign. We would have four guys we'd target, really all three low-end contracts, no big-end deals really on this one. Uh, Jadavian Clowney would be the big guy to solidify the edge. This, And I'll show you guys the depth chart of how this all looks at the end of things, but this essentially gives you four really strong edges that you can rotate through. Uh, this also gives you some insurance if Derek Hall is not able to develop on his next year here at this point. You, uh, I believe, will be having soon Boye coming up for a new deal. Uh, just gives you a little insurance. You don't have to pay Jadavian a lot. If you look at recent history, he has been a gun for hire, but he's not been in a super expensive gun for hire. So a two-year, $16 million deal. First-year cap hit at $6 million to Jadavian on that one. Then I come back and I give Graham Glasgow, who is a useful interior offensive lineman for the Lions, has uh, familiarity in a mo movement-based scheme. He can get out and pull, pull back cross formation. He's got a little bit of that to his game. You give him the one-year $4 million deal as an insurance, not to be a starter, but as insurance along that interior of offensive line because you're losing both 
Damian Lewis, Phil Haynes, they're going out the door. So you've got to find something there that you can kind of replace that with. Ronald Darby's got familiarity with the Baltimore Ravens scheme, playing really well in his role in Mike McDonald's defense last year. I still expect him to be right around probably the vet minimum at his age. Drew Sample gives you some insurance at the tight end position for losing Parkinson. I would love to bring Parkinson back on a one-year, like $3 million deal. Sports Track has him out there right now at about $6.5 million, which would be too expensive for my taste on that. I don't think that we want to look to go and spend that much for Colby Parkinson. So we only end up here, if you look at it, with really $14 million more of money, right? So we have the $17 million from Bobby Wagner and Williams, and then we've got the $14 million from these in-house free agents. That takes us, though, up quickly. Man, the money goes fast. It's like when you go into the uh, supermarket and you're buying something, you got halfway through your stack and you're like, man, I've already already tapped myself out just a bit. Because this takes you to now $31 million spent on next year's cap, which may not seem so bad, except for the fact the situation will look a little bit like this. So you end up with $11.63 million remaining after you make my signings, after we sign our in-house guys. Right now, SportsTrack says the Ox are going to have to allocate somewhere around about $9 million to their draft picks. This would then leave them with a $2.63 million in reserve, which would not be enough reserve to quite get the business done normally throughout the year. So then I would be converting Tyler Lockett's base to bonus. You can still then next year cut Tyler or have him retire and still save collective money of about $8, 9000000 million next year, something like that, if you were to uh, have him retire next season. So this doesn't put you in peril next year being able to move off of Tyler. I know many people are looking at maybe cutting Tyler. I don't think that's going to happen. But you save $8.1 million um, this year because you split his base to bonus, so it converts into two. Uh, so that's $8 million back on the books, which you add to the reserve of 2.63. So we get $11.73 million of total reserve money then. Now here for us, the Hawks, as we go into the year, this is that backup money that I'm talking about where if you are a contender, you're halfway into the year and you want to make a trade deadline deal, now you have the money there to potentially go do it. You can still go do some other things too because I haven't done any acrobatics with the cap as far as different guys and restructuring any real deals here. I've simply moved Lockett's conversion to base to bonus. So I've, I don't think I've really you know charged a bunch on the card in the future, not put anything perilous in the cap in the future. We've got 11.73 million now to work with at this point, uh, moving through into the year after those signings that I did make. So let's get on to the draft. We got the cap. We got the the free agency done. We got our internal uh, free agents in house assigned with with Williams and Wagner. I've got Clowney. I've got a, some usefulness on the inside with a role player kind of interior guard who can maybe do some starting if you need him to in a pinch. Let's take a look at what I did with the draft. And with the draft, I've been telling you guys for months that what I'm seeking to do is to try to trade back twice in the first round. I'm at 16. Can I get a Can I get a 16 to a uh, you know 23 like I did here with Texans, and then back to maybe a 30 and pick up a couple of picks inside that top three round period. That's what I sought out to do here in my particular mock draft that I did here. That's what I was able to pull off. I don't know if John will be able to do it, but this is my ideal dream offseason. I'm not going to daydream completely in the realm of, you know, pessimism here. So let's have a little bit of hopefulness in our outlook on uh, maybe the way this could go. So throughout the way my draft went is because I cut away my two safeties off the rip, being Quandre and Jamal. I went back and took the best safety in the draft, Tyler Newbin. He can play both free safety, strong safety. He can play the slot. He is big. He um, he can cover men one-on-one. He comes in to play your Hamilton role uh, for who the Ravens uh, on their side of it, um, who's really done so well for him in that role now here with Seattle. He fits right in there to do that. 
Uh, Tavondre Sweat was then my defensive tackle, nose tackle taken in round two. You don't have a lot of really good nose tackles in this draft. He's one that separates himself from the rest of the bunch of even the few guys that are in this draft. Provides you a rare component of pass rush ability from the nose tackle position. I like a lot of what Tavondre Sweat brings to the table, especially if you're getting him kind of at the end, near the end of the second round. Junior Colson was my next pick in the second round. Middle linebacker out of Michigan. He comes in in his first year to play right there next to Bobby. You eventually probably slot him in as your middle linebacker into the future. But uh, I like this kid a lot. I think uh, he's got a lot of potential in him. Maybe not star potential, but up, upper level potential as a player in this league. Maybe just scratching the surface of kind of Pro Bowl potential. I like that a lot. Cooper Bebe, I go into the offensive line over the next three picks. I go Bebe to the guard. I go Van Pran to center in the third round. In the fourth round, I get Zach Sinder, who falls because he had the leg broken. Otherwise, he would have been a second round player in this draft. So you're being able to take advantage of a little bit of the leg issue that he has going on. He would be my right guard there. I have a little bit of insurance already with uh, Bradford, maybe even Glasgow there, if it takes him a little bit of time to come back and get to 100% at the start of the year. But now I have the interior of my offensive line set for the future. Cooper Bebe, who I, I believe still is the best left guard in this draft of all the guys they're looking at moving from left tackle to left guard at the pro level. Uh, Van Pran seems to be getting a little bit of shade, but I think he's still a very strong center prospect. He comes in here and dukes it out with Oluwatimi, let the best man win. Now you also have really good depth there at center. So if you happen to have an injury, you have a very strong guy you feel like you can go to behind him. Uh, and Zinter is, uh, can do it all. So I, I don't see a lot of weaknesses to his game. He is um, a little bit like Colson. Uh, on the as a right guard, where it's just there isn't he's real powerful, real strong, plays with a na- bit of nastiness, but he can kind of do it all from the the guard position as well. It's not just going to have to be a a road grader, but can move a little bit out in space as well. I got a little bit lucky in the sixth round with Jalen Ford dropping. I don't expect that to happen come draft day for a guy that moves this fast, can cover this well as a linebacker in a league that's looking for more guys that can cover as linebackers, but this is a guy now you maybe long-term can slot in and he could become your Patrick Queen. If uh, Junior Colson, you're looking to make your kind of Roquan Smith, Jalen Ford becomes what you hope is the Patrick Queen on that in the long term. You also give yourself some depth on that middle linebacker position with Bobby coming back at his age. The final guy I went with was Jared Wiley out of uh, TCU, a tight end of the seventh round. He doesn't block a lick, but when he moves off the ball, when he goes through his routes, he's got some Jason Jason Kelsey-like movement to him in the way his body moves out there on the open field. You know, just certain players kind of look like a, a silhouette, a shadow of others. He definitely does. Now, I don't think he is um, as good as uh, uh, Kelsey. That's why he's dropping the seventh round. But still an interesting prospect to give you as a third tight end. Remember, I had already signed a free agent tight end. So this just gives us our third guy on the roster to kind of fill things out with the prospect. The way this will look now as far as the depth chart goes, uh, we'll get this over here, is uh, now we can see here we got our quarterback, Geno Smith. We're going to have to make some kind of, uh, that would have been a great one to be able to address in the draft. It just didn't come up for me, and I don't know if it's going to come up for the Hawks to be able to quite find the guy first having the value of other positions and other players, if it breaks that way for them like it broke for me. But uh, you still have to go sign a backup quarterback. I think it just becomes kind of like whoever at this point with whoever they go, look, low, low cost uh, kind of backup is who you'd be looking to go. Uh, Walker, Charbonnet, McIntosh, undrafted rookie free agent would be your fourth r- uh, running back stack there. You have DK, Tyler Jackson, Smith, Derek, and Jake Bobo as still your starting five there. Tight end, Will Disley, Drew Sample, and Jared Riley. Wiley, I like twisting that name a little bit. Left tackle, we still got Charles Cross, Stone, Foresight, um, who can play, of course, both sides. So I think if we get to the right tackle, it's going to be vet minimum slash undrafted rookie free agent type of guy to the other side um, in the way that they'll run that, in my belief of things. 
Uh, Glasgow is your backup to Cooper Bebe inside, and then Oluwatimi Van Pran can fight out for the center position. Zach Zinter and Anthony Bradford can likewise battle it out for the right guard position. As far as the uh, defensive side of the ball goes, my nose tackles Jared Reed with Tavondre Sweat and Cam Young vacuum him up. Three tech would be Leonard Williams, Draymond Jones, Mike Morris. Your left edge would be Boye Mafe, Derek Hall. Right edge, Uchenna Nwosu, Jadavian Clowney. You'd basically be flipping through Boye Mafe, Uchenna Nwosu, and Jadavian Clowney as your um, your three stack in the rotation where they're all getting kind of pretty, pretty close, I would say, to about the same number of reps. Hall becomes your hopeful upside, but I just, with the year he had this year, I'm not sure I can count on that upside delivering until we're sure we can see it actually on the football field. Middle linebacker Bobby, uh, backed up by John Radigan. Junior Colson, backed up by Jalen Ford. Cornerback uh, one would be Devin Witherspoon, and he's backed up by Trey Brown, or however you want to put this on this, is the one, two, three, four. Woolen and Ronald Darby, and then Kobe Bryant goes back to cornerback in my foreseeable scheme. Foreseeable future with this. Bryant also has a little bit of versatility, of course, to bounce back up to safety if you need him to, uh, which is why I rolled with just a Jonathan Sutherland there as a strong safety right now. I don't think it, it would matter as much. And there's only so much you can address in one offseason with this stuff with the limited cap space. Um, ignore the numbers at the bottom there. Um, that was for before I ran through some extra numbers there at the end on this one. So Tyler Newbin, Julian Love will be your starting safeties. Pretty uh, ubiquitous when it comes to who's the free, who's the strong in this in this scheme because Mike McDonald's going to be flexing them all around. So it's not going to be maybe as... Um, go for broke kind of off season in what I'm looking to do with this with this draft and, and all that. But, you know, just a reminder on this, with just those small moves I made, your cap situation got eaten up really quickly. Now, if you choose not to sign a Leonard Williams, you got a little bit more money to go spend in that case. Sure. But as I also showed you on the on the salary cap sports track list, you have teams with 80, 60, 50 million dollars to spend. You just don't have money for money, the same kind of a manner and ability to go out there and match them dollar for dollar on this. And so that um, that ends up holding you back a little bit in this offseason of being able to drive it as hard. I think the luckily the upshot of this is that you have a lot of in-house development that should continue to move forward. Derek, the Derek Halls should continue to come forward. The Charbonnets come forward. The JSNs come forward. All this young collective talent that you've been bringing up and and sort of watering and growing through the last few years should really start to come into bloom here as we get into a lot of these guys going into year three and year two. Um, as has always been said, the biggest jump a player is going to make is usually from year one to year two. So I would expect a lot of this to come kind of from in-house in what it does. I think that what's nice in this scenario is you put a pretty strong team together, but you still aren't really doing much to sacrifice the future if this is going to need to be a year of where we go. Well, look, it took it took Mike like it took him with Baltimore in that first 10 weeks to kind of get everything instilled where they kind of went, oh, okay, we all get it. We get it now. All right, this all makes sense. That's what we're trying to get done here. Okay, coach, we're with it. And then bam, for the next year and seven games, they were... Um, on the details plus playoffs we're, we're on their on their p's and q's on their details not making too many mistakes so it may require that on again both sides of the ball with you going to more maybe spread concepts kind of stuff first coming off a little bit of what we traditionally run which is um, a lot less complicated schemes on both sides of the ball but let me know what you think is this a crazy plan would you like to go with it is it uh is there some other moves i should have made that i was missing or perhaps a, a player i should have gone on target would have been much better value i'd love to hear from you guys on this let me know here in the chat or let me know down in the comment section below on the video. I would really appreciate if you guys could uh, slam on that like button. Went through a lot of this um, recently in the last about four days, here three or four days of really trying to um, 
look into this offseason, the money where we're at, what we're looking at in the future, not just this season, but also having to look at where we're at in 2025. Because uh, if you go for a hell for broke standpoint on 225, you know, next year's cap isn't necessarily looking great either. So you, you've really got to kind of, I think, try to give yourself as much as, look, let's, let's move this ahead as we can, grab the positions we need to to start getting your scheme working the right, getting you players that work into your scheme, while also at the same time understanding we're kind of turning this over. And uh, maybe that's going to require a little bit more time and effort and patience on our part to get this thing in the right direction of things. I appreciate you guys watching here on this fine Wednesday. I hope everyone's having uh, a great Valentine's Day. We might not have a super long show today, as I imagine many of you guys are going to be out on, on dates and doing your things tonight. So <laughs> we'll roll it up like that. Um, we had some internal chat there. I'll pick up from where we started live here. If I missed your question at the top, just repost it back in. Um... Jake, how you doing? Kevin O'Connell around the cut. Ethan, hello, hello. Jamarcus White, what's up? How's everybody doing? Metal Dragons is uh, very difficult to get a second round pick in this draft and stay in the first round. Uh, I very well may potentially be. It very well may potentially be. And um, it's always a little bit hard year by year to kind of figure this out when it does seem like there is some fluctuation year to year by how much movement you see in given drafts. And um, it could play out this way that you're only able to move once out of the first to get yourself the second round. But I think if you're dropping back and in, in checking on like the Jimmy Johnson value chart, if you're dropping back about 10 picks or somewhere in that neighborhood, um, you're going to usually get somewhere close to that. I would say even if it's a matter of to move up from, uh, you know, from one back to 24 and then go to like 32 or just in the top of the second round, uh, if I've got to kick in a back end pick like a fifth rounder to, to push that one over the, the finish line, I'm willing to do it. Uh, Chris, NX Northwest, does sweat needs better conditioning as he gasses out? Um, he definitely will be rotated out quite a few in his games. And I, to your point, Chris, I think he could stand to, probably dump 20 pounds off the back end. Um, but what's nice, for instance, with my scenarios, you're, you've got Jaron Reed, you've got him, and you've got Cam Young. So you should have a nice rotation of one text that doesn't require them to necessarily have to play 30, 40, 50 snaps a game. But uh, I, I totally get you there. Yeah, you definitely could lose a little bit. Just a little bit. Metal Dragon, I'm still taking verse if he lasts to 16. He's he's good. Columbo says can't make mocked can't make a mock based on completely impossible trades. I I can show you uh, I can show you a historic historical marker of these kind of trades being made, but I, I I'll let you go ahead and do the work on that one. You can take my word for it or not. And again, I, I, rather than getting too caught up on a Columbo with the exact details of what I'm trying to do, just kind of go with the spirit of what I'm trying to do with on this. So if I can't get the second and it's got to be, we got to make this to happen or that to happen, there's some other selected moves, then those things can happen. If it, Don't get too caught up on just, that, 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 that. there's a way to make that move happen. There's a way to move back twice and get yourself five picks in the, in the top three rounds. Are these exact picks on it? Maybe, maybe not. Is there a collective way to do it? Maybe, maybe not. 
But if we can, let's try to just stay to the spirit of it rather than getting onto those exact spots. I think we're kind of losing the, the, the thread on that one a little bit if that's the spot you're, we're, we're hanging on here. Ugh, Jesus, Columbo. Yard Knight, thank you for the $10 donation. I appreciate you for that. Says Brando, if Michael McDonald wants to keep Jamal Adams, I will support his efforts. Keep 33 and get a Mahomes like quarterback this offseason is all we need to do to be competitive. 33 plus Mahomes equals I'm drunk. <laughs> well, thank you for the $10 donation. And uh, yeah, it would uh, it would be nice. Uh, you probably could keep a you could afford to keep a Jamal, I guess, if you've got a Mahomes on your roster. That's true. It's very true. But uh, yeah, the, I, I think a little bit of your reference is the funny enough the uh, the sulk story that he was trying to push out to people uh, a couple days ago of Chiefs let go of Tyreek Hill and. Now they went to back-to-back and won two Super Bowls. So maybe we should get rid of DK and put those investments in other places. Ugh, dude. Oh, Lordy. But Garth's referencing that in the point a little bit. Yeah, it's all you need is a Garth. All you need is a, a Mahomes on your, uh, on your roster. Also put that off as kind of the, the final point. Uh, but thank you, Garth. I appreciate the $10 donation. Uh, card crazed. Wilkes got fired. He must have been the scapegoat. Uh, it does feel like a scapegoat to me. I don't think his defense played miserably in that game against Kansas City. And, yeah, it's, uh, it does feel scapegoatish. Jeffrey O'Kelly, why'd you not do any restructures or extensions? That's a good question. I did uh, one restructure. Um, so the one, the one restructure that I did do was Tyler Lockett's conversion of base to bonus. Um, but here's the reason why. Let me show you. This is the salary cap that is set for 2025. New England Patriots have 257 million. Washington Commanders have 250 million. This is cap space they're sitting right now with two years out. And if we scroll all the way down here to the bottom, we get to the 28th most available cap space for 2025 with the Seattle Seahawks sitting at $42 million of cap space. So when doing the research on this particular one, uh, Jeffrey, I was really coming up against a thing of uh, as much as I'd like to maybe try to move money around this year in order to free up more money to do stuff this year, uh, we already kind of have ourselves into a bit of a predicament into next year's cap as it is. And so I start to get a little bit like maybe we've got to be in more of a hold tight mode with, uh, with where it is in the future on that. Uh, Thomas says, do you agree with Salk about trading DK and copying resources to both sides of the lines, tight ends, quarterbacks? Plus, I feel, do you agree with that? Plus, I feel John Schneider is not into, uh, uh, is not into on Geno as us fans think. Um, well, certainly, uh, definitely, if you can elaborate for me on this one a little bit, Thomas, because I, I, I've had people reference to me that they were reading John's body language in the 
press conference when talking about Geno Smith and that they took from his body language that he's out on Geno Smith. So if, if there's something else there I'm missing as far as the reasoning to come to that John Schneider's out on Geno or that he's not as in on Geno as us fans think, um, correct me on that. But I, I believe that that's where most people are driving it from is that the way that John spoke about it was not Geno's amazing, Geno's great, he's our quarterback. But he said, I think his season started out uh, it started out stronger at the end than it did at the start, which was unlike the prior year. Um, so I guess I translate a little bit differently the way the other people saw it, because what he said is he ended, what John's bottom line on that with Gina was that he can't, he felt he had a, he had this about the same year as the prior year, the prior year where he'd won comeback player of the year, the prior year where John had rewarded him with a contract for his play the prior season. So if John rewarded him for a contract and says he played like he did the prior year this year, then I don't know, for me, I don't know how that would take him or have him out, Thomas, on him at that point, right? Like that, that to me would be like, well, then he's likely to be rolling here on the roster um, into this foreseeable next year future. So yeah, I, I, I maybe just, maybe I'm, I'm seeing it a little bit different than the reality on this one because I have heard a few people post to me from Thomas from the perspective of, that they read that John, in what they're seeing and kind of feeling off him, that John just didn't want, that, that he was out on Gino from that. But I just haven't gotten that same feeling. Uh, in regards to the Salk article, in regards to trading DK Metcalf, it is phenomenally stupid on so many levels. I, uh, it's, it's another one of those ones, man, where it's just like, sometimes it's like subject after subject when we turn over it for being as bright as we have as a future and so some as for so many cool things as we have to talk about and and think about as far as consideration of all the possibilities uh sometimes i feel like we just end up spinning and turning over sometimes the stupidest stuff and uh sulk is heading into the end of the off season and he knows no one wants to hear any mariners content right now so he is uh um, he wants to drum up his clicks for 710. So he writes this article that he knows is going to do what it does, which is set the flatland fire, uh, fan base on fire without having it have any basis in reality. DK, I just already, you know, as I spend on the first part of the show, the Seattle Seahawks are sitting on very little cap space. And um, they're already going to have to clear so much dead money just to do normal work. We're going to clear, we're going to then eat another 23, 24 million dollars when that's like 23 million dollars of dead money on DK, DK's deal. And then we're going to find a team that's going to give us the associated value with trading him doing that. Part of the reason that you got the return back for Russell Wilson was the 26 million dollars of dead money that you were going to have to sustain. You're already going to have a hard enough time getting the, the value you want for DK. You're just going to end up eating that money for nothing. And then what are you going to get to a, a first round pick and a second round pick? Late ones at that, probably. You know, the, the issue I have with this whole thing with the trade DK thing to go invest in your offensive lines and your defensive lines is that you don't have investment in your offensive lines and defensive lines, not because of DK Metcalf. That's not the reason that you don't have the proper investments in those. The reason you don't have the proper investments in those is because you haven't put the proper investments in those. Dedicate the resources to it. You know, don't ignore dedicating the resources to it and then try to skip a quick trail through the path by offloading what is a really good resource on your roster, a really helpful resource on your roster, so you could eat a bunch of dead money 
it's just it, it's so it's such a wild that's why i say it's wildly dumb tom is be dumb just for the dead money alone it'd be dumb for the fact you can't get the value back it's dumb that you have a team that has parts and pieces that aren't working right or that you have holes at or things that are failing at and you're going to take away one of the things that's actually working great for you and working really well that's where i i just i go i can't go there with it Albert Nickus, I think it'll take the Seahawks at least one or two years to be really competitive. I believe this sets up the future nicely. Thank you, Albert Nickus. Albert Nickus, I, I kind of feel the same way with it in that we're going to have to be maybe a bit absent. The young guys really blooming next year. We're going to have to get uh, patient with it. Card Craze, the Hawks Nest. Can you do a comparison of what you did today, what Brenda did today? Uh, I'd like to see how similar and different your thought processes are. Well, we're going to be doing a B&B show tomorrow, Card Crazed. So I'm sure that we can probably touch on it a little bit. Um, I didn't have a chance prepping for the show, getting stuff done here today. I didn't have a chance to check out Brendan's uh, Brendan's deal. But um, we'll probably go back and forth maybe a little bit with it tomorrow uh, when we do the B&B show. I'll try to ask him about it. All right, so Colombo, I, I, if we can from you, Colombo, today, man, I know you got some harsh takes. If you're going to be hanging in here, I, 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 it just seems like a lot of time coming in with just anger and you're pissed off about something. So if we can just cool and keep it a little bit on the level here. So I'm not digging the vibe coming off you right now, my man. Hans, Van and Brandon, I know it's a mock draft, but by drafting Newbin, you're spending again a late first or early second on a safety. I would try to go cheap at safety like real cheap. Well, um, understand that process, and if uh, others want to go a different path, I would totally get it. Uh, you're going to have to do something at safety, I think, this offseason, and we can certainly potentially have waited later. I think that Newbin is a really good talent. I'm going to lean to value on my draft board. So more than positional value, I lean to just value, value. And when I was looking at my value board and where the I had as far as, you know, at the late start of the second round at that point, he was the best guy, especially when I was considering that I think he is the best safety in this draft. Uh, the other thing I think you could say here, Hans, is that in Baltimore's defense last year, the most important per, the most important player to that number one defense, to that triple crown defense, was safe, the safety Hamilton. And not just being a safety that played one position, that played all over the place. The requirements for the safety position in a Baltimore defense are going to be very different than the requirements of a safety, let's say, in the Seahawks defense from 2015. You've got to be multiple in your skill set. You've got to be able to play free safety, strong safety. Can you play in man coverage when we want to run to our blitz looks? Can you blitz? Can you tackle? Can you hit? Um, and this is something that, that really summates, I think, Hamilton as a hitter and as part of what makes him so good is that jack-of-all-trades ability that he brings. And I would argue that within this particular defense, uh, it's one of the most important things to have. Um, the thing with, with going with... Um, safety position as far as monetarily wise that was about money for me hans i i have no issue with putting a first round pick necessarily into safety if he's worthy of it from a talent standpoint i have an issue with burying endless amounts of resources into the safety position year after year after year um and this would be a little bit different for me because you're not necessarily paying huge prices for this and you're gonna have to do something at safety at that point I appreciate where you come from. I know it won't be a route everybody would want to go.
Ender, what do I think the probabilities we drop Michael Penix having hired Huff and Grubb? I think it does raise a little bit of a percentages points up with Grubb coming in here than it would with him not. Say nothing of Huff, but I still think that it's very low because you have so long, long to go with your offensive line to get in the right place to maximize Penix, and I think Grubb will understand that. Scott Hansen says, I believe the, the, I believe the Hawks will get to the playoffs with a new coach. I could see it. I could definitely see it. Be able to take advantage of some things that have been left on the table for a while here. Lord Boo and myself and others don't celebrate uh, Valentine's here in Hawaii. Instead, we celebrate the defeat and consumption of the notorious CPT Cook on this great day 200 years ago. Yum. Go Hawks. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> to each his own. To each his own. Um, Azaban, what do you think about Mike Jackson? Should they keep him? He seems like a strong physical player. Maybe use him as a safety, or do you think no potential? Um, I think somebody might give him just a tiny bit of money in, in, out there. I don't think he'll get a huge contract, but might make enough money to where it just prices it out of what Hawks would like to do with him. If you're bringing him back, Azaban, I'd like to bring him back. It's kind of a vet minimum kind of place. I think that as well, it, when you had the, the, the decision, Azaban, to go between Mike Jackson or Kobe Bryant as to who was going to make that safety transition, if Mike Jackson was the stronger player to make that transition, he would have been the one to move rather than them moving Kobe Bryant. I think that they liked him better out there, which would tell me that I should like him probably better out there as well. So I would foresee him probably being signed by a, on a low-end kind of deal out there, maybe a, a wave three free agent kind of guy, but still a little bit further than what we can spend because of our financial limitations. Thomas says, I still go BPA unless you really like the quarterback. If JS believes Nix or Penix are going to be good to great players, if Penix selected, I feel you can grab good old line players like Bebe's intern Van Pran. Agree? Yeah, yeah. And I'm a BPA guy too. Um, and if I'm with you, Thomas, that if he does love um, one of these quarterbacks in that way, John's got a good track record of targeting quarterbacks he likes, you know? Albernickus, I did see a rumor that Jamal Stan. I hope to God not, but you never know. Yeah, I, 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 I can't be further against the trading David Yang of uh, DK for draft picks. I, I just, it's, it's. I don't have a lot of times where I'll say, well, I can't understand where you're coming from, or I can't. I. When you look through the details of trading DK and what it would mean, and I just went down to the list of it, I, it's, it is to me just, it's not a smart move. And the reason you're doing it is people will say, well, we got to invest in our lines. We got to get some stuff put into lines. It's like, well, then draft to that. Make that the onus of your draft philosophy. You have not made it much of an onus of your draft philosophy. You've traded the offensive line like a redhead stepchild. You haven't treated the defensive line much better. You know? We went out this last year and we were like, oh, Jaron Reed, Cam Young, we're set at, we're set at the nose tackle. I mean, it's, it's not about needing to, to ply from another one of our positions of strength. It's about in, just investing purely into it. And I, I don't see the taking DK out of the picture, a guy who just turned 26 years old and has been a freaking soldier warrior for you. I don't get like, man, when we're starting to try to like dump these players, what are we doing here? What are we trying to build? The term cut your nose off despite your face comes to mind, but
do discuss the fact that we're having the DK talks is beyond stupid belief right now. I'm I'm with you on it. I I it's one, another one of those things where I just don't understand how we end up in this place of a discussion. Even most most fans that have a guy like DK on their team, they would be celebrating and loving it. And said we want to turn over potentially trading him. Uh, Lord Boom, I'm take. I like taking the safety. I like the linebacker also. But my first full favorite is get Fatanu from the Huskies. I think Fatano, when getting Grub, is more than Penix, the likely guy you're looking at potentially coming to Seattle between the two. Jeffrey, thanks for clearing up, Brandon. Anytime, man. Anytime. DVN says, someone tried to tell me that you can just get any old receiver and trade DK. I said, what, bro? They're reading into it too much. He was just analyzing genome. Yeah, that's it's. Uh, I've heard someone the same. It's like, uh, no, you can't. <laughs> Philip Castle, do I think we draft a quarterback, Brandon? I thought a couple months ago that the idea would be yes, absolutely, would have been my answer. Right now, I I find myself in alignment of saying I'm not really sure. I find myself going, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be the guys in the right place to do it. I think that Philip, there's going to be about five quarterbacks taken before we pick at 16. I think that that's just going to kind of lean everything out through the middle rounds, you know. Deviant's the room, but he was just analyzing Gino. Okay, that's what I thought. I looked at it that way too, Deviant. They were they saved that, but just ignore the part where McDonald said he was prepared to build around him. Yeah, agreed with Gino. Deviant says if we lose DK, go straight to the Chiefs and wins another Super Bowl. Probably, I would say that would be probably what you could expect to happen. Hans says, even then, Mike also said in the Brock and Selk show, he talked with both quarterbacks how they see it. Also, I don't think drastic changes. Talk with both quarterbacks how they see it. Also, I don't think drastic changes. I don't think so either. Thomas says, I did about 30 mock drafts. I was attacked. So many area problems is you need a lot of picks. Yeah. You can see Thomas were at the head of this for me. More than drafting high, it's more about trying to get some of those extra picks in there, especially if I can get them into prime spots in the draft here. Um, and maybe it's not possible at the end of the day, but that would be what I would try to do. Brian says, Gino had uh, a little trouble, I think, shaking off the ankle from the hip drop tackle in New York, plus the groin later in the season. Hard to evaluate a quarterback trying to play through injury. Definitely is, Brian. Definitely is. And a lot of it, too, why you under, a guy gets beat up and injured like that is you, you get a guy under a lot of duress and taking extra hits more than your normal quarterback, and he's likely to then get injured. You know? Yeah, it, it does make it a little bit of a tougher, tougher spot. Three hour, I'm seeing Rattler rise up boards, which sucks for us people starting to see that kid's not a joke. Was hoping to get him in the fourth or fifth. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, why somebody just asking me above if I saw us getting a quarterback. And I go, I don't think I do because you've got your five guys go up ahead in the 16 and then a Rattler guy is going to be potentially, I, I think he's firmly in the second round at this point, three hour. And now he's flirting with up around the first, the, the top of the first round if there's a team that wants to get their fifth-year option on him. Justice is what's with all the DK trade talk. Uh, Mike Salk brought it up this past week, and some people are very, very much enticed by it. Uh, he, Justice says, it makes no sense to get rid of one of our star players just because. 
Uh, I'm with you, Justa. Doesn't make any sense to me. I'm 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 very passionately anti this this thought. This this to me is what bad organizations do. And to make the references Mike is trying to do to the Kansas City Chiefs is just disingenuous to the utmost. Because the Chiefs have the best quarterback in the NFL. It's a it's a little bit of a different story. Philip Castle, well, I'm not sure. Maybe the Notre Dame quarterback, possibly. I have a seventh round grade. He can't hit the broad side of a barnyard, Philip. He's 25 years old and he just doesn't have the accuracy. He went out, it was on the tape, and then he went out to the Senior Bowl and even in the Senior Bowl game. Just didn't have any accuracy. Hans Brennan, I know it's a mock draft, but by drafting Newbin, you're spending again a late first and oh sorry, I read that already. My bad. Three hours is deep train DK makes no sense. We will still have him to pay him and we still lose our starting ride receiver. What are people smoking? Yeah, I don't get it either. Three hour. It's it's a left field one. Sometimes I can understand where people come from, even if I don't agree with it. But this one's one where I disagree with it and I don't get where people are coming from on it. Just doesn't, doesn't add up, doesn't make sense. Savatiti, trading DKs is crazy. We need all the help a wide receiver we can get, especially since Lockett's getting older. Amen. Jay Northwest is Jamal Adams is a roster spot thief. Uh, Jaden Hicks in the second or maybe third. He's got really good tape when it's really good, Chris, when it's really bad. Um, God, he had the, uh, I was just watching recently his Oregon State tape. Ah, this last year. There's, there's some bad moments on tape too with him, which does put me more into like third, fourth roundish range for him, Chris. I liked him initially, but I'm, I'm softening just a little bit. Misfit says, I don't see how keeping Wagner works. McDonald's linebackers need to cover and play with speed. Bobby doesn't offer much of either. Um, it's definitely been something that he's had recently there with Baltimore with the middle linebacker and Roquan. And I certainly would offer that, you know, there's there's a speed difference between uh, Bobby Wagner and Roquan Smith. Double checking this here. Do, 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 do. So, Roquan Smith ran a 4-5-1 when he was coming out. Bobby, on his pro day, ran a 4-4-6. So, at least technically, when they were first coming out, Bobby was faster. Uh, is he now remarkably slower than Roquan at this point? I guess that would be the question at hand. Um I think for me with Bobby, it's much in the way you use him. I think a lot of why people kill Bobby and for the speed stuff and that has really to do with some, some of the bigger moments in coverage that happened last year where he gave up yards in coverage. Uh, and a lot of those happened at times because of the nature of the Hawks defense, which is not the same as McDonald's. They ask, our defense asked as well for those linebackers to cover in space, but they'd ask him to cover in space, dropping 25, 30 yards into zone and then picking up receivers on crossing routes going down the field. 
Um, I didn't see a ton of Roquan Smith doing that on the tape that I've watched so far with the Baltimore Ravens. More often than not, a lot of times you've got him up on the line of scrimmage mugging the A-gap, which is exactly where Bobby's kind of at his best, quite frankly. The threat of Bobby blitzing, the threat of bringing him, um, which is also something that works very well within this defense from, from what it provides and allows the middle linebackers. But I'm not sure that Bobby has lost as much speed as sometimes is being sold as has. I think that it's, it, it's more to the schematic limitations of what we were asking our middle linebackers to do in the prior scheme. Um, go back to, for instance, the Cowboys game. You have Brandon Cooks running a deep crosser. I could bring up this shot where it looks like, wow, Bobby's so slow in coverage there. He didn't even pick up Brandon Cooks, who once ran a 4-3 coming out of the combine. Is, is there going to be any middle linebacker picking up a deep crosser who's starting out in center field, who has to pick the deep crosser and carry it to the sideline? Who's going to be able to run step for step with that guy in that situation without any help? I, I don't even think Roquan Smith does that. But that's just my opinion. I, I think that he's definitely not as fast as he once was at 4.46 coming out. But I don't think that Bobby's suddenly now at 4.7540 and that he's got feet that are glued to the ground and he can't move. And, it, you know, it's, some of it is about usage. Some of it is about the positions you put him in. And last year, Seattle, rather than um, taking, Jamal, taking Bobby and looking at what the Rams did the prior year in the very same defense, the very same defense, they decided to fit him back into an old role. And it's more about, you know, like he says, um, and just my final point on this, what McDonald said often, it's not about what his defense requires. It's about getting the most out of the players he's got. It's also one of the reasons I like him as a mind is he's not as fixed or hardened in on his, his philosophies this way and that way. And the middle linebacker's got to do this and this and this. I, I think quite the opposite. He's a guy that'll lean into the strengths of the player. Thomas Cox, a hawk blogger, brought up trading Woolen. What's your opinion on trading Woolen and what compensation would they get? I can understand this is a trade I do understand uh, because there's some value from Woolen out there. Uh, you're not having any dead money to move him. And um, he may not be a fit for what Mike McDonald wants. Um, I'm not sure how much man or zone Mike's going to want to run. He ran more zone at Baltimore. Woolen's best in man coverage. So that's right off the rip. The second thing is that we just don't know for sure if, if McDonald's going to be sold on Woolen's ability to tackle. And is there maybe some concern there from his standpoint that he won't be willing to tackle? And I just don't, I, I think in this Ravens defense, especially your corners have got to come up and do their part. And that makes me a little bit worried with him looking at Woolen's tape going, I don't think he's, he's going to do that. Like I need him to do it. And if that's going to be the case, then Yeah. I, if that's the case, then making a move of a trade at that point could make some sense. I, I think you'd get probably a third round pick, a mid third round pick back in return would probably be about the highest that you would pull back. Yeah, um, I would say, in my opinion. But it could make some sense, Thomas. You pick up an extra pick in the top uh, 100, you get another one inside the third round, um, you go to look, find more of this is a deep cornerback draft as well. You could find probably a fourth round, fifth round quarterback that can do with the skill set of what he wants to do on the outside. So, uh, maybe a chance to at that point, then pick up a lineman in that third round to help out the interior. I could see where they come to the conclusion that that's the move they want to make on that one. Corey Olson. Uh, sorry. Thank you uh, for the $5 donation. A little slow acknowledging it, but I appreciate you for that. Don't know. Nonetheless, this is DK Seahawk for life. I just seen a comparison of his first 27 games to Megatron and he has better numbers 
not all saying he is better but a great comp oh yeah i'm i'm uh i'm gonna be preparing a video up actually and so uh cory you're gonna love this oh shoot actually i gotta gotta do this this way sorry one sec but yes i did see that and i'm bringing this up for that i found this as well so second i saw that i thought the same thing so i guess great minds think alike because I was feeling the same way about it. And Corey is referencing this right here. There we go. Bring it big for you guys. Here's a comparison for you of DK Metcalf and Calvin Metron, Megatron's first 27 games. Um, through their first five years now, also, by the way, this is the, just the first 27 games, but by the way, right now, very close together in alignment with their stats, even through five years. I know everybody go, oh, Megatron, way better, way, way better. Very, very close right now through their first five seasons of games, right, pretty much right on top of each other from their statistical perspective. Like Megatron's got them slightly edged out. So, yep, I, I, um, I, I'm with you. I, I'm more of in the, I'd love to have this guy here for life as a Seahawk, more than I'm looking to move him out the door. Guys had the best start to a receiving career in Seahawk history through five seasons. I think even surpassing Largent, not mistaken. We're very close to even Largent's number, at least. I look at that and I go, I want to keep that. that that's, that's helpful to my team. The guy that gets doubled at one of the highest rates in the NFL, even when he's not catching passes, that means he's helpful. But yep, saw the saw the same, saw saw the same. It's a great stat. Thank you for bringing that up, Corey. Great comp, Corey, with another uh, two dollar donation as well. Says, uh, help me understand the utter hate for Gino. I don't know. It's it's like for me a little bit in the same bucket as the the trading DK. It's it's a little bit of I, I don't often have these things that are just completely flummoxed me in trying to understand the outlook and, and why people take the the stance on it. But Geno's another guy that the fan base that's out on Geno Smith is out on Geno Smith. Um, there is no I I just don't know if there's much he he could have done these past two years absent of been an MVP candidate the past two years. Um, for him to get anybody's the, the people that are out on him sold on him i i i've gone to a couple different times and trying to have a variety of different conversations and i've done it for two years now i'm at my wits end with it i can't do it anymore because I, I i try to pull from the other side to understand the other perspective side of the perspective on this one with gino and and the folks that you know and it, it kind of comes down to it seems to just be a kind of a gut instinct in the personal football knowledge in oneself with gino being um I can't really point to a numbers thing or this or that. So it's it's just kind of something I just generally feel, um, which fine. I mean, that's, we all get those kind of instincts to, towards football and, you know, what we believe and think on it. But it also doesn't mean you'll convert me to your side of the thinking when I've got so much that I can pull to that does point to him being such a strong quarterback. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I've maintained that if you can, Corey, get in the offensive line, that it can ask me pass protect worth a, just a smidge you're going to see a, a, a even better version of a Geno Smith. You'll see the Geno Smith that we saw through the first 12 games last year, where he was an MVP candidate. And then it's been literally once the ground game's gone to crap, your pass protection's gone to crap, and your defense has gone to crap from game 12 onward through last year, 
through this whole season that you've seen the little bit of the dip, the dip, not the fall off, but the little dip in the product in the production from him, um, which is explainable to those items, I think. But likewise, I think those people on the other side of it would say that that doesn't resonate with me as an argument. And he still isn't the guy. He is what he is. And we should move on. But I do agree. I do disagree with it, Corey. And it, it seems that both camps passionately believe what they think on this, on that one. Chris says Grub and Huff will develop the line first. Did wonders with UW. That's what I think too, Chris. That's why I had a little bit of my draft of a heavy, heavy drive towards getting offensive linemen is I think they'll recognize we've got to take care of the, the baseline first before we start looking for QB. Tyler Kemp, how you doing? It's good to see you in the house. James Niver, I know what, that most of us want instant results, but I think we should give a few seasons for them to build everything up so the, that way we know we are ready to come playoff time. Go Hawks. I love your outlook on it, James. I love it. Uh, that was my outlook a little bit in my offseason plan I'm creating here where uh, I'm not looking to sacrifice uh, much into the future. I'm, I'm looking to kind of just get this year as a baseline, get some investment in, into the offensive line at the forefront a little bit, just in general, get the lines of scrimmage a little bit more stronger, but continue to build it up, you know, continue to build it up. Vashon King says, I wouldn't be surprised if we trade DK for a first and maybe a second or third. Also let Gino walk, sign lock for cheap use one of the first to draft a quarterback. Uh, it's possible, Vashon. I, I don't know if they're going to look to to eat the $23 million of dead money on DK's deal. Um, I would be surprised. I'd be very surprised, Vashon. I, I wouldn't understand the thinking behind that trade. We can go draft a quarterback and we're going to put him behind a crap offensive line that's going to get their head beat in. It's Drafting a quarterback is not really going to be as much of a net benefit to the team. And Vashon, keep in mind with what you're talking about there. So you're saying we're going to, we're going to, we're going to let Gino walk. So we're eating $18 million of dead money for Gino. Then you've got us Vashon eating $23 million for DK Metcalf. Then we've got the, 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 the 26, what is it? 20 million we got for Jamal. We got another $11 million of dead money. Do we really think our owner's looking to eat $75 million of dead money on a single cap in an offseason? Can't forget the DK people that want to move DK. I still haven't seen many mention it here. It's, it's, it's sort of kind of like it, did with the, with, like it did with Mike Sulk, where it skims over the cost of his pond. Like Mike didn't bring any of this consideration into his article at all, which just goes to show you, Mike can't be bothered to even put in the most minimal amount of effort into the article, right? It's the most, that's why it's of just vomit. He just laced up onto, his, onto the screen. Because the dead money is a factor. Are we really going to want to pay the same amount of dead money cap we had to pay for Russell Wilson? Because we're because we're trying to offload DK Metcalf for I guess seemingly reasons. I don't know. AF says just like when McDonald came to Baltimore, I think it might take till midseason for them to learn this defense and succeed. Well said, AF. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, DJ JF, I think the most exciting thing for next season, even though we'll be under construction, is that trams will now will not be able to read. Uh, well, that, that teams will not be able to read us on either side of the ball. It's going to be so exciting. Unpredictability in disguise. 
These are two things we're going to be bringing into play that have not been here for a very long period of time. And I, to your point, DJ, I think they're going to bring a big part of the benefit to next year's team, uh, whatever form that may show itself. Uh, Hans, says, somebody did the tape on Jaden Hicks, safety from Washington State. Looks like he can play all the field. He's a good player. He's a good, when he's exciting and he's flowing, he looks like he can kind of do it all, Hans. Um, it does go downhill sometimes for me at times. It was, it was, uh, there's two pieces of tape. I have to check my notes on one, but I was just watching today. The, um, um, I was looking at watching Brendan Jackson today, WSU's defensive end. And so Jay Dunham was coming into play quite a bit. He was kind of getting beat up on that game. And there was another one that I watched uh, earlier, I think this year, Stanford, I forget the Washington state play. I got to go back and look again at my notes, but just added, there's been a couple of stinkers in there. Yeah, I'm not talking too much. Do you count thing that we've covered it? Uh, but but, but um, Philip Castle, you're right, Brandon. O line and D line have been treated like a two dollar wrench. Yeah, they have, and that's why it's you don't need to go rip and pull from some other place. Just make this the onus. You know, this becomes your onus in the draft. And uh, if you do that, if you instead of like last year, we didn't take a lineman, an offensive lineman, or 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 a defensive lineman for that matter. What? Till the fourth round, unless you want to call, count Edge Derek Hall as a defensive lineman, which I guess you could. But boy, that's pretty late in the draft to be waiting to get in, get in your lineman, especially when you have all those picks. And we got the returns when we did this. That's my mild thing with this too: is that when you put the 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 higher picks into the positions, you get the return. You know, it tends to be a pretty solid, safe bet if you're going to make a second round guard your guy you're going to pick or late first round center the guy you're going to pick you're going to make a guy like linderbaum the ravens took a couple years ago in, in the late first round your pick pretty safe and sound that that guy's going to be a tremendous player or a very good player you know because usually those guys are dipping and flowing steve avilia last year that the rams took second best to maybe the first best guard in the draft get him in the second round comes in very good player for the player for them right out the gate you know what you're getting but it takes the investment of the assets into those positions to get the returns and that's been where the Seahawks have really, really for years, I don't know why, but they just treated, treated it like kind of the least almost important part of the team at times. And uh, that's why it's been bad. Not because we've been putting too much investment in other places, but because we've not been putting any investment into it. Card Gray's Hawksnest seems like there are a lot of younger people who want instant results and are willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It, that's a great way of putting it in regards to that DK thing. I, I think that very well could be it. Though in the case of a guy like Mike Salk, he knows better. That's why I'm so angry about Salk doing that. Is it's I, I, I rail against doing this. I don't do shows of clickbait. I don't do shows that are anything less than authentically what I believe if I'm going to say it. And when he comes out like this and disingenuously posts this article so that he can get his little show, his little clicks and his views, and then he stands back and he goes, oh, everyone's mad at me. Because you, you brought something up stupid and you didn't thoroughly research it or vet it. And then you vomited it out and then it sets off the fan base where you get a part of the fan base that starts to, it like sets in their mind like an idea, idea like a seed and it starts to grow. And it was a dumb idea right from the get-go. DBN says, Hawks says they want to repeat of Richard Sherman. DK goes to a rival team, knocks us out in the playoffs to go to Super Bowl in the first year. <laughs> Metal Dragon, if the Rams get Penix, it could be very bad for the Seahawks and the rest of the division. I really don't want to see Penix in LA. I don't, I don't think they're going to get him, Metal Dragon. I, he goes, I think, inside of the top 16 at this point. 
he's going to test very well. He's probably going to run like a four or five, five. He's going to throw really well at the combine. I, I think he goes inside that period, whereas the Rams are picking a little bit later. Misfit, uh, interior offensive lineman, linebacker, defensive line, safety are my top four draft needs, but open to quarterback if John likes one that's not named JJ. I love it. Accurate misfit, right on point with that one. I agree with your list. Chris is online, draft Fatano or Powers and try to sign uh, Free Agent Jackson, the guard from Detroit. I'm good with that, Chris. Uh, we could look at the kid uh, from uh, Miami. Might be interesting too in this, Chris, as far as an option for signing. Robert Hunt. Uh, a guy that's been in a mobile-based mobile, mobile scheme in Miami, right? Maybe one that is a little bit more fluid in the movement-based stuff. But anybody that you got in Detroit is going to do that stuff too because that was Ben Johnson's bread and butter a lot of times was having those, not a lot of, a lot of times, but there's just a good amount of that built into his offense asking the linemen to move out in space. Rob Terrell B, do you like Joe Milton as quarterback option in the fourth or fifth round? Fifth round, Rob. Decision-making and processing are... Um, my two big worries with him. And when it comes to quarterback play, I think arm strength and processing are two of the most important attributes that you can have for the position. So the, the missing, the processing thing is kind of a huge deal. I mean, it's, it shouldn't stand out hugely here to me, but it just kind of does at the end of the day, that senior bowl throw where he's rolling to his right. And it's a little bit what you'd see on tape with him at times where just there's that boneheaded decision-making that pops into place where you're going like, man, that's a straightforward decision you can't make. You're rolling to your right. You're trying to throw this 40 yards up the football field back to the middle of the football field and you're throwing it late. And, and you know better than that. That's day one you're taught as a quarterback when throwing the football never to make those kind of throws or to avoid them at all possible. And especially when you have so many scouts watching that moment, that's just one where take take the seven yards, scramble and get down. Be smart in your decision making. Um, so I'm, I'm worried with him. But the arm talent is there. He's got a, as live an arm, I think, as you'll see in this draft. Enders says, do you think Mike... McDonald can do something with Mike Morris. Well, Andrew, they had a cool little moment there where Mike McDonald was going through the locker room and I think meeting everybody initially and they had a camera behind him and he caught Mike Morris there and they had a nice big hug and they lie and, and uh, Mike McDonald said, we're going to do some really cool things. So I, I think that that would seem to indicate that, yeah, they, they, uh, there is going to be something there they can, he can work with. I, I've got him right now as the, th the third three tech, um, on the roster, and I think Ender, if you see this team not go out and grab a three-tech in a draft filled with a lot of them, that will speak to the confidence that they have that Mike Morris can become that guy on the inside there. Or Boom says, trade DK, what they have, trade your mama. Don't be talking no garbage. DK is your most dedicated offensive player we have. Amen, brother. Amen. A to the mother effing men. I ran on the cut. Thank you for the $5 donation. I'll turn my back on John so fast if we trade DK. He's my favorite player on the team. Go Hawks. Yeah, I, uh, I feel the same way as you. He is my favorite, I think, player on the team because he's the epitome, I think, of what you'd want on the team. Everybody calls him a diva, but you know you really can't find any true diva moments of him. It's because he gets some penalties and in the case of the Niners, we know that Shanahan was trying to, and that team was trying to target him um, for that penalties. And you have specifically Fred Warner going after a surgically repaired neck while he's on the ground for no particular reason, just because after DK tackled him. Um, so, you know, he's not a diva, which is what, where I think a lot of this whole trade thing, quite frankly, comes from is not about adding to the line of scrimmage. It's because people have this 
this thinking that they look at him as a diva-like player, which he's just not. He shows up every single week. He plays every week. He plays through injury. He plays, plays through pain. He plays hard. In a league where you have wide receivers who refuse, utterly refuse, I tell you, across the board to block at times, he blocks on every single play and blocks hard. You have the, the touchdown at the end on the bubble screen to Jackson Smith and Jigba against the Cleveland Browns this past year, and that play is set up by DK's block on the outside, which gets him in. And he gives you all of this. He gives you all of this on top of being a, a, a dominant physical presence on the outside that demands double teams as as higher rate as you will find in the entire NFL. He has produced thousand yard seasons to bite the fact that the team does not have a conscious plan for actually targeting him or utilizing him. Not like other teams would utilize their number one wide receiver. That's why I'm in favor of him. He does all of that down the line. Hard to find players that can check all those particular boxes. Plays with fire and passion. I'll tell you, I watch a lot of tape, all 22, man. I can look across the league. I can look at this team last year. And there's not a lot of players playing with passion and fire. Or maybe there's a half of them, third of them. It's harder and harder to find in that skill set. A lot of guys out there just doing their job. Doing the bare minimum of what they got to do. And usually it's the physical beasts like that. They're the ones that are usually the laziest. The ones that feel that they can take the time. Well, I'm, I got my physical four, three, six, four thing to go back on, so I don't really need to block hard here. It's an anomaly. And that's why I appreciate it. That's why I want it to stay. And that's why I bristle so much at the thought of uh, any potential trade there, Ran. And I'm glad you feel the same way. Go Hawks, brother. Uh, John M429, thank you for the $10 donation. That is very, very kind of you. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Wasn't DK the one who burnt the Ravens for like 50 yards down the middle of the field? McDonald says he wants physicality and toughness. Isn't that exactly what DK is? That's a great, uh, number one, thank you for the donation again, but uh, a great comment on the back of just what I was talking about um, in that this guy fits to the mold of the type of player you want to bring in here. You know, you want edge, you want chippiness, you want fire. You know, anybody that's played on the sport of football that's watched, been on the, been on the field, understands. I, I think there's people that, and I didn't even play a lot, but you don't have to play a lot to get this understanding of it. You can be on a football field for one year in your junior high or for two years in your high school, and you're going to get a keen understanding of this, which is that I have to bring a unique mentality at play in order to survive out here. There are people trying to take my head off. I've got guys like Fred Warner who want to hit me behind my neck that it had to be surgically repaired in college to the point I might not have ever been able to ever play again. You have to bring a unique edge to the football field, a fire that you don't, and I don't utilize normal walking outside in our normal day process going into our jobs. It's not a requirement for us. It is if you're going to walk on that football field or you're going to get your brains bashed in. And he brings that mentality. And you're right about, yes, DK had the 50-yard reception on a crossing route over the middle. And that's such an interesting play, John, because had, wouldn't, hadn't that been the whole, to my old point about what I talked about in the inability to target DK, like normal, just somewhat even like, you've just got an okay processing mind as an offensive mind. Not even your Shanahan upward play callers, whatever. I'm just talking about like, I, I'm just a marginal play caller in the NFL. And I, yet, 
over and over again throughout the course of the season, we would have two and a half quarters of us not targeting DK Metcalf, of us ignoring him that we even had him on the field, not throwing to him and he was covered and the ball got knocked away, not targeting him on a short drag where he was tackled after three yards, but that you just completely ignore him. And then you finally target him for the first time and he takes a 50-yard crossing route up the field, a crossing route that we never get to see him ever run. They very rarely run that crossing route with him. Because they also kept the, the, of course, the route concepts limited. And, you know, that was Tyler Lockett's route, I guess. Can't throw the middle of the field. Can't have, you know, took them half the year to realize they could line him up into the slot and find productivity. I mean, you can line TK up in the slot, have him run a slant, and it's a win all day for DK. We, it took us half the year into his, four and a half years into his career to figure out that we could use him in that fashion. But yeah, he brings physicality and toughness. He's missed one football game in five seasons. One football game. He's tough. And I guarantee you, if you're a cornerback going up against DK that next week, you ain't sleeping well that night. You ain't sleeping all through the week. You know what you're in for. So well well, uh, well said, John. Thank you for your uh, donation. And uh, yeah, I think this is a, if, if Mike McDonald wants physicality and toughness in his players, DK is one of the guys you would start with. And, and who needs to remain in the ranks here? Not know who needs to go. But thank you. Appreciate you for that, John. Vank88, thank you for the uh, $5 donation, Vank. I appreciate you as well. It doesn't have any uh, comment there on your donation, but just the donation itself. So I salute you, sir, and thank you very much for that donation. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 dono. And it's good to see you in the house, Garth, as well tonight. Uh, if we trade DK and eat the $25 million dead cap, can we draft the new Patrick Mahomes with the bounty? There's two or three Mahomes in this draft. <laughs> Garth's uh, comment dripping with sarcasm, and I love it. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it was the funnest part about that con- about the, the, the comparison Salk's making is you know, the Chiefs tra- traded Tyreek. So he's traded Tyreek, and... And then uh, you just use the other assets, you know, for outside edge and, and line. And, and that's how they did it. It's like, yeah, you need Mahomes to do that, Mike. How many Mahomes are there? Oh, they're everywhere. But another pervasive mentality you'll see a lot of times is people believing that there's like two or three Mahomes in just one given draft. It's, it's absolutely, it's, I know you're being sarcastic, Garth, but it's absolutely what people will think. They'll think it. They'll say, well, get rid of Geno. Just commit to drafting the quarterback. You'll get your Mahomes. <laughs> Willie? Really? That easy. Yeah, dumb, dumb, functional, dump good for for maybe the miracle, for maybe the anomaly. Yeah, I do think uh, I I do think that we see that out there at play, Garth. I think that that drives a lot of it, and I think Mahomes and Brady have sort of shifted a little bit of the perspective on this, skewed it in a way from the average fan and how they look at the quarterback position. That's not really for what is reasonable reality, but instead these supreme outliers for the sport that have happened to come back to back in the fashion that they have. Appreciate you though, Garth. Thank you for the fiver. And uh, yeah, I guess that's all we got to do, man. As long as we get the as long as we get them homes, man. We can need as much dead money as we need. 25, 50, 75. It's only Jody's money. Han says the Chiefs can be real happy that they got Mahomes and Chris Jones, two of the most game changers in the NFL, and everyone is talking about losing Tyreek. Meanwhile, Jones is wrecking games. Amen. Yeah. Well said again. That's another good point with having Jones on the other side there to do what he does. 
Um, cause certainly he has ascended, I think over the top of your Aaron Donald type, or at least he did last year. And I don't know if he was at the same place this year. I know he had a little bit of the injury stuff coming up at time to time, but certainly has been neck and neck with Donald throughout the time. Donald was on his run and, uh, he's probably been there step for step. If not overtaken him a little bit here in recent, uh, last year or two. <laughs> just got to find uh, Mahomes and uh, Chris Jones and we can offload everybody else, Vons. <laughs> Misfit Simpson's an offensive guard. Raven's also free agent. He's interesting. He was in talking with Raven fans and uh, in what I've read online, Simpson seems to be the weakest link on that line for whatever that's worth based on what I hear with him, but maybe a possibility. Thomas says, we don't know how Schneider drafts Pete uh, has been over him mostly. Yes, he's had some draft picks, but we don't know who is pro Pete or who was pro Schneider. Good point. Very good point. Savatiti says, uh, only downside knock on DK is the fighting, but still could, still not worth trading. And McDonald can get him in the right track this year, especially with Grubb at OC. Well said, man. And I do agree with you on that. Um I think that you're, one of the things you're getting with McDonald's is a little bit more of a disciplined nature in his approach. And maybe DK is one of those guys that can benefit from that. Misfit, Devin White certainly is worth a look in free agency as well. Um, he'll probably come in a five, four or five million underneath what Patrick Queen will cost. But a big rangy linebacker. It's been fun. He's got some inconsistency to his game, but he's a fun linebacker. He'd be a good addition. Brandon Kennegaw, thank you for your work, Brandon. Intriguing mock. Looking forward to taking the twists and turns with you as we head to the draft. Go Hawks. Well, it's all a process, right? As to your point, Brian, and yep, it'll be some definite twists and turns, testing numbers, medical evaluations, rumors of this, rumors of that. It's all uh, it's all an ongoing forward process, but it's a fun process. You know, I love doing these mocks, man. We're in full mock draft season. But Mocha says Hawks got to draft an offensive lineman first round. Wouldn't be the worst thing to go if they wanted to do that, bud. I certainly would be applauding it if they did. Dude disgusted. I don't believe the Niners saying they didn't know the overtime rules. If they didn't, that is horrible look in the organization. Also, the ref explained when it, it did go into OT. Yeah, it's not a good look. I, I do think that this is a thing where they didn't know the rules. I don't know if you're going to get them to admit it, but uh, I, I think that they didn't clearly understand the way this was going to work here in this uh, overtime period, which, which is tough. It's not a bad, not a good look for our guy, uh, Shanahan. Rob Terrell is James Williams' safety for Miami, Cam Chancellor 2.0. Well, um... I don't know if I'll go as far as to say Cam, but he's got echoes of Cam's game, James. Rob, incredibly athletic for his size, which is something that you had a little bit with Cam. They, they're legitimately big, but they can really you know move around a bit. I don't know if he quite hits like Cam, but he's a bit of a thumper, and he's very athletic and long and tall. You can feel his length on the football field. I'll tell you what, Rob, I mean, he, he squeezes down some of those passing windows. So really good. Really good.
Andy Phillips, Gino can get us the playoffs. Gino can carry a well-built team like Purdy can carry a team, but can Gino win a Super Bowl? I don't think so. I think we need a difference maker at the position. It's a fair point. Um, I, I think from my standpoint, Andy, I just, I look at it like, I don't know that we don't know that Gino can't be a difference maker when um, you had good pass protection and you had good, good run blocking. I didn't use great on either of those terms, just good, right? I wouldn't say we were the first 12 games of the season last, not this year, but the prior year. I don't think it was great pass protection. I don't think it was good run blocking. That good. And he was playing like an MVP level quarterback at that time. So is that a difference maker at that point? Is that a, a Brock Purdy at that point? I think that when we're talking about Patrick Mahomes, you're talking about a supremely different level of difference maker in what he brings. I think he's above even recent guys that have gone to the Super Bowl from uh, a Matt Stafford, who's a really, who's a very, probably got a lot, very close in certain regards to a Burrow close in certain regards. But you know, Mahomes is heading towards like GOAT status I think we got to be careful if we're trying to use that as a base metric or a baseline for a comparison of what we're looking to emulate. Um, yeah, I, I certainly don't think that you're held up from looking for a quarterback to the future. I don't really know how we're going to go get that difference maker by finding him in the late first. And I don't know that there's any team willing to trade you up. So it's like, well, where do we get that difference maker at what point? We're not really Andy going to be in a position at any point in time in the future to lose two, win two, three games to get down to be picking up that quarterback. The guys that are down around that area don't tend to trade back unless you want to give up an insane, insane King's ransom. And our general manager has never moved up in a first round in his life. Um, I'm not against going out and getting another quarterback for the future, but part of my thing with Gino and that we know he's not a difference maker or he can just get us to a playoffs. Andy, he got you to a playoffs last year with three rookies starting on that offense, including two rookies on both of your tackles. He got there, He got you there where everything around him was collapsing by the end, and he still had you with the lead against the 49ers on the road in that playoff game uh, at halftime. So I, that's where I just, I don't have as much assurity that that's just who he is and what he is and that he's only, he's got this limited upside to it. You've given him a hellacious setup over the last about year and a half to, to deal with and work with. And I don't think that there would have been a lot of quarterbacks who would have succeeded in that environment. I think even Mahomes would have struggled to succeed in this environment. Andy says, is Gino better than Matt Stafford? Could Gino do what Stafford did with the Rams? I'm not, po I'm not too positive. Uh, you know, it's, it's, nobody was sure of Matt Stafford being able to what he, do what he could do, Andy, with the Rams until he did it, right? Certainly nobody thought that he was going to do what he did. I, I don't think a lot of people did when they traded for him. Even through a lot of that year, Andy, he wasn't playing his best ball. He got hot at the end of the year, and he got really hot in the playoffs, and he was outstanding, no doubt about that. But does Gino have a potential? I'm not putting Gino on Stafford's level, but does he have, again, the potential to get hot if you give him the right circumstances to work with? Yeah. And again, with the guy, with the Gene, the Stafford situation and dealing with the Rams, Stafford never dealt with the poor pass protection. He never dealt with what the lack of run blocking that Gino's had here over the last two years. He never dealt with a defense, Andy, that was going to spend three-fourths of a freaking football game on the football field. You know? That's the thing that it's the thing I keep coming back to on the Geno folks with the railing thing. There's there's about seven real stacked items I can bring up specifically that these other quarterbacks that you're referencing to don't have to deal with. Like Andy, if I tell you last year 
We targeted the middle of the, middle of the football field at the 32nd, you know, high, worst rate in football. Do you think like Mahomes is at 29? Do you think Stafford's at like 27? Or do you think their teams take full advantage of all of the football field and target everywhere? You know? And um, that's where it gets a little bit hard to making those just the baseline of a comparison apples for apples without taking into account the actual situation each guy finds himself within. Boo says, if Byron Murphy lasts to 16, do you trade back or do you stay and pick? I would trade back, Boo. If you, I, I think you're going to re-sign Leonard Williams, so you've already got three, three techs on your roster. If you draft Byron Murphy, now you have four three techs on your roster, which means you're going to have a couple of talented three techs that aren't going to be playing a lot of football, most likely. Corey Olson, thank you for another $2 donation. I appreciate all the donos, brother. Says, let's be real. Pete, Pete, uh, Pete's play calling Pete's play calling has held DK back. Yeah, I think it's both a DK and a Geno situation which are which get impacted by this. When you don't when you have a running game that is incredibly boring and as credibly one note as the running game was, when you don't target to the perimeter, when you don't throw to the middle of the football field, when you have an offensive line that can't open up holes in the ground game, and when you have pass protection that they can't hold up for more than 2.3 seconds uh, at best at times, that's going to be an offense that's more likely at times going to be failing than having any kind of success. Um, and yeah, I think DK was held back by that. I certainly do. Especially that targeting in the middle of the field thing. That's one, that's, that's, that's one that is not to be just sort of like from a casual fan's knowing, oh, well, we target the middle of the field. 30 Second, there are 32 NFL teams in the league. You were the last team in the league at targeting the middle of the field. And when your coach was asked about it, he wouldn't answer. Certainly didn't provide an answer that to me added up to why you did it, why you don't do it. And, and there's no argument that you can make to me that you're going to be the 32nd NFL team in targeting the middle of the football field. And that's not going to horrendously impact the offense. Because it becomes predictable, right? Not only are you now going, this part doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to be blind to this whole part of the field. But do you think also maybe the defense is aware of that too? Do you think maybe the defense would then stop targeting the middle, stop stop worrying about the middle of the field, and that maybe now they start to squeeze the outside routes, outside the numbers a little bit tighter, a little bit more? It's a huge, huge thing, that thing when I bring that up. And that's just one thing within a myriad of problematic items on that offense that both DK and Gino had to deal with. And uh, I know maybe don't, most don't want to give that any kind of credence to it, but you should. Stephen Weston says, keep DK and Gino. Release Jamal Adams. See, there's something I can get behind. Stephen says, so crazy how San Fran fired their DC after being let down by special teams and offense again. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get that one. That's, I just think it's scapegoat. It's trying to like satiate the fans who are maybe calling a little bit for the Shanahan. A dude disgusted. B, what's your thoughts, concerns on the coaching staff? Do you think Grub can work? I think it's a boom or bust would be the, I guess, 
the upside downside dude is that you'd have some guys that you might have a little bit more of a i got the high floor but maybe don't have as much of a ceiling as the coach i think uh this is a staff with a lot of ceiling to it um i think grub's a a, a very uh innovative kind of hire in that it's a forward thinking hire and it's you trying to be ahead of the ball and what you're doing i mean you're looking to sort of be on the cutting edge on both sides of the football rather than just on one side of the football and then play it safe to the other side. So I like the thought of the team trying to shoot for the moon with these with these hirings as far as finding smart guys who have that high upside as a coach whose future would be theoretically very, very bright. Um, I do think it can work to disgusted because I think the spread concepts have been working their way more and more into football. I think the thing that's unique with Grubb too is he's got the offensive line background and so understands the commitment level he needs to the ground game, which is something that spread concept offensive coaches can oftentimes forget. And then he also has wrinkles within the spread concepts to attack deep, to take the shot plays, where a lot of sometimes you get those spread concepts and it's a little bit like the Patriots attack there, right? When, like in the 2000s, where especially once they lost Randy Moss and it was just kind of like you had your Welker and your uh, your inside slot guys all over the place, tight ends inside with with Gronk, you know, everything was, was kind of all based on... Uh, uh, just sort of peppering you short over and over again. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, trying to get you over the top where he's got his plays built in for the shot plays and he's going to hit you with that. I think these things make him a little bit unique. Um, but there is that he's never coached the NFL level before and uh, there is that that bust factor there too with it. Um, I don't have as much issue with uh, the, the, the Aiden uh, Durd hire because you've really got Mike McDonald and Leslie Frazier there, and you know what you're getting with those guys. There's there's really, I think, no worries there with him. He's got kind of less to do than your normal DC. The other hires seem fine. Uh, Hoff did great with the o, with the OC there, or the O-line there in, uh, with Washington. He's going to have a two, three guys drafted here in this next draft, um, including probably one in the late first, early second. Um, so he seems pretty solid. Just maybe not as much of a track record as you'd maybe typically like with a, a staff like this and how long they've done what they've done, but it's it's fine. The upside's there, I guess, is what I'd say to it. Just uh, seen a mock draft where we traded back with the Eagles, took Newton, got Pennings in the second, and Colson in the third. I would be okay with that draft, Justa. I mean, I would like to, I would have, I would prefer... I, I prefer to avoid Newton and flip out Newton for an offensive lineman there because then that would mean that you're not actually even addressing your offensive line until you get late third. But, and I also don't think there's any way Penix lasts till, unless he gets some medical red flag, he doesn't last until the second, especially the mid-second. AI, Penix isn't going in the first. We'll see, AI. I, I feel pretty strongly that he is. He had a great week at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he's going. He got hit 19 miles an hour on the field out there. He's going to run probably about a 4.6. He's going to throw great at the combine. He's got two years of great production. Um, the age thing will factor, and the injury history will factor, but I don't think that that overrides him enough to just drop off all that plus stuff on the plus side. So I see him as a top 20. King says, loving the uh, Jackson Powers uh, hype in the chat. Really thought a lot of people would be down on that idea since he's a center. I think people are, right, maybe I'm selling them more and more, warming up more and more to the idea of, of building up this line a little bit more, especially when it comes to center king where it does seem like we've been light and lean there for quite a bit of time. It doesn't hurt too with a guy like Jackson that you can also play him at guard if you need to, if you feel good about what you got in the team. So it's like kind of sets you up two for one a bit with that. 
Lord Boom says, I believe you only trade back when you either desperately need depth or new people. I think this is a more uh, draft where we take the best possible player at the pick, whichever pick. It's possible. John's track record has definitely been to add picks to the Lord, and it's uh, definitely not about just adding extra picks just for the sake of adding picks or bodies or depth for me, Lord Boom. It's more about trying to get a certain amount of extra picks in a certain area of this draft. I think the, set, the, area, the strength of this draft is in tier two, or what would go from essentially pick about 11 to pick about 60. So if I can get a, as many picks into that area of things, I'm thinking I'm getting some of the better talent in this draft and, and having more chances at the best talent of this draft at this point outside of the blue chip players. Um, so that'd be just where I would look from it on. But maybe they go that route with it. Ja VXX, VFX, I have a friend who's a Dolphins fan. I think taking one of their linemen should be on the bottom of our list. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. Uh, Hans, I think we get big cat. We don't need a top lineman. So getting a D line in the second and third would be ideal. So you have uh, the first or if you trade those for the interior offensive line. I would agree with that. Uh, that would inform a bit of my outlook as well. There'll be some maybe exceptions early on in those rounds, Hans, like I did with my mock on the Tavondre Sweat because there's just so few one-tech nose tackles in the draft, uh, especially ones that are really talented. But I'm okay with going that. I think that's reasonable. Ricardo says trading back could make sense. Depends on how the draft shakes out. I've seen mocks where Fatano and Newton go in the top 20s. It's possible. It's early in the process to kind of get the true gauge of where those guys will fall out at. And I will say, with, with Fatano being that he's going to be at a left guard, rec, uh, Ricardo at the NFL level, that that's where he is, is due to be out at. I don't know if that's, teams will look at him in first-round value at that point. I think very early in the second round, sure. But that's the one that it, typically those guys tend to land there. King says, and realistically, you don't have enough draft capital to take advantage of this draft. Moving down, getting better positional value, and grabbing extra picks to build the rest of the roster is probably the way to go. Exactly what I was looking to do on this one, King. That's exactly what I did in my mock. Kirk says, why does everyone think Penix is so good? He has uh, horrible mechanics, bad processing, and can't play well without an elite O-line. Um, well, I, I, I didn't think that he had bad processing in the tape that I watched. Um, I appreciate everybody's opinion where you might, if I'm sorry, if we fall in dis, where I might not fall in uh, perfect alignment on you guys with some of the outlooks on it. I can only go off of how I scout and see it. Um, I, I don't think that if he's got, um, horrible mechanics or can't process that he would put up the kind of seasons he's put up the last couple of years. Um, I see really good processing from him. I see him going through multiple reads. Um, I see him looking off safeties. Um, I see him changing plays. I see really good pocket mobility and his ability to evade rushers with subtle pocket movement. Um, I see a, a, a plus plus NFL arm out there when he uncorks it. I see very good a accuracy from within the pocket. Now, are there some negatives to the game too that I'd point out? Yeah, I think throwing on the run, his accuracy dives uh, heavily and that's something that he's got to work upon, um, You know, throwing off platform. I think it certainly is an unusual throwing motion but we've had guys with unusual throwing motions, Kirk, like Philip Rivers, who've done perfectly fine in this league. Some, uh, an unusual throwing motion itself doesn't mean bad mechanics. It just sometimes means an unusual throwing motion. The ball comes out fairly snappy, um, very accurate. 
those this is some of the things I I would say that push him to me up to the the top twenty. And as I said, he's going to have better than average mobility um, from how people will see him. Um, fastest quarterback, even including guys like Bo Nix out in that field, Rattler out in that field. He's the guy who hit nineteen miles an hour. I think he's going to run that nice range of things, and uh, this is going to push him up. I do think he needs to have Kirk a great offensive line to work with, but is there a team like the Broncos picking at 12 who feel like we have the great pass protection in place, so that's going to set him up well, and now we can make the rest work? Yeah, I think they will. A team like that will. King Bomber says, generally speaking, I don't like trading down, but this draft really screams trade down for Seattle. Yeah, I, I'm not a big trader down guy either. It's just this is one that, that's how I see it too with this draft. It does just feel like one that it makes a lot of sense to do so. Swedish Shinobi, will Mac have Mike Moore stay in the 295 range or shed some weight to get closer to his Michigan weight? Um. I think you'll have him stay as a three-tech Swedish, stay at 295. You can get away with the 300-pound edge in college. I don't, I don't, or, you know, because he was still at 280, I guess, in college off the edge. But I don't know if you can get away with having a 280 edge at the pro level. That might be a little bit too, too much. Uh, Justa, 12, thank you for becoming a member of the channel. I appreciate you, Justa, for doing that. We got a uh, call-in show for members of the channel tomorrow, uh, Thursday, 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So just take a look at your community post there. You'll find a link to that for the uh, call-in show for members tomorrow. Uh, Corey Olson, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, would you take Jackson Powers Johnson at 16? No. No, I wouldn't. I... I, I I really do feel like you got to move back off 16. And, and even if it's to move back to pick up a third rounder, if you're going 16 to 24, 25, um, you, you've got to do just something there to, to, to ply back off of that. Um, so I, I would try to pick up another pick. I think that that's got to be at the forefront a little bit here. And really, ideally, it would be to take a second rounder. Um, I think the only guy that would be a blue chip guy that could fall back into six, it'd, be, it'd have to be a blue chip guy for me to take him at 16. So it'd have to be a Powers, Talese Fuanga. Um, who could else, who else could be a, uh, you know, something like that. Not one of the receivers probably, but something like that. Jackson Powers is close to being a blue chipper for me, but not quite there. I have, I, I'll, I'll probably have him up by, in a first round grade, but not a, high first round grade if that makes sense Corey. i do love him though he's a really good player and i'm not gonna if they just decide we're taking the safe guy at 16 and we know what we're getting and we like it and uh you know it's not going to excite the fan base and maybe it's a little bit of an overdraft at that point versus taking him at 23 24 but we had to do that to make sure we didn't risk losing him i'm not going to hate it so i won't be angry about it but ideally i would it would be nice if we could kind of pull back a little bit on that stick you know and still retain and pull him in you know, if I got to go powers at 16 or go get to 24, 25, get an extra second rounder and then get Fatanu or get Graham Barton, the second option is so much better to me than that first option of Jackson. Um, 
Garth, thank you for another $10 donation, Garth. I appreciate you for that, man. Very, very, very kind of you for all the donations tonight. Brando, there are 32 teams vying for the three or four Patrick Mahomes in this draft. Can we package Bill Disley, a used Monte Carlo, and an conditional seventh rounder for one of them? <laughs> Only if we can get him in, uh, getting him in there and start having him do keg stands before we ask about the trade, you know. No, no, go do it again. Do it again. You here, I'll hold your legs. You do it again. No, no, no. Come on. Okay, hold on. Okay, so hey, uh, can we do a dra- trade with you? Draft day trade? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you want to do? Uh, we want your third overall selection. We'd like to get Jaden Daniels. Sure. <laughs> what are you gonna give me? Uh, we'll give you uh, Will Disley, our first rounder and a first next year. <sighs> okay. Yes. It's the only way that's going to work, Garth. <laughs> but yeah, that's another uh, another important part Garth brings up on this is not only are there so few of these Patrick Mahomes type quarterbacks out there in a given draft, this one in particular, where uh, what we could maybe say you've got your three guys that are are going to be kind of viewed a little bit in that way, supposedly, I guess a little bit in your Jaden Daniels and, and Caleb Williams and Drake May, that how many teams are going to be, as you say, vying for those guys? How many teams are going to be willing to give up a huge haul to go up there and get one of those guys, you know, because everybody's looking for that one guy. To me, that's a little bit of the thing with this whole quarterback thing is where some people are looking at the quarterback situation in the NFL and they're saying, let's let's chase what everybody else is doing. Let's go after what everybody else is trying to go after. This is one of those key points to me where I stand and I go, this is, this is actually a market opportunity. This is a market opportunity for a, a team with some imagination there doesn't just have to be one road to getting you down to going again the Super Bowl. Hell, we showed that 10 years ago. Did we win a Super Bowl 10 years ago on the back of a magical quarterback who, who was Patrick Mahomes and it was all on him? Or did we build up the great team? Did we get to back-to-back Super Bowls on the back of that methodology? It's the thing that gets me with this, me trying to sell this to people is it's like, you guys aren't buying what I'm selling you, but this got us there two years, 10 years ago, twice over this pathway and approach. Why does it only have to be the quarterback? Why does it all got to be around that guy when we showed it didn't have to all be around that guy? Even the other time that we got to the Super Bowl. In 2005, the three times that we've gotten to the Super Bowl as a franchise. We haven't had an MVP at quarterback. We had a running back at quarter. We had a running back as the MVP on that 2005 team. So it's kind of weird. Like, How do those three Seahawks teams even get to the Super Bowl, much less win one, if what you need is the magical Mahomes quarterback to go and win a Super Bowl. It doesn't add up to me. I think you can do it in a couple other ways. I think that that's one path to going. It is. I think it's a hard path because everybody's vying, as, as Garth said, everybody's vying for that path. Everybody's trying to jam their car into that lane and it's one of those country road lanes that's real small and there's ditches to the either side and you can't get around. And then there's these, all these other pathways of potentially that you could choose that require imagination outside the box, thinking a different approach. But I think you can get there in those other ways too. I do. I don't think it's just on that back of that one, the only one way to go win a Super Bowl is this. Because the last couple of years it's happened like by that. So then that means how that will be how it always will be into the future. Hmm. Let's take all of NFL history into account on this. Let's take 30 years of data into account on this, not just six years of data. Let's not cherry pick the recent years of Brady and Mahomes and their runs that they've had. Let's look at the full, full data scope of this, right? To try to get a little bit more of an accurate representation of the field here. But I think that I think it's definitely pushed 
folks into thinking on it for Garth, where it's like, well, you just you can get them homes and you're fine. Get your magical quarterback, your magical unicorn quarterback, and you're set. No problem. Uh, Snail, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, Tell me Jaden Hicks wouldn't be a coach, uh, wouldn't be a coach Mac, Mac player. <laughs> thank you for the $2 donation, Snail. Um, I like Jaden Hicks. I'm going to have a good grade on him, Snail. You know, and inconsistency is something that you are going to see uh, from guys at the college level. Um, it's rare you're going to find a guy that's just on point 100% of the time. And I got to say, though I have a couple of games that I've seen of Jaden that have stood out that I'm like, whoa, uh, there's some there's some rough roads here. There's also some tape that's really flashy and really fun and had me initially putting a third round grade on him. Um, so I, I like Jaden Hicks. And if they were to bring him in, I think that he has some potential to him and he can do a, a variety of different things from this the position that's nice to have. Um, there'll be some things to clean up with him too. But um, he's a good player. He's a good player. Very instinctive. Can both play in coverage and the run. We just got to get those bad games off his tape, Snail. You know what I mean? Vank88 says, I have a feeling super positive for the Seahawks here in the near future. Our coach grabs... And our, po our draft possibilities are doing well. Agreed, Vank? I think a lot of people got a good feeling about where this is going right now. It's uh, a lot to do still, a lot of work to get done, but at, at least you feel like you're starting to take care of some things that need to be taken care of for a while here. Thomas says, DK reminds me of a Marshawn Lynch. Why trade a guy who can take over a game and go up against double or triple teams? DK needs to stay. Amen. Amen. King Bomber Colson, I've seen graded as low as like 100, while some have him as late as a second. I yeah, uh, and that's where that's one of those ones where I will probably end up having a bit of a higher grade on him than others do um, out there in the uh, draft pundit sphere, because there does seem to be a lot that aren't quite as hot to trot him. Which I I get. I just I thought his tape was really good. Good do it do it all middle linebacker. That job killer says DK hate is crazy from Seahawks fans. I agree. Silly. Carl says, without DK, we don't have an offense, really. Lord Boom, Brandon, how about this? To all the DK doubters, DK has been the top five for, has been in the league for five years. He has over 5,000 yards plus. That alone makes you an insane person if you want to trade DK. Yeah, if you look at uh, DK Metcalf through the first five seasons of his NFL career, just the first five years of his NFL career as a wide receiver, and you measure it up against the all of the wide receivers in NFL history, and this isn't one, two, three, four. This is five seasons. So this isn't a sample set of data points that you're looking at. He's having uh, one of the collective top, what, 15 best starts to a career in NFL history for a wide receiver through five seasons. But, there's no way you want it. I don't know. Swedish says, DK has traits and skill sets that simply cannot be replicated, not even by community. To me, the conversation's dumb. Agreed. And AI, yeah, I agree. DK is going to, Grub will get DK the ball far more consistently than Waldron did. 100%.
Greg Kemp says, DK hasn't run deep crossing routes since Shoddy left. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, exactly. Swedish, I'm curious, DK, could utilize in a hybrid wide receiver tight end role similar to Kelsey or how the Saints would use Graham? Not sure if that would look much different than a slot, but I would love to see it if you tried. I don't know if you can do the H-back stuff with him. I, I don't know if that'd be as much his game, but certainly the slot stuff, Swedish, I think is, is certainly in his wheelhouse. And he showed that last year and they had him do it. Thomas, I feel Schneider all listen to trade. I, I always felt like DK's a building block, but I feel he's like Jerry Rice, Michael Irvin, Dallas, and Niners didn't trade them. No, they didn't. Good point. Those guys don't typically tend to get moved. Always listen to trades. I know what you meant there, Thomas. King says, quarterbacks are always pushed higher in terms of the draft pool, kind of like last, kind of like Levis last year and Fields in 2021. Do you think there's a QB that'll fall out of the current top three? No, because Caleb and Drake are so solidified in the top three. And Jaden Daniels seems to have pushed himself into that territory. If not three, then four. Everything seems very solidly put there right now, based on what I'm reading. Swedish Jazz should relinquish, just relinquish personnel control over to sell a true galaxy brain. <laughs> Uh, DeJane says, I wonder if Metcalf's annex was a part of the reason Pete was canned, maybe lost the locker room. Well, I would certainly, to your point, if DK was moved tomorrow and we learned that there's a trade and they're willing to eat that dead money, I would certainly come to believe that they're eating that dead money because there was something going on in the background that in the locker room that was problematic for him that was something that we can't see on the field. I would definitely say that that'd be pretty logic. Logic to logical to connect those two chords. Well, within reason. Yeah, see, Lord, if Bowers falls to us in the mock drafts, I'm all over that one. I'll jump on that one with two feet. Thomas says, I hate to say it, but I don't see Justin Herbert, Lawrence, or Burrow winning a Super Bowl. Schneider may do the Russell Wilson route to building the team, then get the quarterback. I think he's going to try to go back to that route a little bit. Yeah. I do. Um, I, uh, I, I do think that he... Uh, uh, I, it just it could make a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Um, Haran Sports, thoughts on Colson. I'm a huge fan. I love Colson. He's my favorite. He's just by a, by a nose ahead of uh, Coop, um, Cooper, Edrin Cooper of Texas A&M. They're, my, they're one, two of my best middle linebackers in this draft. With Colson, he's just got a little bit of an extra bit of instincts to him, a bit of extra anticipation to him. He's a thumper in there. He's got good size to him. His instincts are 
just on point all the time. Good, good tackler in space. A very capable blitzer. Um, drops in zone nice with a feel for things in zone. I think that the Etrin Cooper's got more of the physical tantalizing traits, but with Colson, I have a little bit more of I know what I'm getting. And he's got supreme fluidity, of course, with this Mike McDonald defense, having had Mike McDonald actually coach him. So Colson's a guy I love a lot, and he was there in my mock draft har, um, as one of the guys I took in my recent mock here. So very, very high on him. Yep, Flash, great quarterbacks don't grow on trees, man. It's hard to find those guys. Fans, I think, tend to think it just takes a commitment to drafting one. But that's not it. It's hard to find them. Randy says, anybody can be coached at quarterback. Mahomes was good, too. Uh, but don't you think, Randy, that maybe there's some also special talent to Mahomes that isn't exactly easy to find, necessarily? I mean... I don't know with Mahomes if it's just him being coached up. Why are you mad, bro? Someone was saying that the 49ers got $38 million to roll over to free agency. Is that true? Yes, but they put the 2025 cap really into the spot. So they, they've got the money to roll over, but I think they're sitting on a little bit of dead money as it is. So it, it puts them, it does put them into good in the plus side of this. But um, they had to do a lot of stuff to move things around to the 2025 season um, where I think it really starts to, they, they really get peppered at that point with their cap and where it's sitting. Um, some of this is also going to be to what happens with Trent Williams. Does he look to retirement? He's going to be 36, 37 years old, but yeah, they do have some space to work with. Kevin says, you can't really judge DK on a shit scheme caller and an offense whose identity was to show up and buy the fourth quarter. Amen. Arturo's, oh, you know, sorry, you're speaking to Megan. Long live the king. People want to trade two bright spots, K9 being the third on her offense, and somehow think the team gets better. Yeah, I don't understand it either, man. It perplexes me. Have a good night, car craze. Yeah, Basquiat, I hear where you're coming from, and there's a lot of people in the boat where you're at with the DK thing. I just, I can't agree with you on your outlook of he's a top 20 receiver with average hands. I, I think if that's if that's your way of looking at DK, like that's the the distillation of DK's game comes down to a bottom line. That That's your bottom line for him. I, uh, I, I've got to say, I think he's so much more than that. I also think Basquiat, as the folks that are bring up, as you are bringing up in the trade possibility of, of DK, aren't considering, as Mike Salk didn't consider in bringing this up, the fact that there's a huge amount of dead money that you have to eat Basquiat in order to move off of DK. You don't just go, well, I'm done with DK, and then free and easy, we're out of it, and we get the draft picks and all the money back on the cap. You're sitting on $23 million of dead money on the other side of it. 
Craig says Penix will not be a first-round quarterback. He's a good quarterback. I feel his head isn't in it or has in it. Well, I'm just, I hope all the guys on there saying he ain't going to be, they're going to be giving me props when I call the fact that he is a top 20 first-round quarterback. And uh, the thing that I think that gets missed a little bit on the folks that are saying there's no way Penix is a first-round quarterback is the understanding that it is not merely the evaluation of the quarterback himself that determines and dictates a first-round quarterback. It is the necessity of the position. Does anybody Was anybody really looking at Mac Jones when he came out of college and said, there's a first-round quarterback for you? He's a statue in the pocket and doesn't even have a plus NFL arm, but let's make him a top 15 pick. It's not just about the quarterback or the red flags of the quarterback or the upside of the quarterback or uh, this or that. It's also about how many teams want a quarterback, how many teams are, are thirsting for a quarterback, starving for a quarterback. They've been walking through a desert on their knees for weeks on end. And they just need that little, you know, that little puddle, that little puddle of quarterback that they can sip from. That's what ends up determining this stuff far beyond just in, in a vacuum where the quarterback is aligned in the mind of the evaluation of him. And guys like Mike, uh, guys like Michael Penix, and there aren't many that put the kind of production up he's put up the past couple of years, made the throws he's put on tape, won the games he's won, Shown off the traits he's shown off. Those guys don't typically fall into the second round. This isn't Will Levis, for instance, right? So if you try to make like the Will Levis comparison, another older prospect last year dipped into the second round, his last year of college was some of his worst tape, right? He wasn't finishing out on a high note. He was finishing out on a low note from the prior year. That was largely in part because he didn't have any supporting cast, but NFL teams weren't really going to take that into account. Michael Penix is not coming off some similar drop. He is the backup as a Heisman Trophy potential just about winner this off this season. All these things are going to carry heavy weight for NFL franchises if they don't carry weight, I know, with the fan bases. But um, he's more than done enough at this point to solidify himself as a top 20 guy. There's a reason why he didn't play in the senior bowl, for instance. And that's not because scouts are telling him that he's not going to be taken in the first round. There's a reason why Spencer Rattler is going out there and playing in the senior bowl. It's because scouts are telling him he's not going to be a first-round guy, so he's trying to raise his value. If you notice how Michael Penix didn't even play one snap in the senior bowl, you think maybe he's being told some information like, you're going to be a first-round pick. You don't have to do more work on this. You've done enough this week already. I'm just saying. Kind of adds up. Kind of tracks. Greg Kemp says, DK is a top 10 wide receiver and JSN lead the league in drops. By that logic, JSN had bad hands and Tyler also had more drops than DK this year. Yeah. And that's where, Greg, they're trying to grab onto a narrative that isn't exactly accurate, but feels right in their mind, right? And yeah, you, you can't take a whole receiver skill set down to whether or not you think you've seen a couple too many drops in their mind. Or you got to go, let me look at the stats on that rather than what I think in my mind with my, my biases, you know, like you talking about there, Greg, it's, it, there, there's much more to evaluating the position than beyond that. And if you're trying to simplify, as I always say in this, what I tend to find, and I know that there's a character limit, but when I tend to find arguments down here that are making some of these crazy outlooks on, or just wild outlooks on players or on situations, it tends to be a drive towards simplifying everything down to the bottom line, rather than taking into account 
DK and and uh, the, the physical, what he brings out there from a physical standpoint as far as demanding double teams and being a challenge on the outside for for one cornerbacks and how he blocks as hard as he blocks and showing up every week and being productive every single season that he has been in this in uh, of his career through five seasons. In fact, having one of the best starts to a career in five seasons. Like rather than going into all that, just he just has his hands, kind of hands, just his hands. And, and when I see arguments being driven down towards the simplistic nature, that means there doesn't seem to be the room to really evaluate all things and all items within the room. It's kind of like you're getting stuck on the couch rather than looking at everything that's all there throughout the whole room on that. And most of these arguments, debates, or back and forth we should have on this, whatever your stance is on a given player or on a subject, there should be more to be built on than you going to just some base one or two line things. You go to something like Gino and you're going, well, I know what he is, what he is. He's a bridge quarterback. You're trying to distill all this stuff down to this one phrase that encapsulates him because that makes it fast and easy, but it's not accurate. And the more you drive to simplicity, if you're in these arguments on looking at these players that have a lot of stuff that goes into it more than just simplicity, the more that you're not making your strong argument. You're looking like you're just sort of trying to skim the surface like Mike Salk was doing with that stupid ass article that he wrote two days ago. Skim the surface. Why just skim the surface when you can get to the depths? There's a whole depth beneath that surface. Get into those depths. Dive on in. Swan dive off the top mark. Hop on in. So much more there to learn. Uh, Copperwise, where do you see Pratt going in this draft? I see him as a fourth round guy. Active, real, real. Um, real nice arm for a, a small school guy. Got a little bit of a gunslinger approach back there. A little bit of decent mobility to him. Um, but I see him as a fourth round guy. You know, I, I, it's, it's good there. Uh, outside of the arm being a little bit of a wow factor at times, there's not a lot of extra there that, that jumped out to me. Han says, yeah, that's very true. The Robinson from Mizzou plays 295 all over the place, all over the line. Not realistic in the NFL, I think. No, probably not. And he he carries it really uh, he carries it really well. Um, does Robinson? I'll give him that, Hans. You know he does a good job. But we saw this last year too. We had uh, you had Mike Morris. Um, you had the kid from uh, Bowling Green. I think we had uh, what we had the Keon White guy. And remember with the kid for Bowling Green, here's a guy that was your top rated edge by PFF at his last year, but who went without saying he's getting kicked inside to the pro level because of the weight you just there's no way he can make that work on the outside just doesn't have enough of the the get off to get there thomas says Penix could be a left-handed cj stroud but i feel feel seattle needs to trade down or go bpa like if jane daniels brock bowers or someone else elite is there at 16 i think that's a fair outlook thomas i'm with it oh you have a good night Justa says, first stream I've ever given money to. Just seemed like a good deal. Well, thank you, Justa. That's very kind of you. Very, very kind of you. AI says, powers won't get past the Steelers to 20. If we want him, we can't trade back past 19. Well, that's where it comes into it for me. I mean, it's powers or I can fall to a 23 and pick up a Graham Barton and then get another Junior Colson in, in the late second round if that's what I'm picking up, you know? Uh, I'll go for the the ladder. I don't know that I've I see enough of a defining star trait in powers that makes me override to where I would do that versus the the ladder. 
<laughs> Leave Uncle Will Blum be. <laughs> Valentine says, go Hawks. Uh, Snuffalo Bill, of the top six quarterbacks in the draft, who do you think has the biggest, highliest likelihood of falling? Who has the biggest chance of getting drafted higher than expected? Ooh, it's a great question. Uh, I think the three guys at the top are solidified, Snuffalo. So let's just say top four picks, you're going to have three quarterbacks taken to me. No doubt about it at this point. Um, so that leaves Knicks and Penix. I, I think that Knicks has the highest potential to climb Snuffalo. I think Bo Nix has a potential of, of getting into the top 10 based on what I'm reading and hearing. The biggest faller in the draft, well, because you kind of get to a stage at that point where you have now the top four guys off the board and then you're, you're left at that point with um, Michael Penix, Spencer Rattler, as you're clear then two remaining kind of top endish quarterbacks. So Snuffalo, this does become one where I don't think that Penix is likely to fall, but Rattler is guy that's kind of trying to climb into second roundish range. So he's not really a faller into the third at this point. I don't see. So there's really only one guy that there's a likelihood of potentially falling in Penix, but I don't really see that happening in my opinion. Um, but in the name of answering the question accurately, I'll, I'll give you that as the name, but Nick seems to be the one that's really rising above Jane Daniels, of course. You're disgusted. The only way I see DK trade is the Bears, the number one pick, and the Bears first rounder. Possible. No, yeah, definitely. I, you get me listening at least on that. Boskia, the more I watch Caleb Williams, the more it screams potential bust. I don't think he's going to translate the NFL. Well, we found uh, uh, there's there's I have some agreement there with you, Boskiat, on that. I know we have I've got pretty healthy disagreement with you on the DK thing, but uh, I can I can be talked into. I don't know if there's definitely a bust factor there with Caleb. There's been quarterbacks in the past like uh, Johnny Menzel that were uh, highly reliant at the college level on playing on impro improvisation almost solely alone at times. And that that's something that you can't do at the pro level. Um, I still like him. I still would take the risk on him. But I understand that there is that risk that, that is there. Greg Kemp says, in a passing league, you want your best talent at quarterback and players who are good at catching the ball and players who stop pass catchers. It's well said, man. Camille Tumas, realistically, Niners should have won and they have a team, not Mahomes. Yeah, they should have. I mean, uh, you know, the coaching decisions in that game a little bit from from uh, Shanahan, especially, you know, uh, when you have a team that is relying on your coaching, getting it right in their play calling, getting it right in what they do is, is such an important part. Rather than like with our 13 team, it was really just go out there, play, be you, do what you do. You know, with the Niners, it's built upon, especially on the offensive side of the ball, your coach being smartly a bit ahead of that defensive coordinator. I think you can make the argument that he didn't really get ahead of Spagnola in that game and that that was as big a part to why they lost that game as anything else, especially into that second half when he went away from the ground game inexplicably. Um, but yeah.
Han says, even Lamar and Josh Allen can't do it. But yeah, they're worth $50 million laughing out loud. <laughs> uh, uh, there you go. I appreciate we come from Basquiat. I, I, you know, Megan, Megan's a Trojan, so she's going to have that with the background on, but I get where you're coming from on it. I do think he's going to still end up going number one with all, there is the risk there, but the upside is also there on that other side of it with him. And a part of playing off script and improvisation as Caleb Williams was doing had a little bit to do with the fact that you had an offensive line that wasn't in the best of shape. The skill positions, players weren't always super awesome for him on the outside uh, and a defense flailing. Um, but it's a hard evaluation too. Jeremy says, when will we finally get our Mahomes? How old will we be all? I, I, would, I would really like to watch another Seahawks Super Bowl win before wearing diapers. <laughs> well, we haven't gotten one yet in, uh, in uh, 50 some odd years of an organization. So I've had to wait my whole life. I've had to wait all mine. So I don't know what to say. Uh, Garth, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation and all your donos today, brother. Brando, I'm willing to eat my words on this, but Jackson Smith and Jigba's a punk. He'll be a great fantasy football player for the fruits who like that above wins. <laughs> Garth, choosing violence today. Uh, not, not feeling JSN, huh? Uh, is it because of that interview he gave where he was asked to ask about one thing he liked about Waldron? He went, uh... Is this live? Is this live? But uh, I think he'll be good, man. He, he really got strong as the year went along for us last year. And, you know, getting him into the right role, fitting him into the right thing. And then that's why I think he had that hesitancy and pause a little bit when they asked him that question. Garth is just probably didn't feel like always being put into the right kind of role for his success. And um, one place that I do think that Grubb is going to know just the way to use this kid and put him into the right positions to... Um, not only get the most out of him, but um, get him those high volume of target touches that you would like to get out of a first round receiver like this. Uh, even while you got other receivers on the roster, they're going to eat up their share of touches and targets. So, but uh, it'll be good for the fantasy folks too, Garth. That's true. That's true. And we'll see if you're right on that, man. We'll we'll see if he uh, gets diva-ish here in the forthcoming years. <laughs> Thank you for the dono though, brother, and all of your support to the channel. Pancho Hancho. Thank you for the $5 donation. That's a great username you got there too. Says, uh, I feel like DK would be the one to ask for a trade of this season. Don't pan out well on the offensive side of the ball, not the other way around. It's a great, great point. Certainly you can make an argument, as I was saying, about the fact the team hasn't always shown uh, an intrinsic understanding of how to best maximize DK's skill set, that that could grow to become very frustrating for DK. I know I get highly frustrated when I'm watching these games and I look over at the box score and we're midway through the third quarter and I've got week after week where you have one target, not receptions, right? Target. Times your quarterback looks and says, I'm going to just try to target this guy. And I have one target on the board for a DK midway through a third quarter. You know, I, I can't blame him for looking at that and saying, you know, I, I can do so much more than this. You know, my buddy A.J. Brown was with the Tennessee Titans and, you know, held down in a similar offense that didn't know how to use him at his best. He goes to Eagles and now he's up there, some of the best and the brightest in the league, considered one of the best receivers in the league. Could I not do that, have that same kind of, you know, um, same kind of huge jump 
if, if I was given that opportunity. And um, I think he could. I think he could make that argument if he wasn't. Luckily, though, Pancho is, uh, Pancho, I think one luckily part of this is that you are bringing now an offensive coordinator in who's going to get him those high volume of targets. You're going to have DK Metcalf with his most productive season this season, in my opinion. This will be a year where he gets over, I think he, I think he cracks right into 1,400 yards, 1,350, 1,400 yards. Because I, I think that the team's going to work to get him those targets and touches. And with it will come the productivity and, and, and catches and all that with it. So um, you're right. That's a possibility if it doesn't go right this year. And if you're talking about being a pro DK trade guy that you don't want him here, and I don't want to move it at all, but you're, uh, the possibility is way more easier to next year than it would be this year when he goes into the final year of his deal. So it could make sense going that way, Poncho. Well said on your part. Um, long live the king. Thank you for the $2 donation. He asks, uh, any truth to the new rumors, uniform rumors? They're only, they're only rumors at this point, king, because you have, uh, it was a, what a Reddit user put, put together the mock-up based on the description that he was hearing. Um, and that's what we've got so far. I think that the team was very much hearing how many fans, and not just fans locally, but nationally, were talking about how crispy and nice those uniforms were when they were the throwbacks. And to find a way to go with the new uniform while still um, including that old look in there is really, this is the smart, easy way to go on this one. And I think that everybody gets satisfied. Those people who want a new uniform and not the old get a little bit of the new. Those people that, want, that love the old and would love to see that full time kind of get that as well. So everybody gets kind of satiated on that one king, you know? Um, and it is about time. Usually when you look at how often we flip through jerseys and change jerseys, we're about due to be flipping through jerseys at this point. And I like that. If you're, if you're a team that's not a Raiders type team, you know, that has had your colors forever the same way or the, the same, everything's just the same way it's ever been, then why not change every 10 years? You know, why not update it? Go look, go look for your uh, timeless timeless look that you'll eventually stay with i'd be cool with that but thank you king poncho garth very very kind of you guys on your support to the channel here as ever please do folks if you could for me hit that uh like button just a little thing but a major thing in my heart ai thinks michael Penix's age and medicals are going to push him down we'll see We'll see on it. I would I would give you that those will be the biggest factors to potentially pushing him down. But uh, I do think that the good's going to override the bad on this one. And the big thing on this one, AI, I think, is going to be the quarterback-hungry nature of so many teams. When you look at those teams in the top 13 who need a quarterback, and then you look at the, team, the available quarterbacks that are going to be on the open market, Cousins, Russell Wilson, and uh, what do we got? And there's one other guy I think I'm missing here is maybe a third guy that you can get as a, as a true starter. It's a pretty lean group. So it's going to draw a lot of these quarterback-hungry teams to look into the draft to getting it done at that point. And I think that does push Michael up, but it is a prediction. Grace says, I said Penny isn't, uh, Penny isn't a first-round quarterback. I didn't say he wasn't going to pick in the first round. Oh, okay. My bad, Greg. Always compete. Greetings. Do you think trading down with Green Bay are 16 for their 24 and 41? Do you think that's a reasonable win-win trade? I do. Always compete. Yeah. 
And with Green Bay, uh, do they look at it like, is there, if there's a Romo and Dunzier there at 16, and you can move up to go get him, uh, does that, is that attractive to give Jordan Love another, another guy like that to throw to? Could be interesting for them. But uh, I'm very much in favor of moving back. Lance Johnson, if there are four or five, even six quarterbacks taken before we pick, blue chips slide to us at 16. Either we pick one or it's more valuable. You could. There's, uh, I think that there's really only 10 at most. Let me, let me count what I've, in my personal, outside of quarterbacks here, if we remove them off the board, I only really have one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got only seven blue chip guys at that point on my personal list, Lance. So even at that point, there's likely to be those blue chip guys gone. Even if you have five quarterbacks taken, the blue chippers are also probably likely gone by 16. I'm with you if one of them falls to, to jump on them at that point, but likely to probably be gone at that point. Monterey, if Penix guaranteed four healthy good years without having to give him a second contract, would you use a first on him? No, because to have him maximally effective, you have to have a good offensive line in place for him, Monterey. And we don't have that in place for him right now. I, and I wouldn't want to be working through all of his rookie contract trying to build up an offensive line to only have the offensive line right in the good spot to where now I got to go and basically pay him. Um. That's, that's where I think it's very important. Panks has got to go to a line already in place, and we just don't have that. Hans Van Nijn says, what if the Bears drafted Mahomes? Might not be talking about him right now. It's true. Circumstances always matter, Hans. You know, uh, there are rare quarterbacks that are just going to be so good. It doesn't matter where they go. It doesn't matter what situation they go into. And there's been a lot of quarterbacks in their in their life that have been ruined at times by going to the wrong place and that that has skewed their whole rest of their career i think it's a valid point to look at with that um i don't think just merely the fact he went to chicago would have guaranteed a failure of mahomes at that point but certainly having andy reed and and that offensive system and and that um chief's team that was so solid when he walked in uh was a big part of enabling his development and rise and him to get to where he is as a player I I, uh, I certainly think that. But um, I think he would have been a good talent just about anywhere he would have gone. Would he have gotten to three Super Bowls and all of where he's gotten to the height of the heights? Maybe not to that point, but would he still have been a really, really good quarterback? You know, it'd been a little bit like, you know, you can say maybe even a bit like a Matt Stafford thing. You know, Matt Stafford goes to Detroit. Well, what if, what if one day one, Matt Stafford had gone to the Kansas City Chiefs? What if the Chiefs drafted him with the number one overall pick? Has Stafford got four or five Super Bowl trophies at this point in his career? Maybe. Maybe. Jeremy, Jody Allen can afford a $75 million cap hit. Hell, that's a drop in the bucket for her. Salk thinks rich owner got that rich owner got that way by throwing millions of dollars away. <laughs> <laughs> Exact, exact the mundo, Jeremy. <laughs> exact the mundo. She'll eat a little dead money, but she ain't taking half the cat pit on a yearly basis. I don't think she's taking that.
Lance Johnson says, how many grabs does DK make that other receivers get blown up with a tackle and gets knocked away? DK instead inflicts the punishment. He does. He's hard to, to lay a stick on because you might, like you to your point, get just as likely to get injured like you did to that Niner uh, defender a couple of years ago who got left on the turf and DK standing up on him. And I told you, you're going to come to me, you better bring a full, full meal deal or you're going to end up hurting yourself. Nails, the only way trading DK makes sense is if we're tanking next year. That'd be about the only way, yeah. And you can just get the maximum value and you're just going to eat all that dead money. I mean, if you're going to do that, then just take it all to the ground. Cut Gino, cut it all. Cut Tyler. What's the point at that point? Just go all the way, go all the way. EVN says, even the Seahawks scouts have a top 50 rating for Pennings. I would think so. I think there's, I, I do think there's just, remember what those two, it just takes one or two teams in that top 15 to love him and need a quarterback. State that one. Uh, Greg says, my bad. I meant, uh, Greg says, Brandon, my bad. I meant to write JSN led the Hawks in drops and Cheetah actually led the NFL in drops. Tyreek. Tyreek a bad guy because he left the bad, is he a bad receiver because he led the league in drops? Well, and of course the guy like, you know, Cheetah too gets a tremendous amount of targets for DK Metcalf because that's the thing they would tell me to a Gregor. They'd be like, well, Tyreek gives you, Tyreek gives you so many more, uh, so many more catches. So, you know, like, I mean, yeah, he drops all those drops, but he gives you so many more catches than, and, and production than DK. And you go, well, yeah, but then he's also in, a, in an offense that has an offensive mind who knows how to target him. So Tyreek gets 171 targets. DK Metcalf gets 119. It's like a wee bit of a difference, right? Just a, a, a wee bit of a difference. Oh, by the way, too, folks, DK Metcalf's also a hell of a gamer in the playoffs. Set a, play, set a rookie record for most yards in his first playoff game receiving against the Eagles. The man's got almost 500 yards receiving in the playoffs. And he's not been in that many playoff games. So he also shows up when you need him to show up. Hans is the whole trading DK looks cool on paper if you list the trade. And that's about all there is to say about it. That's it. Yeah. Amen. Zorn 76, next two seasons is for roster development and draft a franchise quarterback. Expect him to definitely draft one in the next two years is for sure. Wayne G says, let's roll with Locke, trade DK to the Bears for fields and draft capital roll the dice. <laughs> oh, Lordy. So shocked by how many there are on the, on the DK pro trade. It definitely has caught me off guard this offseason a little bit. I saw a bit during the year, but I figured he had done enough to make that quiet down, but... I suppose not. I suppose not. Steve Dickman just got her. What happened is, you know, nobody's, nothing's happened, Steve. We're just talking about some potential trades. Some really like, others don't, you know.
Corey Endel, chance of Brock Bowers falling to the Seahawks? There seems to be, Corey, a little bit of uh, some momentum here now for people to start to quiet down a little bit on Brock Bowers for whatever reason. Um, I don't know if I haven't heard from NFL teams necessarily, but I'm, I'm hearing from some um, NFL pundits, analysts, and whatnot that they they feel that there'll be a bit of a maybe potential drop of Bowers, that he's not a generational tight end, that, that there's not that talent there. I I don't know if, you know, we get hung up on the terms like generational. I, I look at it like best tight end prospect to come out in probably the last five years, not named Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts being more of a receiver than a tight end. I, I think that that's, that's a guy that if he falls to 16 for me, just through that kind of view of it, I, I would say that you would jump on him at that point. Um, there is a chance that he does fall, Corey. You have the what I believe to be in the top. What I think is going to happen in the top 15 ahead of us is I think there'll be five quarterbacks taken. You're going to have Caleb, Drake, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix taken in the top 15. That leaves 10 other players at that point to be selected before we go, right? Malik Harrison's going to be off the board. Malik Neighbors is going to be off the board. I think Romo and Dunzier is going to be off the board. Alt and Fashano are your two are your two left tackles that will I think certainly be off the board at that point. So that's five guys. That leaves five more. I think Talise Fuanga, I think JC Latham will be two other tackles that are likely to be taken in that time period. So we have three other players. Are there any defenders that go inside that time period before Bowers at that point? Is there a corner like Quinion Mitchell or Kool-Aid McKinstry? Or an edge like Dallas Turner or Latu Latu? Or Zerzon Newton? Or Byron Murphy, who a lot of people think will be a top 12 guy. Now, if you start to get into that place and a couple more of these picks go along, they get picked in that way. Now, Bowers does dip and fall to us at 16. And I think that John will jump on him with two feet if, uh, if that happens. Car says, keep it classy, JSN. Uh, Corey Wilson says, uh, what's some later round quarterbacks that we could take a look at? <laughs> My later round list right now is actually kind of starting to fill up a little bit because I look at these guys more fifth, sixth round. Um, so I have JJ McCarthy as a fifth round guy. He's not going to go there. He's probably going to go higher than that, but I don't care. That's my evaluation of him and I'm sticking to it. Devin Leary uh, is another interesting guy out there. He can sling it a little bit. Um, Joe Milton, big arm. Decision making is a bit of a question mark. Uh, Jake Plummer just got done watching a little bit of his tape today. Doesn't have his, his dad's elusiveness quite as much. Might have a little more size than his dad. Um, he's He's got it's got some mobility to him, but he's, again, fifth-round guy. Doesn't have the strongest arm. Doesn't have the most mobility. Um, I don't think any of these guys got really... Like, Milton would have the upside. There'd be the bust factor with him there, too, in picking that. But those would be some guys in the, the later rounds. Sam Hartman, maybe in the seventh. But, boy, Sam's old, and his arm's weak and he's not very accurate <laughs> not much to go on with that kid guilty gunners has trade dk in our first round pick for justin jefferson no no because guilty you'd have to then eat the dead money for dk and then pay for justin jefferson on top of that you don't have the money you wouldn't have the money to make that work Uh, EMP, what I love is DK having three catches for 74 yards and a touchdown in the first quarter, and then we don't target him again until the fourth quarter. Exactly, EMP. That's where I come back to calling him just a top 20 receiver or saying it's just it's not his fault he didn't get in target at times. It's not his fault that they're not making more of a push to get him the ball at times. Um, and how they set him up in routes and just how they're targeting him. Um, yeah. 
It's part of my frustration as well. And uh, thank you, Corey, for all your donations. I'll try to get some more names that we can look at for some later round quarterbacks. So I am I am on the lookout for some more guys here. I was hoping Plummer would be a little bit more interesting out of Louisville, but he was just kind of got this weird habit too where he just randomly dirts balls over the middle at like on seven-yard in-cutting routes just in the middle of the field. He'll just dirt it. He like decides halfway into his throwing motion that he doesn't want to throw it, but he can't pull the ball back and ends up throwing it at the receiver's feet. It's weird. It's very weird. Wayne, we need all black uniforms from Bobby Wags. I'm with that. I'm with that. I don't know if the Raiders would let us get away with it, though. King Bomber, the 49ers wanting Pete Carroll at defensive coordinator is honestly so hilarious to me. Please hire him. Oh God, how funny that'd be. Yes, please do that. Please, please bring him to the 49er defense as a defensive coordinator. I will laugh my ass off. Calm Cal, Brandon, you're awesome, my man. Love for all your stream. My football Seahawks knowledge has increased tenfold ever since starting to watch you and Brennan. Well, thank you, Calm Cal. I appreciate that, man. That's definitely the goal is to hopefully educate and entertain if I can at the same time. Uh, entertaining is not always there, but at least the educational part will be if I can entertain. But uh, thank you, Calm Cal. Love working with Brendan too, man. We got the uh, B&B show going on track tomorrow. We'll be cooking it up. Hans says, my goal is Barton Fatano uh, and uh, Jackson Powers plus Sweat and McKinney. You get those guys, the combination of the likes you're talking about in there, Hans, sign me up. Sign me up for that. I would love that. News analysis, Hawks Nest, soccer teams get new uniforms every year. Changing uniforms would be a good thing for the Seahawks. Yeah. It's a fresh start, new start. Let's 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 fresh everything out, right? If you're starting new, start new all the way down the line. Three hours says I think it would be smart to extend DK now before he has a monster year with Grub. I see where you're going with it. Um, the only tough part with it is the team does not negotiate with players with more than one year on their contract remaining. Um, the other thing is, is if you sign him to a contract now, you still have two years of his bonus money off of the first deal remaining. So you have that bonus money sitting. Now you sign him to a new deal. Now you add the bonus money on top of that, combine it with the old bonus money on top of the base salary. And you're not really saving any money by putting him on a contract extension at that point. But I like the thinking behind it. I do. It's just the numbers don't quite fit out to it at the end of the day. Uh, Steve Dickman, I'm an Oklahoma fan. Uh, Randolph is a solid tier two quarterback. I like Penix. Yes, issues, but still young for developing. Yeah, Rudolph might be in that range. I'm, I, there's a little bit of a sample size there for me with him, Steve, in that um, you know it, this, the Steelers weren't eager to move to him real fast after moving off of just Pickett. I say nothing and not being able to, you know. So, uh, but he played well. He played well for them. I tell you what, I think, Steve, they're a team that's as much as any team out there are likely to go for Justin Fields. That seems to me the landing spot for Justin Fields as much as any spot is uh, Pittsburgh. Dustin Ruth, Brandon, was Jacob Beeson terrible? I just remember a preseason game where he looked really good and I liked his interview. Are there, back, are there guys like him that might come back as backups for cheap? There might be some guys out there 
then this is the realm we might have to go into, Dustin, because we don't have the money that we're going to want to spend on the quarterback. Um, I don't even think we're going to be able to afford to bring Drew Locke back at the same price we had him at last year. So you're you're probably going to have to go for a low-cost backup option out there. Um, with Jacob, I think it comes down to mobility, and you have to have some kind of mobility in this age to be able to get the job done at the quarterback position. If you're just a pure statue or you can't really throw on the move or on the run or off-platform, you know, you're really limited to what, you know, you're able to bring to the, the table at that point. But um, that seemed to be the thing that, that knocked him as much as anything else. Han says, I'm not a fan of the rookie struggle, the timeout, delay of game, misreads. So cutting Gina's is not an option for me. <laughs> NR, those 49ers really got lucky snagged Purdy, it turns out. Damn near won the Super Bowl with him. Almost. It was almost the perfect plan. It was almost perfect. Your plan was almost perfect until the butler saw you. Stephen says is a horse. Kevin says he's a gazelle. He's a horse gazelle. He's the combination. It's like a liger but runs really fast. Gibson, I expect, I expect McDonald to clean up the undisciplined play and penalties. Then offensively, we have the possibility to be more prolific, which will suit DK's talents. Cleaning up the, the play and discipline nature of things will be something I think is at the head of what McDonald's going to seek to do here. And yeah, there's some great returns coming from that if he can just clean that up real quickly right off the rip. And I think there's a lot of room to do so um, by getting a little more detail-driven in their approach at times. So, uh, yeah. I agree. It'll only help, can only help out DK at that point. Dax says, do we have a second overall or do we trade our only second in the big cat trade? We trade our second in the big cat trade, Dak, but we do have two third-rounders on the other side of it. King Bomber Bowers has been a surefire thing since the start of the season and teams might just have stopped talking about him and his stock might be dipping. Yeah, it's kind of weird what's seeing what's going on with him right now because he's just been so sensational the past couple of years. And he had a little bit of some injuries this past year, which maybe that's got people dipped down and maybe he didn't, wasn't able to play as quite as strongly with those injuries this year. But um, I don't know, man. He, he brought, you look at that, those two national titles they got, he was as important as any player on that roster through those two years and getting that job done. And it wasn't any one single player on the Georgia teams. I mean, they littered with NFL players, but I mean, if you were to pick one, he'd definitely be one of your guys on the list, right? Palestine says, we love you, Brandon and pumpkin. Well, thank you, Palestine. Pumpkin loves you too. Don't you? Yeah. You're lovey too, huh? You are. I know. Super lovey. That was that was very dramatic yawn. And very dramatic yawn. She's a happy girl tonight. She's chilling. Team Bomber says also I don't think Bo Nix goes before sixteen. If anything, I think it's McCarthy. Ah, McCarthy's getting that love. I I think I'm just I, I'm I'm in denial with McCarthy, I think a little bit, King Bomber, because I, I agree with you. I'm hearing a bit of the similar things of McCarthy rising. Um, we're hearing Bo Nix rising. 
Um, so it's more of just me making a guess more than it is my personal evaluation of where I'd put Knicks or McCarthy for that matter. Um, it's kind of trying to read a bit of the tea leaves at this point in the process a bit, but we'll have a little bit more of a clear understanding in another month from now, once we get into the combine, I, I think that the, that's like where we saw last year, it become clearer and clearer that indeed, you know, Bryce will be the first overall guy that indeed Anthony Richardson's moving up there. I think we'll get that clarity by the, by the combine. Kirk says if Bowers falls to 16, that will likely be the Hawks' best chance to trade back for the biggest haul. Could be. Yeah, that could be. I think something similar could happen, Kirk, if you have one of the, one of the top three receivers fall in there. You know, if a Dunzier falls in there at 16, could that drive one of the teams at 20s? You know, could a, could a team like the Chiefs go, ooh, a Dunzier is there. You know, we'll give up this and this to get up to get a Dunzier. Maybe. Seahawks in a good situation. Steve Dickman, off subject. Any news? Any news? One where that ambidextrous quarterback signed for college? I have not heard. I'm sorry, Steve. What's up, Don Don? Happy Valentine's Day. Hey, hi, Hartman was horrible in the Senior Bowl. <laughs> it's, it's rough. It's rough when you're an old quarterback prospect with uh, below average arm strength, a lack of mobility, and you're inaccurate. It starts to become a little hard in finding your uh, landing spot in the NFL. <laughs> you know? Uh, Arturo says, the Hawks nest keep DK in my opinion. He's a good player. I think overriding, that is the overriding opinion. I think that that's a high majority of the opinion, which is good to hear Arturo, uh, frankly. But uh, I do think there's a weird amount of segment. There's a, a weird amount of numbers to me in the Hawk fan base that do want to see it. Where I go, really? Hmm. Greg says, Brandon, I think it's because people think Brock Powers has short arms and doesn't even weigh 240 while having some injury concerns. So they're waiting for the draft combine before they hype him up again. I guess I get that. I, I, I guess I get that a little bit. Sure, it does look 240 to me on tape. Most of the time, Greg, when I watch those college guys, I tend to find myself going the other direction where I tend to go, man, you know, I'm watching this middle linebacker listed 235 and he looks more like he's 220. And maybe I just got to go back and look at Bowers' game again this this year. And, and you know, maybe it's, you know, sometimes you got to go back and read and look at it. And that's why I say it's always a process, not just looking through once, but going back and checking these guys out again just to to make sure of it. So... I definitely don't think he's in the Gronk area that might have th thought kind of initially even last year that he was sort of the Gronk-like guy. I mean, probably softened a little bit on that one of it, but man, he still feels, every time I've turned on the tape with him, he just jumps out to me. And there were some games even this past year, Greg, and watching him where he was kind of carrying the Georgia offense. You know, they had none of the guys from the prior year. You lose your quarterback, you know, you've had a lot of talent drain out of there and kind of was all on him a little bit. Dak, I think Greb will fix a lot of DK's issues. I agree, Gre I agree, Dak. I agree. King says, he's the best pure tight end prospect in the last five years. All for you at 16. He's the one guy I think we should really take at 16. He's not there. Move back 100%. That's where I stand as well with the King. I, I, he's the one guy there that if he does fall into 16, I think you do sit. I think, the, I think the other guys that might fall to 16 that might be blue chip guys might not exactly fit to being a need you need, a, 
Fawanga could fall in there. Uh, um, though I think he's probably taken up in the top 12 at this point. But, um, you know, Odunzie falling in there, you know. Jeffrey says, keep the action green, though. Those are the heat, hot heat. <laughs> Kings out. Can you believe Steve Wilkes got fired, Brandon? He kept Mahomes to single digits in the first half. Scapegoats, man. You know, they don't always make a lot of sense, but they usually serve their function and serve their role. And that will be probably enough to placate a fan fandom that's a little bit surly right now in, in regards to Shanahan and his approach in that game. So uh, my feeling is that really nobody on that Niner team deserved to be fired. Um, did Shanahan make the mistake with the overtime call? Did he, could he have called a better second half there and, and certainly could have committed more to using McCaffrey in that second half like he'd used him in the first half? Yeah. But is that enough to get the guy fired on itself with all that he's done that is good and with all the winning that he has gotten done? I think so. And with Wilkes, you know, I mean, he didn't take, he didn't, that Niner defense didn't dip under his watch. They didn't fall apart under his watch, but I'm sure Shanahan's looking at the, the the points that Detroit put on him in the playoffs at home, and and then on uh, certainly what was happening there a little at the end. Uh, but they're the Niners are in some painful state right now. You're looking online with them, and they're they're feeling that Super Bowl loss. It's kind of getting close to the territory of the pain that's very almost equivalent feeling to what we were going through after the 2014 Super Bowl, right? where you've got finger pointing going on, you've got locker room unhappiness being voiced publicly, um, coaches being, you know, thrown under the bus, you know, players going against players. It's, it's a little bit of that. And uh, I don't know if it's going to serve to knock off their whole, their whole run here, but uh, it ain't going to help. And we already know that that Super Bowl window with this team is, though it is still open, is starting to shut and something that can help as we as we saw with our team our lb team you know when you get this internal strife if you've got a window that's kind of coming down like this that internal strife can be enough to slam it all the way down fully shut and it may may prove to be the case here for this niner team which would you know make me very sad maybe so sad why they gotta fall apart why they gotta fall apart What's up, Kings Al? I love Graham Barton, honestly, as a potential guard pickup. I love him too, King. I, I have a hard time separating between Barton and Pooper, Cooper Bebe and Troy Fatanu. Man, they just all kind of fit. They're different players, but they all just feel like they just will get the job done for me, whoever I put out there. But he's awesome, is Barton. And uh, love the, the, the flexibility and versatility he offers, being able to play both on the outside, kick into guard. Gives you a gives you a backup insurance option for Abraham Lucas. King says the best finisher I've seen on on low line in some time. I love finishers, King. They just they wear out those defensive linemen. They really do. They just stay on that block twenty four seven, keep you fighting through the whole course of the play. Three hours says I'd say inside a uh, offensive line, linebacker, safety, tight end order. We need if we cut Adams and Diggs. Yes, I agree with that three hour. By the way, we should go.
Addicted to Hawks asks, Brandon, have you seen any of highlights of Jaheim Bell, Florida State tight end, uh, keeper at approximately 120-ish IMO, Braylon Allen, best bruiser running back, third round? Uh, I have looked at both of those two players. Uh, Jaheim Bell, um, he's an H-back. Uh, two solid years of production from him. He's about 6'3", 230. So, you know, he's going to be missing a little bit of size for the position that you'd like. But as a yak tight end guy, he's really nice. Um, and certainly this is going to be a, a, a spread offense that's going to look to get the, the ball in guys' hands and let him work up the field. Um, his run blocking is atrocious um, to the point that I wonder if it's almost best to potentially move him to wide receiver. Uh, the Boston College game in particular showed what he could do best, and that's work with the ball after the catch. He's got stiff hips but he still strangely breaks tackles with creative moves and quick reactions. Um, I wanted to see him as a run blocker against Clemson, for instance, on some of my notes, but he only had eight run blocking snaps in that game and none of them were any good. So uh, there's a little bit of a limited component to him. What he brings that's bright is bright and I like it and it's specific in his skill set. But the inability to block is a problem and he's not the only tight end in this class that has that issue um braylon allen my comp for braylon allen would be a cross between derrick henry and leonard fournette but not really either of those two guys as far as from a, a burst explosiveness standpoint doesn't quite have the long speed of henry doesn't have kind of the the explosive burst that fournette displayed coming out of lsu um, he's a big back that runs downhill and possesses an unusual burst for his size. He even then adds some buildup speed and had a few long runs on his resume in 22, including a 96-yarder and a 75-yarder on his way to averaging 8-point yards per carry last year. Um, he's like Derrick Henry with the size. If you let him get up to full speed, guys just start bouncing off of him as he starts running along. You know, he's just, he becomes, it's like a running in front of a freight train. You know, you're just, you're, it's not even him doing moves. He's just so big and moving so fast that you can't do anything about it. Um, he does run a little upright from, from my taste, um, which makes him a little bit like what Derrick Henry runs up, upright as well. So it doesn't, that's not a, a nullification for Henry. Um, he does run like a man lighter than 240 pounds, keeps his feet well through traffic. You have to wrap him up to bring him down. Um, tackle attempts at the side from him have a heavy fail rate. You got to come at him heads up plus vision and quick instincts for the position. I've been a little bit surprised. He's not put up a little bit higher. I thought he'd be more of looked at as kind of a second round kind of running back, but a lot of the boards I've seen him at have him put like third, maybe even fourth round. Uh, I think if he goes at six two two forty and goes out there and runs a four five, then he's going to get into the second round. Uh, maybe it's more likely he runs like a four six ish. But um, he's a fun back. Bruising back is the way to put it. Addicted to Hawks, probably the best big bruising back in this back. Best bruising back in this draft. Say that five times fast. Uh, and I like that. So third round, yeah, I think you, you that's good value to go with on. And I like his upside. Eight yards per carry the previous year, and that's not on like just twenty five carries. You know, that's as the lead back last season. So two solid years of of, of production there. Hans, um, sign me up for Barton, Hans. I'm with it. I, I'll be applauding on, on draft day if we take Barton. Applauding. King Bomber, they might go with Reed through the season. Remember, King Bomber, he's got that ACL tear. So he, it kind of depends on where his health's going to be at a little bit too. 
King's Owl for tight end. I love Kansas State Ben Sinnott so much. I do too. Kind of a little bit of your, this year's, uh, he's a little bit, kind of got some similarities a little bit to uh, the, kid, the kid that was taken last year by Detroit uh, who had such a good year. He's not quite as good a player as the kid out of, that Detroit took this year in the second round. I think Sinnott's more of a third, fourth round guy, but really good run blocker and, and maybe, maybe your best run blocker in this draft. Outside of now, Varner's your best run blocker in the draft, but Sinnott might be your second best run blocker in the draft for the tight end position. Means if we're walking tight ends, if we're talking tight ends, he's done a lot for them in the red zone. Nice big frame. He's good. He's a good player, King. I think he's just a little athletically limited in, in some of the route running I watched. But strong hands, great blocker, solid prospect. King says, ideally, some of the mocks I'm seeing have potential to move back to the mid-20s and move up to the high 30s to grab JPJ and Newton Murphy. You can see a little bit of why I wanted to take that route with my draft. King's, King Bomber. I don't know if I'll get the returns or we'll get the returns in moving back like I tried to move back, but I would target two, two twists back. Twist back at 16 to 23, 24-ish. Twist back 24 to 30. Hopefully, collectively come out of that with at least a second and an additional low third-round pick. That would be the ideal to me in this particular draft. Because I think the collective of what you'd get from those picks in that part of this draft versus just taking a guy here and only having one of those picks is going to be so much of a better offset. You disgusted. Bro, Niners are falling apart right now. Fans want Kyle gone in the front office, just extended him. It's ugly right now. Brandon Ayuk's already looks like he's racing to get out of town. You know, got players calling out other players on Twitter about blowing their blocking assignments. It's not a great look right now at the moment for these guys. They're they are they're fighting through it. And I'd have some sympathy for them, but they're the Niners. And I never have any sympathy for the 49ers. I take Marshawn Lynch's t track when it comes to the 49ers. You know, I let him be my guide. He's my spirit animal when it comes to um, my outlook for the 49ers. Guys, if we trade back to 21, have the Dolphins take JPJ at uh, that spot? They might. They might. He's definitely getting a lot of heat on him. Third, six, seven, two of them, but jumps like a hurdler. He has some big hops. Oh, yeah. Even part of McCarthy's rise is, I think, his potential because he's so young. The praise he's gotten from Arbaugh and his protecting of the ball has raised his draft stock. I, th I think that's that's all fair with it there, King. My thing comes down to it is that those things are not necessarily the most important, impactful things you want to have in, in your quarterback as far as the things you're first looking for, you know? Um, and that's the part that I pick on with JJ where it's like, okay, arm strength. Uh, maybe right at league average, if not a smidge below. Accuracy, probably right about league average. Processing below league average. Uh, arm strength. I think he's got a low league average arm. I, I just, 
the winning thing I get, all those things should be certainly weighed in in his in his evaluation, what Harbaugh says, weighed in in his evaluation, but these other things should be also weighed in with it. And they seem to be being ignored a little bit. It's all like, well, he's a winner. Well, Harbaugh said that he's he should be a first-round quarterback. Well, there's, you go, well, you know, what about this other stuff, though, that's all valid and can't really get around? You know? Helped a lot with the TCU championship. That'd be Wiley. He's out. Long live the king. Shanahan looked like he wanted to start punching the air and crying. He kind of did. He's definitely got the, the depressed press conference thing down pat. King Brian has been moved to safety. If the new staff determines he's a better slot, then two safeties would be needed. Or even on the outside, King. Maybe McDonald thinks that he's best to be putting back in the outside where you draft him there. Yeah. You might end up needing a couple safeties here. Great camp. Brandon, do you remember when I asked you about right guard Christian Haynes? I saw he did great at the Senior Bowl. Uh, seen as a stock riser, what'd you think? I think the Hawks will look at him as a cornerback prospect. Yes. Um, I believe I have looked at Haynes. Let me get my notes up on him. Uh, 6 2 3 13, solid guard prospect. Uh, he's got tools to work within a mobile-based blocking scheme, which I think stands out the, the biggest here because, of course, let's remember with Grubb here now, we're going to need, Greg, uh, the mobile guys. Like, that's got to stand out ahead of, every, of anything when we're looking at these offensive linemen are the guys that can work in space. Um, he is very snappy out of his stance and gets to his spot quickly. He then brings quick hands to strike, and so always he... Um, and look quick to his block. So he just always looks like he's the quickest guy in his block, even when he's getting out into space, because he's so snappy out of his stance and the hands are so quick that it's almost just like he's right on top of guys. And it just, it just part of what I love about him in a mobile-based scheme is that he gets to where he needs to get through quickly, gets there on time, under control, and uh, he's got both the feet and the hands working together, which sometimes these offensive linemen, one works, the other one doesn't, you know, feet are working, the hands are null and void, hands are working great while the feet just can't, they can't pick and pick up and put down their feet. Um, a better pass protector than run blocker. His light feet, wide build, and active hands make him hard to get around. While as a run blocker, his pad level will rise like the tides, and he can lose his share of reps by a leverage loss alone. This can come. This can come to bite him as a pass protector too, as bull rushers can work him back. But he recovers better than as a run blocker and redirects them off the quarterback. He's, a, he's, he's got a fun lineman's mentality when he's working to the second level, looking to lay guys out, not just get his block. So just a couple things off of these notes and just remembering this guy a little bit more further and what I remembered about this. At 6'2", 3'13", I didn't like the pad level getting as high as it would tend to get, Greg. You'd think the guys at the 6'2", six, 3'13", are coming up into the leverage. They're coming up into the chest on the guys that are 6'4", 6'5", that they're dealing with on the defensive line. So him constantly getting high was not my favorite thing to see, but it's correctable, fixable, and with that natural leverage he brings to play, you'd think he'd have a way to do it necessarily. Um... So he's got to work, work on a couple of things in there, but love is fit for this offense. Love the mobility that he provides. I can see him as a guard or a center prospect at the next level. If you were to take him in, let's say, the third-ish round, I think, third, maybe fourth round I got him in. I, I, he might be even a bit higher than that in a lot of people's realm, but let me see where I've got him set at here. Yeah. Oh, I've got a second-round grade on him right now, even. So... I put a pretty high grade on him at this point. I might have that dip to more of a third round, but 
I'm not going to hate it at that point. It's investment in the offensive line. He's a solid prospect. He's going to play in this sport, Greg. And like you said, he showed up at the Senior Bowl. I think he was one of the top-rated linemen. Let me check my notes on that as well. So I got those right here. So Christian Haynes was named the top offensive lineman of the American team. And that's no small thing for a guy at UConn, playing a little bit more of a small school guy. Um, probably third round would be where I'd love to, to be able to target him at. But love him as a fit, Greg. Very good player. Very good player. Center or guard, either one he can handle. Though I think he did just guard at the college level. Kirk, I don't know if the Seahawks will keep Reed Love, and Reed may not be viewed as a starter. They will also need backups at all those positions. Hard to say at this point, Kirk. I think Reed stays, or Love stays. Um, Kirk, I think the reason Love stays is because he has he's one of the only defenders on this defense, absent Mike Morris, that has familiarity with this scheme. He comes from Martindale. Martindale comes uh, in connection with McDonald's, so he's going to be able to do a lot of the things that McDonald's going to want his safeties to do, specifically play a variety of different roles. <clears throat> Dak, I'm not against the idea of drafting a quarterback to sit behind Geno. I just don't think there'll be one worth a 16th pick available. Is it possible someone like Penix would fall to the third round? I, I can't see there being any absent Michael having some crazy medical x-ray or MRI that he gets that shows him have some horrible issue. There's no way that Michael Penix is going to get out of the second round. Um... I agree with you. I don't think that the value will be there in the 16th pick to do it. I think Penix doesn't get out of the first round. I don't think he's going to last to our pick, Dak. And I think what's going to happen is that a lot of guys that we might think would have been good targets for us in that second, third round area a couple months ago are going to find themselves moving up in the draft in a way to where it just, the price is too much. You know, guys are getting quarterbacks who are going to essentially get overdrafted this year a little bit versus what really truly their talent level should allow. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of stuck there, Dak, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of this was hurt to Dak by the fact that you had so many quarterbacks go back to college. Your Riley Leonard's, your Quinn Ewers, your uh, Cam Wards, you know, a litany of these guys went back to college this year who all would have been in that second or third round range. So you got to kind of make do at this point, just call the ball on that one. Uh, Rob Terrell B, have you watched any tape on... Trey Taylor, Air Force safety. Reminds me of Kyle Hamilton. I have not. I'll, uh, I'll write down his name, though. Yeah, I hear you, Kitty. Trey Taylor, I'll take a look at him. For sure. Kirk Stemmer, would you take all the dead money cap this year or next year? All the dead money cap. Kirk, if you could maybe just post if you can. Thank you for the donation. If you can post into the into the chat, what what do you mean by would you take all the dead money cap this year or next? Um I, I, I'm going to guess what you're asking here. So if I'm off on my guess, just repost in the comments of what you meant on your comment, your question. Um, if you're asking, do I, do I want to just cut all the possible dead money away and just cut off any bad contract this year and go all the way down to nothing and just sort of punt on this year? I wouldn't do that. That wouldn't be my outlook. And, and, and certainly would have you look to the first ups, uh, start of the show here when I went live today and just kind of the breakdown of what I would do and how I would approach the cap situation because I would look to cut away and free up some space here but I'm not going to go hog wild 
um, in that manner anyway. I would have a pretty, I think, you know, middle ground approach with how we cut some of the contracts. Cut away the bad, slice away what you need to slice away to do your normal order of business. Um, but don't just completely decide next year you got no chance to contend and then it, next year's a complete punt. Um, but again, I'm not, it was a little bit worded kind of vague on your, on the deal. So I'm not sure if I exactly answered your question on that. If not, please do just ask the question a little bit on what, what you might've meant with that. And I'll, I'll definitely address it below. Randy McDaniel, thank you for the $5 donation. This guy says, I've got a working theory. Pete didn't like the big guys. If you ever heard him in a presser, he'd, he'd make fat jokes and threw shade at guys. Why he avoided the line. <laughs> well, thank you for the $5 donation, Randall. Uh, you maybe could be right. I, I do I do remember uh, the few times you would hear Pete maybe throw a little bit of shade would be tend, in, tend, would tend, tend to be around in an area where he thought guys were maybe a little out of shape. Guy that had a little bit of bad weight on them. So I definitely remember Pete being very anti-fat uh, guy, it seemed like, at times. So, hey, that'd be an explanation, Randall, for why he went so lean on addressing the offensive line through the years and the defensive line at that, too. I mean, it, it was both sides of the line. Remember last year, we're going, okay, we're moving off four of our defensive linemen last year. So, Pete, you got to address this defensive line, right? You got to hammer this defensive line, right? Oh, we'll go get Mario Edwards, Jaron Reed, and we'll draft Cam Young, and we'll be fine. What? What? Uh, that's not going to get the job done. And uh, and it didn't. It's not, it wasn't enough. But that's as good an explanation, Randall, as any I've heard, man. Because I don't have a good excuse for it. Or a guy that, that talks about completing the circle of toughness, but doesn't create a lot of toughness on his lines of scrimmage, and the, the talent or the guys that he brings in kind of runs counterintuitive to his, his base philosophy, right? Just doesn't add up to what, how, why have this base philosophy if you don't adhere to it? Yeah. So I'm with it, Randall. It's possible, man. Very possible. And thank you, man, for the donation. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you so much. Uh, Alex Glasgow, thank you for subscribing to the channel. Folks, you could be like Alex as well and sub on up the channel. We're pushing towards 20,000 subscribers this year. We're on the road already, so can help us get there all the much more faster by subscribing up like Alex has done. Thank you for that, Alex. I appreciate you for that. Hans, yeah, Jaron Reed does, does remain. He's a good player for us. We asked him to play too many snaps last year. We, we asked the same of Leonard Williams at one point. Kings is also, we're currently fourth in odds for drafting Bowers, so definitely have a shot to fall to 16. I like it. Boy, I, I would be a happy man on draft day, King Bomber, for the first thing we're doing is getting Bowers right off the rip. <laughs> Mr. Dog, what's Big Cat? Big Cat's Leonard Williams. That's his nickname. King's out. The thing with Bowers is that when you see him, he just looks lean, but his blocking is above average. His hands, though, and yak is next level. Fair assessments. Very fair assessment. Big Docs, Brandon, Edrin Cooper or Colson, if you have a shot at him in the draft, also is either a better fit in McDonald's defense. I don't think either is a better fit in McDonald's defense other than you could say Junior Colson's actually been coached underneath Mike McDonald. So he understands the scheme walking into the door. Like his, his learning curve is going to be so much more ahead of Edrin Cooper. 
I think Colson's also a little bit more of the well-rounded. He's got the I's dotted and T's crossed in his game and his preparation to be a pro right now. Edrin Cooper is more of your toolsy guy who's really got that upside to him. In fact, probably has the most upside of any middle linebacker in this draft. They're neck and neck for me, addicted to Hawks. I have them with both early, low, second-round grades. Um, you could go with either one, and I think I'd just about be equally happy. But that would be my assessment. Is they're both pretty much great fits for the defense. Um, Colson, maybe just the edge because he has the familiarity with the background at Michigan. Arturo, I like uh, Edifon Olafoso as well. If you could combo up and get a guy like, you know, Junior Colson, second round, come back in the fourth, fifth round and get yourself Edifon, then, then you might be able to address your middle linebackers right there alone. Very good players. Kirk says, the biggest problem we have right now is that we have no history to draw from on what McDonald wants in his players. It's true. And if Brian moved back to safeties, we could be seeing three safeties. He could, yeah. Definitely. Jared Wiley. Okay, I figured that's who you were talking about. I like Jared Wiley. And I didn't I had him picked in my seventh round of my mock. Kind of got some Jay, he's got some Kelsey movement to him a little bit, you know? He's not Kelsey in his upside. He won't be a second rounder year like Kelsey was, but he's got a little bit of Something to him. Greg uh, Wiley, Senate, Span Ford, my favorite tight ends. Those guys got a great skill set, man. All of them are really big, really big catch radius. Fairly, fairly good complete skill, fairly good complete skill sets. Wiley can't, Wiley's a willing blocker. He just gets thrown around. Senate can block. Span Ford struggled this year with the blocking pretty bad. It's kind of a down year for sport, Ford versus the tape last season. And Payne Wilson's nice, King Zhao. Got 30-inch arms, though, man. 30-inch arms. Got them T-Rex arms. Three hours, I'd take Colson Cooper first, Eichenberg later. That'd be a good combination. Uh, Arturo says, the Hawks, I think Shanahan bottled the Super Bowl for San Francisco. I understand somebody saying that. I think definitely coming down to some of those coaching decisions is where you could really lay lay things down. I mean, the special team was play was kind of random, missing the extra points, kind of random. But some of the coaching decisions and his his approach to play calling in that second half. It's weird the Atlanta game that you know he's renowned for going down twenty eight, you know them up twenty eight three, and him getting away from the running game. And then this game, they get up by the points, they get in the second half, and then he goes away from the running game. But Greg, yeah, Wiley's got a little bit of, when he off the line of scrimmage and his wiggle in his routes and soft hands and just the way his his kind of gait is sort of reminded me a little bit of, of Travis Kelsey. Not quite, I don't think the, <clears throat> you know, pure athleticism, maybe the pure ball skills. Big Docs, Brandon, after watching your Super Bowl stream, I went to KJ's channel. He predicts, 49ers team won't be able to mentally overcome the loss in season 2024. Well, he's been there, right? Addicted Ox. As I was saying a second ago, I think that this loss the Niners just suffered from has a lot of, of echoes to what we had and what we went through in our second Super Bowl loss. And, you know, it is their second Super Bowl loss within the last four years. It's 
you know, that's that stings right there. Um, it gets a little bit harder on that second one. You know, the finger pointing starts to come out. Um, and as we saw, you know, when when you start to get the energy going in this direction, it's hard to pull it back. When the coaching staff starts to lose the trust of the players, it's hard to get it back. And I don't know if the if that's the case in San Francisco, if the players are starting to get into that stage of things, but it does feel that way right now in the way that it's twisting and turning. Brian says, the Hawks test, I agree 100%. 49ers sound like Super Bowl 49 Seahawks. That's hangover will last for the next few seasons in San Francisco, I think. How sad. Uh, it was sad for us too because you still had a team that was very, very talented, still very capable, but the mentals got to them, you know? They got in their own head. Things, things started to control the process that went beyond what just happened on the football field. You know, carryover started to occur. Bitter feelings for what had occurred prior. Uh, this is a sport of emotionality for good and bad. And uh, bitterness can carry on and what bad decision-making can carry through. And the thing that we've learned in the last year, especially thanks to a guy like KJ's channel, is he's asked these players about that Super Bowl play and what happened. But the biggest thing that stood out in hearing those players talk about it is the fact that that did, that did unhinge the LOB. That, that was the... That was the anchor that took them down to the bottom of the sea. That that game was a game they'd never recovered from. Yeah, there were guys that had to retire really because of injuries, and maybe the LOB got old really fast, but the players have said it's really that that game, that decision, um, whether it was valid to be as angry at the coaches or not, doesn't matter whether it's valid or not, or whether the coaches had a reason to do what they did, or maybe they're just completely morons, and they, they deserve all of the anger that they're getting from the players. But the bottom line result is that you lose that that trust of the players. That's a hard trust to sometimes get. And uh, if they think you're 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 going to be an impediment to them rather than being an aid at the bottom line, then they're you do lose that trust. And that's what happened to us. Could be happening to them right now. It does feel like that, man. It does. Dak, I feel like the Niners will have a Super Bowl hangover next year. I think the battle for the division will be between the Rams and the Hawks. Would understand if it takes Seattle some time to warm up, though. And the Rams have definitely positioned themselves very well for next year to be in a good situation. They ate all of their dead money this year with the $50 million dead money hit. I think they're sitting on like $40, $45 million of cap space next offseason. Uh, so they're going to be able to go out there and make some moves. They got some young players going to grow and develop even further along. I'm sure Donald still returns. Stafford still returns. Cooper Cup still returns. So there you go. There you go. King Cooper for sure is the best pure offensive guard in the draft, like bar none. But he's not the best offensive lineman. But if Cooper falls in the third, he's locked for me. Let's go. I'm with that. Cooper, Cooper Wise, so we just have over two weeks until the combine, correct? Something like that. I think it's it's a little over. Isn't it just a little over two weeks? I think. It tends to be in March. So February 26th to March 4th. Will be the combine. Y'all Taylor. Randall McDaniel. Uh, sorry, man. So thank you for the $2 donation. A little bit late in acknowledging it. My bad, bro. Draymond Jones experiment back for year two. How much dead money? You could make him a post-June 1st designation and uh, you'd clear about like $10 million of cap space, Randall. You'd have to eat about $10 million of cap space or something like that, though, on the other side of it. So, you know, the dead, the dead money would be pretty substantial. And then, of course, you're going to have to go look at 
getting another three tech to back up uh, Leonard Williams, but it is possible because this is a draft that's pretty heavy with good three techs. So maybe there's a guy that they like for that at that point. And the post June first does make that a little bit easier to do that at that point, Randall. Um, <clears throat> I think he does come back for another year. Um, because you do you do like what he brings from the value standpoint to the line. He had to be a good soldier and play out of position last year, so he wasn't able to be as maximally effective, I think, as an interior defensive tackle. I think he fits more back into that role this year, and they feel good about that. Um, and then you look to, if you have to, if he has another kind of mid-year next year, then you can move him next year, and then you save a lot of money off of it. And there's not as much of that dead money uh, applied to it. You don't have to do the post-June 1st thing to make that happen at that point. But uh, they pushed him to the outside, made him an edge for a lot of the season, Randall. It's hard to hold him to account on that when he was doing what you had to do by necessity, not because he was failing inside, but because your outside was failing with guys like Daryl Taylor and Frank Clark. So you had to punch him out there in order to be able to hold up in the run game early downs, especially with Draymond. So uh, yeah, I think he does stay, Randall, and um, we get another year of him there kind of backing up Leonard Williams as the two. Dak, will Kenny McIntosh make an appearance next year? Yeah. DJ Dallas is a free agent. He's currently your third back on the roster, so he'll find a way in there. King's out, but we need to get Tavondre Sweat, honestly, too. He's uh, such a big guy. He's unique, man. There's only about three one-techs in this draft that are really quality King's out. And... Um, so if you want to get a guy, you're going to have to, to grab them earlier because they're going to be gone by the probably third round, fourth round. They'll be off the board. But um, he's good. Fun player, man. I had him in my mock draft. So he was a guy that I, uh, I did target as a guy to pick up because of the skill set he does bring. And then your nose tackle and your three tech get pretty set. I know a lot of people feel like we got to hammer those positions. Um, but... Maybe not as much as people think. If you go get it to Andre Sweat and you've got him starting, Jaron Reed backing him up and then Cam Young backing him up, that's a solid three. And then your three tech, you'd have Leonard Williams, Draymond Jones, and Mike Morris. That's a solid three. I could see him going that route. King, I like the Michigan linebacker McCarthy too. I haven't had a chance to take a look at him on his tape too much yet or target in on him too much. And McClendley Jackson is, uh, is a good player as well, King. I don't know if I'd go... I don't know if he's a big guy, though, is he? He's only 6'2". He's 325, but he's kind of a little bit of a shorter stump guy. I, I call him... A, I think my comp for him is a slightly shrunken version of Dalvin Tomlinson. King Zhao for... Uh, for McKinley Jackson. Slightly shrunken version of Dalvin Tomlinson. Brian Blank, uh, late to the stream, just finished dinner, clean up, an easy summation. I'll give you the fast one, man. Definitely would say just take a look at the rip at the start because I go pretty good into it for 20 minutes on the on the opening. You got to create money at the start of this. Uh, you're going to create your cap money by moving one of your potential cap cuts. Will Disley, Geno Smith stay? I move on from Jamal Adams, Quandary Diggs, Will, and Brian Monet, Nick Ballore, Eskridge. I create money going that route. I then... Um, 
I then signed Jadavian Clowney and a couple of other low-end free agents like Ronald Darby and Glasgow to finish up the defensive uh, to to get out a little bit of. Um, I would probably just, at the end of the day, it's hard to do this in kind of retrospect with an easy summation off 20 minutes, Brian. Um, but if you just watch the rip, watch the first 20 minutes of the show, they'll definitely show you, you know, kind of everywhere I want to go. But uh, I signed Jadavian Clowney, a couple of um, free agents out there. I converted Tyler Lockett's base to bonus to create a little bit of extra cap space. We'll be having about $11 million of cap space I'd be sitting on to have in reserve if we want to make a trade deadline deal midseason. I didn't get super crazy with a lot of my moves. It was more about just getting the dead money out, getting it away. Um, in the draft, um, bring up the draft here again for you so you can see what I did with that. This is my mock draft. Oh, lower this down here. So I traded back a couple times. Tyler Newbin, Tavondre Sweat, Junior Colson, Cooper Bebe, Cedric Van Pran, Zach Zinter, Zaylin Ford, Jared Wiley were my picks. Um, if you want, Go ahead and just take a quick screenshot here. This is the depth chart that I would have had set up for in my proverbial scenario with it. But uh, that would be what I'd look to do, Brian, on that. Kind of just take it nice and low-key this, this year. Reinvest in, the, reinvest in the trenches. Eat away a little bit of the dead money. Don't go crazy. It's not a go-for-broke kind of year. It's kind of clear, clear the bad money off the books. It's a season of... Uh, seeing what you kind of got, get a feel for the room on it, what Mike McDonald needs, and then kind of move off that. King Zhao, I unironically, Ben Sinnott reminds me of Will Disley in many ways, too, not going to lie. Um, yeah, maybe some of there, I could see some of that with him. For me, Varner of Michigan is a much more apt comparison to Disley in this draft. Like, Varner to me is... Will exactly Will Disley, but I mean I can I can be talked into Senate too. Addicted to Brandon Abe Lucas injury status, don't know. I have no idea what's going on with Abe Lucas. Uh, Damian Lewis, Evan Brown, for agent Olu not getting me reps. Your general thoughts? I don't know why Olu did get more reps. Evan Brown didn't play good at the center position last year. Damian Lewis is not a fit. To the new scheme, addicted ox. You need mobile-based offensive linemen that can move in space. Damian Lewis is a trash can that wants to that sits down and blocks what's in front of him. Um, that's not going to fit to the new scheme, and he's not played particularly good over the past couple of years, in my opinion. As Lewis, he did okay last year. He was a little bit of an improvement from what we'd seen, but it was another. It was a backward step this year in a contract year, which is a uh, big, big worrisome point for me. Looking at him, and so now I'd let him go. AI, how can Bowers help us if Geno's running for his life uh, and we can't run the ball once again? Well, I would if I drafted Bowers, obviously, in the first, I'm coming back into the second, third rounds looking to target linemen in that territory. If you went and got a, if you could trade up into the into the second round or if you have to just take maybe two third round picks and you make it at that point a guard and a center in this draft, um, I think you can have taken steps to still take care of things. Um, so... Yeah, I, I understand you're not addressing it, but that's also a little bit AI from the standpoint I've always said is you you know you can run a draft by need, or you can run a draft by value, and I think fans want to sometimes try to strike the the keen middle ground, the happy middle approach of that, where you're not you're you're going to do it perfectly. Like this pick will be for value, that pick will be for need, this pick will be for value. I think if you have Bowers as one of the true blue chip prospects in this draft. And you pick him at your picking, and he's coming up at 16, and you only have 10 blue chip guys in this draft. 
I think you have to fit to the philosophy of your draft, not to necessarily just what you need for your team. Um, it doesn't mean that you just to totally then completely ignore the line all the way through. And maybe you have to end up making another trade down the line somewhere else after the draft to make that happen. But if you operate from a standpoint of value based in your drafting strategy, I think that eventually will lead you to the promised land overall, or, or it'll get you there quicker than going for need. I think need is the, is the way that leads to kind of failure a little bit. Greg, Jaheim Bell is like the tight end version of the wide receiver Hawks have on the roster right now. He's played every position, but I can't remember his name though. Tight end version of the wide receiver. He's played every position. It's not, it's not coming to me, Greg. <laughs> Please the Mac. Let's go. You're still streaming. You're a legend. Thank you, Fleece. I appreciate it. I love doing what I do, man. And Beast Mode is a legend for saying F the Niners. <laughs> Brian Blank, 62313 with quick hands and feet. Sounds nice to me for a guard. He's good. He'd be a pure skit, scheme fit for what we do. And uh, those senior bowls, going out there and playing well throughout the week and showing up, going one-on-ones and holding your own, man, that's, that's going to weigh heavily with NFL franchises. But uh, yeah, he'd be, a, he'd be a good fit for what we need. I'd be very happy with him as a fit. And that combination, quick feet, quick hands. Bump, 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 I get to you. And you're going, oh my God, this guy's on, you're a linebacker, right? He's getting down to you the second level. And you're, you have a certain, it's like a rhythm, like a drumbeat rhythm. You think you normally as a middle linebacker or a will, you got this amount of time as an out, out, out as an off ball linebacker until the guard gets to you. Bump, 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 bump. But what happens when it's, there's just a bump. There's not the bump, bump. And then you get the bump and then you go, okay, he's on top of me super quick. But then the hands come up like lightning on top of you. And you see over, over on tape where, Defenders, especially on those second level blocks, don't get their hands up into striking position, the return strike on uh, Haynes because he's on top of them so quick and then to them with his hands so fast. And that combination, you, you get one to the other most of the time with linemen. You might get the quick feet, you know, like Tyler Guyton, Oklahoma tackle has got really quick feet, but his hands can't find anything a lot of the times. His hands end up searching like he's looking through the darkness for the player rather than he can see the player. You know, he's like, you know, whereas this guy, hand strikes are in the right point and they're quick with the quick feet. Dude disgusted, someone pointed out after the Super Bowl press conference, Kyle wanted to cry so bad. He definitely looked like he was probably, I can't blame a guy for that. I'd probably be ready to cry myself. I just lost a Super Bowl like that. And I know it's going to be on me. I'd be like, I just, it's just the one girl, my mommy. Where's my mommy? <laughs> you know, it's, you can blame him. That's got to be brutal. The whole world's watching you. You know, well, it's kind of a bad look at Kyle though. A couple days before the Super Bowl, he's out there slurring his words. Like, we're just going to go out and just, we're going to do what we got to do. That one was like, oof. I knew right there, and this might be a little rough. Please the Mac to Elise Fuanga is the best offensive lineman in the draft. He did he is a great value pick. If Lucas doesn't come back, he can play right tackle. I gotta Fuanga's one of my blue chip guys, Fleece, to your point. 
Um, I do have him right there neck and neck with uh, Fashano and Joe Alt, but those are my three blue chip tackles in this draft, blue chip offensive linemen in this draft. So uh, he fits to that mark for me too, man. I like him. Fuaga's awesome. I was just watching him today give it to Brennan Jackson. He's giving it to Brennan Jackson throughout most of this game that he plays him. Brennan gets him like once, but it takes so much to just barely get him beat. DVD says, B, even though Bobby has lost a bit of speed, he's still viewed as too good and smart to try and replace him with a pick. Not a trade. Well, he's a free agent DVD, so you can't trade him right now. Um, I think that you have to address both linebacker positions inside. You can call it the two mics or a mic and a will. However you want to, it's kind of a schematic, uh, semantics kind of situation there between those two. But you need to get two. It's hard to address two in one offseason, especially DVD, when you don't have a lot of money to spend. And when you already know what you have in Bobby and know what he brings to the locker room and, and knows what he brings to the field, I think there's some value to that. On top of the fact that when you, you talk about signing Bobby for a one-year, $7, 8000000 million deal, that's such good value versus Jordan Brooks signing for $12 million a year or Devin White signing for $15 million a year. Or I'm even seeing Patrick Queen looking at going for $18.5 million per year. When the price is up that high, to get Bobby in at that mark that low, I think just makes a lot of good bang for buck sense. And then you can go address your other middle linebacker position or the will, and then Bobby's there to help bring him along for a year. Uh, Lucienda Cruzada says, greetings from Havana, Cuba. Well, greetings to you out there as well. Hope you're doing well out there on the island. Thank you so much for checking out the channel. Addicted Ox Brandon, did Bradford secure a starting right guard position? With Lucas's injury, is anyone besides Cross guaranteed a spot? Well, uh, Lucas's injury, of course, depends on what their outlook on is for the future. No, I don't think anybody's is, is guaranteed a spot at this point. I don't think either Bradford or Ola Watimi is. I think they're in the mix and they've deserved a right to fight out and be in competition for the starting job. But I think that you need to get some other talent in there to compete with them to make sure that you're not just hoping on a wing and a prayer that those guys can come forward in the next season and be the guy. Uh, I want a little bit more certainty. Place the Mac, we're not going to re-sign Evan Brown or Damian Lewis. Neither fit to the mobile-based linemen that are highly required in Ben Grubb's scheme. You've got to have guys that can move. And they just can't move. Lord Boom, Brandon, I think the safety Gibson from the Niners is a real good player. He is also a free agent. What do you think? The chances are the Niners trade him to us for a hug, a Band-Aid and detailer. Well, he's, uh, he, as you said, he is a free agent, so they, there is no trade that's going to happen there. They're not going to franchise tag him, for instance. So you could sign him. Maybe an option out there that you look at this offseason. He had a pretty good, strong year for the Niners this season. Brian Blank, what round do you place on that guard, third round? I currently have him uh, as a second-round grade, Brian. I think I got a little bit overhyped on his senior bowl performance. I think it eventually will, it'll slide into where I'll put him in eventually, I think, at, at a third-round pick. When it's all early, early third would probably be right. Late second, early third, somewhere in there. Greg Kemp says, Brandon and Christian Haynes can also play center, which is what he took snaps at at the Senior Bowl. Ooh, I like that. Well, he definitely would fit really well in there too, man, Greg. Kind of mitigate a little bit of the leverage issues when him sliding high sometimes once you get him on the ball because... Something that playing center does is it forces you to get low, you know, 
you you can't just get up into that creeping stance where you're wanting to get high you got to get down low and you got to come up low to get back high and by the time you do you're usually coming through the player because the contact is so quick from the center position so that's great to hear that he was playing a little bit i didn't realize i was watching much as his one-on-ones and what he was doing with that um but that's fantastic he provides that kind of flexibility right left guard center I think he gives you all of that in a pure scheme fit with the mobility stuff that he can do. King says two years ago, we had four new offensive linemen. Last year, we had one new offensive lineman. This year, we might have four new offensive linemen again. Yeah, it's, it'd be nice to get a little bit of some continuity and chemistry set in there, wouldn't it? King, hey, Brandon, what do you think about wide receivers? Eskridge is gone soon and Lockett's retiring soon. How you feel about Jamari Thrash? Um, has someone that he's someone that really reminds me of Lockett with his separation. Uh, Thrash is indeed a guy that I have taken a look at. Um, a little more size than you have from Lockett. You know, Lockett's a five nine guy. Thrash listed six one. You know, one eighty five. Um, he's thin and twitchy. Instant quickness. Gets him some real swift separation. It was kind of fun watching. I was just watching actually some tape today of Jack Plummer the quarterback for Louisville. And so a lot of the throws he was making was out there to thrash. And you can, you can see the separation he can generate that's legitimate and is, uh, is going to make him an attractive um, prospect for NFL teams, I think. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands. He runs with some shiftiness and some power. He's hard to bring to the ground. Played mainly on the outside, but I think, I think he can play on the inside too. Um, he's got great footwork off the line of scrimmage to deal with press. He really sinks his hips off the line of scrimmage and sells the go route, easily giving him under other routes opened up underneath, in-cutting routes, out routes. Um, even like a post gets set up a lot of times just because he so really does sink in his hips and really locks in that nine route at times. So I really did like a lot of what I saw from Jamari Thrash. I have him as a mid-third round grade right now. Um, so not super far off of where Lockett. I think Lockett coming out was a little more of a route master. I think um, Jamari's good route running, Lockett's route running was great. Um, but I can, uh, you know, a, a taller, thinner version of Lockett a little bit. I, I, I'm okay with that. I can go with that comp a little bit, King. I like him a lot. Sean Lee, yeah, I think Michael Penix is first. Dude disgusted. B, I don't know if you answered the question. In 2025, the Seahawks will be Super Bowl champions. It's kind of a hard question to answer until we get a first look at McDonald and what he brings to the table, dude disgusted. So I'll go, I'll go um, ultimate optimism on you because um, it does become a bit of a tough, tough guess in regards to that. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Got to see a season of what they do and see what their kind of their approach is going to be this offseason, dude disgusted, you know? Wayne G says, laughing out loud, your cat is like, I'm right here. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's definitely like, you can give me some love anytime you want over here, man. Come on. Come on. <laughs> King Zhao, he's near the third round pick range, but most likely a day three guy with a lot of upside. No, we're on the same page then, man. I think he, the tough part will be hard with him, King, where you can get some good value of him maybe with a fourth round pick is that there's going to be so many receivers taken in the first couple of rounds. I think there's three, three receivers taken in the first 15 picks alone in this upcoming draft. And uh, I think you're minimum going to get four first-round wide receivers. So you, you definitely could see him through the numbers game, not because of talent, get pushed down just a little bit. 
King, yeah, I think Penix and Geno Smith have some good comps. My comp for Michael Penix is Drew Brees. A taller Drew Brees. Maybe a little more arm strength than Drew Brees had. Maybe Brees was a little bit better of a processor on the field. But they, they both kind of win in the similar way in the pocket in what they do. It's one of the reasons I think that the Denver Broncos would be a very interesting landing spot for Michael. Three hours as a Niner fan tried telling me that they lost the Super Bowl because their O-line was bad and was bad all season. I think there's a, it was a contributing factor, you know. I mean, that, that was one you could see coming, though. You had Mike McGlinchey lost in free agency at the right tackle position, didn't really deal with anything, didn't really bring anything in to help out that right tackle position. You, you, you didn't draft an offensive lineman in this draft, I think, until fairly later on. So, you know, that was one where, yeah, that was a part of what was going on. That was a part of the issues at play with them. I'm, and that's where, it's funny, they have a little bit of what we have going on, where it's just like their coach kind of forgets about the fact that offensive line talent matters and that you need to have good talent in there to make it work. They lost Alex Mack, Mike McGlinchey in recent years. Haven't really found as much replacements for those guys. Uh, Kirk says, uh, I was referring to eating all the dead money cap this season versus splitting it up over multiple seasons. You could certainly take the um, track this season, um, Kirk, of going hog wild with it and taking it all the way down. I don't know. Um... My only worry with that is this, Kurt. I'm not certain that you can't be a team that can compete this next year. I'm not certain that you're not going to have a coach coming in and taking advantage of advantages that have long been left off the table, that that doesn't bring you an instant return. Um, I think almost alone, Kirk, if I have an offensive coach that will challenge at the perimeter in the running game and who will target the middle of the football field and who will fix the pass protection issues that have plagued us for years, and then on the defensive side of the ball, you get more unpredictable, you disguise more, and you get more overall as a team disciplined. If all of those things are able to come into play next year, and none of those things have anything to do with the team looking, picking up all the P's and Q's of Mike McDonald's defense or the way this new spread system needs to be unfurled to get the most out of it, you just take care of those, those base things, does that make the team two to three games better than they were this year? I kind of think it does. I kind of think it potentially does. It doesn't guarantee it does, but I think there's a good chance it could. And if that's the case, then I wouldn't want to punt on this season. And that would be the only way, Kirk, that I would want to eat all of that dead money this year is if I'm truly saying this year we have no opportunity to compete. There's no way that this season could round out in a way where we could be a really, really great team. There's no possible fashion that that could happen. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm just saying that that's the only way I'm going to that hole because it's, it's going to be painful to eat all that dead money. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And you're likely to not be a particularly good team if you do it. Really, Kirk, the only dead monies you're talking about you could be doing here as you go, in addition to what I did, for instance, is you're cutting Gino, you're cutting Tyler, you're cutting Disley. You know, if you're doing that, then you're maybe you're looking to try to get like that number one overall pick thing or something, you know, get your quarterback next year or something at that point. That would be what it'd be signaling to me if you did that. I just, and I, I'd be willing to do that if this team was in much worse state 
um, if there weren't these advantages left on the table that they can easily just pick up and utilize where we haven't been utilizing him. Greg says, I hope Hawks go for with Xavier Worthy if they uh, pick up a wide receiver in the draft. I like Xavier Worthy too. Definitely going to be in contention, Greg, of potentially running the fastest 40 at the Combine. Guy, you'll, guy will have a, a very, very long look at to see if he can pull it off. I have a third round grade on him. Um, he, he's got a fairly good route running process. I get a little bit of Greg, the Hollywood Brown vibes coming off of him where there, there maybe is a little bit of a restricted catch radius to him at times and how it feels. But he's a burner, man. He can run. Hans, I agree, just saying that we wouldn't go far in the second, and I would go Barton, then go JPJ Frazier, if not Bran. Yeah, I'd do that too. Police says, I believe that Mike McDonald is going to make our defense good. We need to worry about our offense and fix our offensive line in the draft. I think that would be helpful. Dylan says, we need Clowney to get number 90. I hope we get him, Dylan. He was on my list here on, on one of my free agent signings that I'm looking to get. So here are the uh, free agents I was looking to go out there and get. Clowney was going to be my centerpiece free agent. Give him a two-year, $16 million deal. Call it a day. Call it a day. Clint Rice, what do you think the record will be this year? It's hard to guess because to, I don't know if they're not going to take that track this year, Clinton, of, of cutting it a little bit like um, Kirk Stemmer was advocating potentially for. And, and do you go for a, a full hog wild, cut it all the way down to the you know, line. If you do that, then you're not, you're not going to be competing. Whereas if they just look to cut some of the, just the bad contracts off the books and try to take a step into this year of, Hey, let's give it a try this year. Let's see what we can do this year. Um, and if they take that trek, instead of cutting it all the way to the ground, then I think that you can be two to three games better. I think you can have 11 to 12 wins, especially when I look at the schedule next year, where there are a lot of winnable games on the road. The schedule is not as hard as I think it is this year or was this year. And so I think you can be a little bit better. King, who are, Brandon, who are your ideal player scenarios to fall in the first round so far? Ideal picks at 16, some players you really like when trading down and taking. Uh, well, I think Bowers falling to 16. I mean, if we're talking about plausible scenarios, King Bomber, I mean, that's, that's the one that stands out to me is a, a Bowers falling there, which would be great to jump on him. I think uh, there's a potential where you see Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors, Neighbors is your one-two receivers, and then Romeo and Dunzier falls as your third guy, but then there's the teams that really like him, and he's there at 16 King, and then you have the player who's enticing for somebody to trade up for. That, that would be what I would say there. Um, I would really like to trade down into the mid-20s and target one of Graham Barton, Fatanu, uh, Jackson Powers, Cooper Bebe, I mean, one of those four guys to come out of this draft, I think they're all solid offensive linemen. To move down for one of them would be great, in my opinion. Um, something like that. Moving down into like the light first and picking up Tyler Newbin like I did in my mock draft, King Bomber. Something like that would be cool too, to, to have happen as well. Um, to be able to grab a lineman third, fourth round area that it's dropped like this Haynes kid or uh, you know something along those lines, that wouldn't be bad as well. Please, I love Ryan Grubb. He was my favorite OC from the Huskies. I hope he doesn't want to drop Michael Penix. He needs to run with Gino. 
I don't necessarily think he will. I think uh, he'll go to the, he's an offensive line coach with the background. He'll recognize that this offensive line needs to be put in way better shape to afford a guy like uh, Michael Penix at the time. He needs to be successful in the pocket. But uh, we'll see. It's possible. It does become a little bit slightly more likely or possible that you do, I think, pick up Michael Penix with Grubb coming here as the OC. DVD. Oh, where is Holy moly. UDB, who's your top O lineman in the draft that you would want to be placed at uh, guard no matter what position he played last year? Cooper Bebe is probably is my top my top guard. But it's it's insanely close between Bebe, Barton, and Fotanu. And Jackson Powers is right there with him as the center. So and Jackson Powers can play some guard. So it's kind of really a tie between Bebe and Jackson Powers for me. Team Bomber also Colson has the slight edge because he's younger than Brandon. Uh, got an extra year compared to Cooper. Oh. There we go. Kings out. If we can get any receiver in day three, it's Malachi Conley. He never wants to go down. More importantly, is Yaks unreal. Scrappy Anquan Bolden style player. Anquan Bolden was, uh, I think that's, yeah. You're going to like this. Check this out. Do, 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 do. You're going to laugh your butt off on this one, man. I'll tell you, you guys, we sometimes are just all on the same sort of page on the thinking with this because you've never seen my... Uh, you've never seen my... So this is my... This is my draft guide that I'm currently working on here for uh, members of the... Uh, Members of the channel, I'll be releasing that out to you guys very soon on the community post. But here you can see Malachi Corley, Western Kentucky. I think that's who you're talking about, right? That's, yeah, Corley was who you were speaking of. Yep, Malachi Corley. So check this out, man. You said Anquan Bolden is your comp. And I said my player comp is Anquan Bolden, but strictly from the, swat, strictly from the slot and not quite the hands. Because, of course, Bolden was a former second-round pick. As you said, I don't see... Malachi Corley being a uh, second round pick, but shades of Debo Light, Debo Samuel Light. He seems to get more explosive with the ball in his hands. A former running back, he possesses unusual balance and toughness after the catch that finds him keeping his feet through contact when so many other receivers would have been taken down. He's just physical through the course of the catch, after the catch, even in how he runs as well as any receiver in this class. Capable of high pointing the ball, shows good hands, plus route runner from the position with room to grow. Good short area burst, but I do believe he is a limited a little bit with the speed. That's hence a little bit of those comps in there to Anaquan Bolton. But how about that, man? We, uh, Kings out, we are on exactly the same page with Malachi Corley with Anquan Bolton. That was, my, that was my comp, man. And I love him. Don't think that you're going to have a chance to get him day three. I think that uh, no team is going to let Conley get out of the third round. Kings says young, younger players doing stuff in college is way more impressive because they're going against older players who have more developed bodies and more experience. Agree. It's one of the reasons that I have Joe Alt as the best tackle in this draft. Kid's just turning 22 years old. And uh, that means he's been doing it 
doing it at a high level at a very young age. And you're right. That tends to be a pretty good metric for a guy having some upside there that you should take into account for sure. Lee says, I bet Jordan Brooks turns into Patrick Queen next season. Maybe. They're going to have to sign him to a big deal to make it happen, though. Hans, the consensus board has JPJ at 27 with Bo Nix, Penix, and JJ all behind him. I think they're going to go before JPJ so he can fall into the second. It's possible. And let's keep in mind, even when we've had really clean center prospects in the past, it's very hard for those guys to find themselves into the first round. They tend to do fall and dip into the second round. Um, JPJ does have a little bit of a overall better skill set than a guy like John Michael Schmitz last year, Hans. Uh, who did dip into that second round as sort of the first center taken. But uh, yes, Knicks, Penix will definitely be taken up ahead of 27. We'll see on JJ. Where did the doomsday defense go? The Steve Nixon? I don't know. Maybe it'll come back around someday, man. Football is cylindrical. Kings Al, as my ex-wife, sister's cousin's mom said to me once, Brandon, it's not the size, it's how you use it. <laughs> Let's go. At three hour, I completely forgot about the linebacker from Washington, partly because I don't know how to say his name, but I would take him later on as the first choice before Eichenberg. Uh, Edifon Ulifosio. And that's as good as I can do on the pronunciation. Um, and I indeed would take him... I would indeed take him ahead of... Uh, Tommy Eichenberg. I have a fourth round grade on Tommy Eichenberg. I have a third round grade on Edifon. Doodle Bob, I want to trade back with the Steelers, our 16 and 81 for their 20 and 49, and take Jackson, Powers, Johnson, then Edrin Cooper, then sign Patrick Queen and re sign Leonard Williams and Noah Fant. So we go 16 and 81 for their 20 and 49. Doodle Bob, that's a creative trade and a smart one at that. And I love where your, he I love where your head's at. Sign me up, brother. Sign me up for that. Felicia Max says, Debo Samuel's a crybaby. Cam Newton never called his phone. They're always drama with the Niners franchise. They need to leave the league. <laughs> Big Docs, Brandon on point. Lose the player's trust. You can never get it back. You can just feel it with the Carroll thing, right? I mean, he had that legion of boom ready to basically go from, we will literally kill for you, old man, to your old man, why should we listen to a single word coming out of your mouth? It was like overnight that thing shifted. And I do wonder a little bit if that's happening with the Niners a little bit here with uh, Shani. Carl Nerdy, what's up, Carl? How you doing, brother? Great to see you in the house. I'm with my OGs in here. Says, uh, why does everyone assume we're running Baltimore's defense? Did Mike say he is going to assess, then we will do what we're good at? He did. I think that they're looking at, even if it's he's going to adjust some things to the players he has, that in general terms, he's still expected to run this this kind of defense. Um, I, I think two people are looking at it a little bit, Carl, from the standpoint of uh, if you look at his predecessor, for instance, with Martindale, ran a lot of man-based concepts, heavy blitz, this Baltimore defense, not as much blitz, a little bit more zone concepts, but was Mike doing that because he was trying to run away from what Martindale did, or was that because it suited the talent he had? He didn't have the cover corners on the outside who could hold up in man, so he had to go to zone. Um, hard to say. So it's, I think, a little bit of what people are anticipating there being a difference between those two kind of factors within the defense he runs. But I think you are going to get stacked fronts. I think you're going to get Carl creativity on the back end as far as the scheme and the, the coverages and what they show you pre-snap to post-snap. It will always be changing every single snap. I think, and I'm not, I can't speak to everybody, at least from my perspective. That's where, when I say to McDonald's defense, that would be more of what I would 
I would say. But you're absolutely right too. That it's about what he's talked about multiple times over, maximizing your talent, getting the most out of your talent, seeing what a player does well, and then utilizing that to the utmost as opposed to fitting the player into what we want him to do in our scheme. Dude disgusted. Mike's going to have a field day with Kyle and Sean. They're going to face that dude, put together the Ravens D twice a year. Going to be fun, man. Hope so. Lisa Mack, are the Winers team finally collapsing? Brock Purdy and defense look like they give up. Look what happened to the Eagles last year in the Super Bowl. They lost too. Well, it is very hard after you lose a Super Bowl to come back and, and bring that same effort. Say nothing to losing two Super Bowls in four years. I can only imagine the psychological effects and uh, detriments that that might cause. Uh, it's an uphill battle for them to return back this next year, Fleece the Mac. Uh, a lot of different reasons for that. Do they lose Brandon Ayuk? He seems to have won out of the town. They seem to maybe be trying to do another DeForest Buckner-like trade. Ugh, that one didn't work out so well for him last time. We'll see how this one goes. Uh, you have Dre Greenlaw, important middle linebacker for him in, on that team. Just blew out his Achilles. Probably not going to be ready by the start of next year. And is he going to be at his healthiest throughout the whole point of next year at that point? Uh, it, that's just at the surface of things here. So, you know, they've got a little bit of money to spend. They can make some moves, but uh, yeah, you could be looking at that Fleece the Mac in the way that this does go. They've also got free agents like Randy Gregory and Chase Young and yeah. Three hour, I hope Donald doesn't turn Kobe Turner into a younger version of himself. Dealing with Donald all the time was torture enough. Nah, nah. Uh, Donald's a, a, a once in a generation type of player on the defensive line. Kobe's good, but he ain't that. Hans, Brandon, did you see the draft capital the Cardinals have? If they trade a bit, they can fill almost half the roster. Laugh out loud. It's possible. Yeah, they got some good picks to go through. I don't know if they're going to move back, though, because I think they're going to be very tempted with the player that's sitting there when they pick. To my eyes, it looks like that's going to be a Marvin Harrison Jr. And to uh, pass on that, to trade back on that pick, it's going to take quite a haul for, for them to do that, I think. Albert Nickus, I don't know why, but I just have this weird feeling next year is going to be bad. It could be. I'm open to it not necessarily being a smooth, easy road. You know, I, I, I could see the upside of this team being a couple games better and improving, but I, I can get it if it does go the other way too. It's a year of transition. Lord Booms, I'm sorry, not sorry, Brendan. I love the fact that the Niners lost in the fashion they did. Do you know how many 49er fans I had call me when Russ threw that interception? Too many. Oh, they certainly were happy enough to celebrate that too. Yeah, so turnabout's fair play. <laughs> uh, Great Camp, Brandon, have you heard of linebacker Tyrese Knight? I've seen his name rising lately and I think he was at the Senior Bowl. I have not heard that name. But uh, I'll put it down. I have them listed here on my linebackers to look through. So I'll have to take a look at them, man. Tyrice. Tyrice Knight. Tyrice Knight. I'll take a look. Brandon, speaking of DJ Dallas, will Charles Cross be returning punts and kickoffs? Do we draft a special teams guy? I don't know. Maybe they got Kenny McIntosh ready to do those duties addicted. We'll see how it goes. I'm not sure what they're planning on doing on that one. 
It's hard to just draft a guy specifically for punt and kick returns. Do Bob, this is the year. Uh, this is a learning year. I'm not expecting any huge results. I'm not either. I'll, I'll be happy with happy returns, but um, not, uh, not otherwise. Uh, doo -doo -doo. We've got some um, Yama Lebovec says, thoughts on Barrett Carter. I haven't heard anybody saying anything about him. He is returning to school, Yamam. So a uh, complete player for the position. You can do it all. Um, play any linebacker position. Probably can even play a little bit of edge for you. His, uh, his bounce, change of direction, covering instincts. Makes it easy to see him excel at uh, the next level in coverage, both as a zone and man defender. His 10-yard split will probably be special for his position. He's like a fired arrow when he closes in on his target. Takes proper angles to the ball carrier. Uses near uh, leg tackling technique or the hawk tackling technique. His quickness also makes him a wicked blitzer and always seems like the door opens for him uh, when he is blitzing. So just he always seemed to get home. Had four and a half sacks in 22. I think a little bit of a down year this year. Sizes and weight are the question marks with him. Does he have enough size to him? Does he have enough kind of weight to hang in there? 6'1", 225 is his listed weight. Kind of looks more 215, 220-ish. But uh, going back to school, probably try to add a little bit more weight on him, have another, have a little bit more of a solid season for a final year. NIL money probably impacting that a little bit as well. I don't know about Michael Barrett on that Yamo, but that's what's going on with the Barrett Carter at least. I haven't got to look at Mike. I'll look up at Michael Barrett. I haven't, don't have any... I haven't, uh, name sounds familiar, but I haven't taken a look at him. Kings is next is also a damn good quarterback too. He finally got in the tools together to be a great quarterback. I think he's rising, man. Very well could find himself in the top 10 at this point. Addicted Ox, Shanahan was slurring his words before the Super Bowl. Wow. Was he hammered or slack asleep? He had had a couple of pops. I, I know sleep and I know drinking. Shani, Shani was out celebrating a little bit a couple days beforehand. You should be able to find it. Quick quick little YouTube search. I'm sure if you just type Shanahan drunk, it'll be the first thing that comes up on YouTube. You'll get a little media session of him. Young, how you doing? Jeffrey Thistle in the house. How you doing, Jeffrey? Celebrating almost two years as a Hawks Nest member. 21 long months. And for members of the chat, uh, I will be doing a call-in show tomorrow for the members of the chat. So uh, 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Take a look at your community post. We'll be doing that. Check that out tomorrow. Jeffrey uh, says, for a team like the Niners, who play such a physical style while front running on the scoreboard, they seem to play very soft while trailing. <laughs> Yeah, front runners is something that's definitely been put on them a little bit at times. Uh, that's for sure. And um, boy, the the finger pointing going on after the Super Bowl and the lack of just—I know that's a brutal loss to have had, but a lot of a lot of internal strife coming off the head of this one. A lot of people, a lot of people in their feelings. Maybe it's understandable. Like I said, we were we were there with our own kind of brutal Super Bowl loss. This this kind of seems to be just what will happen if you have to go through it. Uh, Yamaha says, what I think of Ray Davis, the Kentucky running back. He's a uh, slide and glide kind of running back, back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons. 
He leans on patience and vision for his success, understands how to stay behind his blockers well, very much kind of a, a pace back where he's taking advantage of the flow of the play and uses the defense's mirroring counter flow to his blockers and the running play's designs to find his lane to bust for the big run. He's shifting the open field, brings some plus physicality with great pad level. His lateral bounce and stop and start are a plus. Creative and brings an assortment of moves that are nasty, that are uh, moves that are nasty, but work when brought out at the right time, or that aren't nasty, but work when brought out at the right time, like his spin moves. Sometimes I got to clamp these notes here a little bit. 33 catches out of the backfield and shows an ability to catch the ball out away from his body. Pass pro is a negative. There's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of Travis ETN to his game. He's not as good, not as fast, not as physical through contact, but there are some similarities. So uh, I do like Ray Davis. He's a fun back in this draft, um, but I've got him fifth roundish. It's more of where I see him. It's because I think that there's not as much of the speed burst there purely to his game. It's much more, much more of his success built a little bit on the back of the blocking he needs to have in front of him. Hawks, Locket Route Master. That is a very appropriate nickname for him. Going to miss him when he retires. Sigh. Yeah, me too. Dude, disgusted B. We went 9-8 last year. Do you think there'll be not immediate impact, but a noticeable improvement in the defense? Um, I do think there'll be immediate impact. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of playing in general terms and being... Uh, and it's going to be a bit of a hedge. It's going to be like, I see this potentially going this way because they're going to take advantage of things they haven't in the past in a major way. And that should bring returns with it. And um, if you got to nine wins dealing with those negatives last year, like you were not throwing in the middle of the field, not attacking the perimeter in the running game, um, not being willing to blitz, not being willing to disguise what you do pre-snap to post-snap. None of these things I just mentioned have anything to do with adding better, more talented players. Simply coaches taking advantage of a thing that's very straightforward. We are going to disguise the coverage that we run post-snap. We're not going to ignore the middle of the field at the 30-second rate in the entire NFL, right? Very straightforward, easy things, I think, as far as adjustments. And those lead me to believe that that then brings a better team with it next year, a, a team that gets a couple more wins, especially on the back of the fact that I don't think the schedule is as tough next year. I don't think you're going to have three games in 15 days, two Thursday night games in three weeks. That run where you had to play the Niners and the Eagles and the Cowboys and the Ravens all within like a five-week period. I don't think you're running into that this year. So I think you are two to three games better, dude, disgusted. I think that there's a noticeable improvement and, and you feel the improvement. They go from being a back-end defense to probably finding their way at least into the low 20s, if not into the teens. And offensively speaking, if you address the offensive line, the upside on that should be improved with it too. You should see, you should see those returns as well. Jocular, jocular Jellyfish says, why do people want to chase DK Metcalf out of town? Are they crazy? Um, crazy is almost being too nice. I feel like Jocular. Um, when Mike Zalk presents this as an option and tries to put this out to the fan base and you know he's on the radio station in the morning that's going to hear this everywhere and people are going to see this, uh, it's going to get this discussion going again. And it's one that I had kind of hoped would quiet down this offseason because I had to hear a lot about it during the season. I, I don't, I, we've had not a lot of really great players that have come through Seattle. 
and we've had very few players who've had the start to their career like DK Metcalf has. I've never seen a player this good that's had this start of this start of his career that's had such a decent number of the contingent of the fan base that's sort of looking for any reason they can to move off of him, even when it doesn't make sense. That's the thing about this. They're trying to sell us on how it all makes sense, like Salk's dumbass um, outlook on Kansas City trade time Tyreek Hill, and then uh, uh, and then they went to two Super Bowls. So so then we should do that because that that'll do that'll be what we'll do. Like, give me a break, you know? Can you rub a couple of brain cells together before you come up with an idea, Mike? Especially when you know what it's going to do uh, as far as what I get pissed off about this jocular is that he knows what it's going to do within the fan base when he says stuff like that. He's only doing it for his clicks and his personal gain. He's only doing it for to, to get his own little 710 station a little bit bigger and higher. And if it comes at the cost of pushing a talent like Metcalf out of town, so be it. The ends justify the means. Not for me. And that's why I take such umbrage with it. Is these kind of talks keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And eventually you push a player out of the town like DK Metcalf, who should never have left in the first place. And never had to leave in the first place. And Mike's a jack-off for bringing that up. He really is. Stop plumbing for freaking clicks at every turn. There's plenty of stuff. I do this show a week, a multi-day basis. There's plenty of stuff to mine and go through as far as target items to discuss about this team alone. He's got baseball and crack and talk he can bring into it too if he wants, if he's really trying to fill up time or he's not getting enough clicks at his little 710 station. But boy, that it, 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 it irritates me to no end. I, I like people, I can, I'm okay, I disagree with you. You came up with something intelligent, I might disagree, but boy, you intelligently put it together. But when you don't even want to put together like the basis of understanding that you have to eat almost the same dead money hit you'd have to eat for Russell Wilson to move on from DK Metcalf in a trade. That alone should have been the end of story for anybody considering on the trade front of him. Oh, that's not happening. But I don't, I don't get a jocular. I wish I had a better answer for you, man. I don't. It frustrates me. I don't get it. It's silly. Um, and if we move off DK Metcalf, it's going to be for the detriment of this team in the long-term future, not for the help of this team. And for the immediate future, by the way, on that. Uh, great camp, Brandon. Wasn't Jamari Thrash listed Senior Bowl 511? I didn't update. So um, these are the, I, I kind of wait till the combine to get the last for sure measurements. Um, partly because the, the Senior Bowl was like releasing theirs on a um, like tweet by tweet basis, Greg. So I didn't, I didn't kind of go through the tweet by tweet on the Senior Bowl for the measurements. I'm kind of waiting until I get to the um, combine before I will get these all corrected and finalized to what their, their height weights are. But you're maybe right on that. I'm I'm taking it off of what his um, listed size was at, so it might be more down to like five eleven. That wouldn't be shocking. It wouldn't it wouldn't change much of the outlook on it. He is still bigger bigger than than Locke a bit there, if just by a couple inches. Chad Benz, do we get a conditional second round pick if we don't resign Williams? The only way you're going to get a conditional pick back, you can't get a second round conditional pick, Chad. Third round is the, the highest conditional pick you can get in, in uh, compensation back for losing players in, uh, in free agency. 
The only way that that's going to occur too is, of course, if you don't sign other free agencies, free agents in return. You know, so if you let Williams go and then you don't sign any other free agents, you might be able to get a third round pick back as far as compensatory goes for Williams if he gets a big enough contract. You'd probably get minimum fourth round pick if he doesn't sign for the big, big, huge monster deal. But uh, you'd get something as long as you don't bring other. It's it's all like that offset. You know, if you sign more free agents than you lose out you're not going to get any compensatory picks. And the NFL kind of arbitrarily decides what's losing more than you're, what's taking more than you're losing out or what's you've lost more than you took in. They sort of have the secret sauce and what determines that. But that's kind of the big rub on that one. Greg Kemp says the Hawks beat the Rams one time this season. They're, they make the playoffs. We were pretty close. Dealing with all those things already that were kind of holding us back a little bit. Slow B1, we're going to need to nail this draft. You're right. You don't have a lot of money to spend over the next two years. The, the back of this rebuild is going to come on the back of drafting um, with a value-based mindset and finding some diamonds in the rough and having these young guys grow that we've drafted over the past couple of years. BB says, uh, hey B, I know you're against trading DK, but if we get a good offer, would you pull the trigger? No, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get the theory. The theory seems to be, the theory seems to be by those, and I'm not applying this to UBP, that want to trade DK, but only if it's the best offer, and the best offer would be I'll trade him for a quarterback. So again, we come back to another thing that you know with me is a thing that I, I rail against. This, if we just go get the quarterback, everything else is fixed. If we just get the QB, then we're good. We're, it's, everything's handled. And I'm a big railer against this. I think what you do instead of jumping ahead of the line and trying to get your quarterback first, what you do first is you put the parameters of the team in place and then you go get the quarterback. Um, I do not see there being any way that number one, you'd get the value for DK anyway in a trade just on value assets alone. I think what you'd likely get is you'd get a first and a second round uh, pick from the Kansas City Chiefs or something commiserate to that. The Dallas Cowboys give you a first and a second round pick for DK Metcalf. So I have a late first round pick and a late second round pick for DK Metcalf. That's likely to be the returns you get. And then I have to eat $23 million of dead money in addition to that. And then that means that no, if I already have a hard enough time getting the returns back for DK as it is, I'm not getting any of the returns back for the dead money hit that I have to sustain from moving off of him. That's just dead money on my books for no particular reason, just for the hell of it. Now, I don't see there being any real smart reason to move DK unless you're getting a King's ransom back. If some team wants to offer me three first round picks or go over the moon in some crazy offer, if some team wants to make sure that they're building within their draft compensation the $23 million of dead money that we have to lay on this year with DK, then I'm okay with it. But no team is going to offer that. That's, that's, it's not going to happen. You know, The most a wide receiver will go through for in, in my recent time and looking through NFL history is two first round picks. That's the... Very top end, and boy, that's even that's really rare. Most of the time, it's one plus, like what AJ Brown moved for um, a couple of years ago. CJ says, "Do you what do you think we're going to do with Kobe? Kobe, man, he is special for real. We need to eliminate that safety cap hit situation. Is ridiculous." Well, that's definitely was at the, the head of what I look to do in my offseason approach this, with this uh, stream is get out from under all of the, the cap money with the safeties. Jamal, Quandre, they're gone. Um, I would move Kobe Bryant, CJ, back to the outside corner 
You're losing Michael Jackson. You're losing Artie Burns this offseason. You've got some room over there now at corner to go and fit him back out over there. He was a two-time All-ACC corner with Cincinnati. He was the Walter Thorpe Award winner in his final year of college. Let's move him back to where he's most comfortable. And I think that's cornerback. Steve Dickman says, so many questions, a lot of suggestions, very few answers, but one goal, go Hawks. I love it, Steve. Let's go. Brandon Mills, this guy's going for 15-2. Go. Uh, Brandon, wasn't Drew Sample on Hee Haw? Oh, wait, that was junior samples. Never mind. CJ, should we try to get the linebacker from the Bucks? I think his name is Levante David. You might as well just stay with, with uh, Bobby Wagner at that point, CJ. They're both the same age. Um, Bobby's a better run defender. Levante's a better coverage guy. Uh, Bobby's a better blitzer. Bobby's a better tackler. Both about the same price. I would just go for Bobby. Sloby, what do you think? I'm sorry, Sloby pushed off there one second. So he says, what do you think about trading out of the first, getting Jackson Powers in the second, grabbing Brandon Coleman in the third, and along with Eichenberg and Kalen Bullup, they're all there. Um, I don't know if Jackson Powers is going to last outside of the first. I think he might be a late first round guy, but I think some team might grab him there in the late first, Sloby, if you if we don't. Um, if you can give him the second, hell yeah. Love it. Um, Brandon Coleman. I don't think I've taken a look at Brandon Coleman yet. So um, the TCU kid, I'll, I'll have to take a look at him and what he brings. So uh, he's on my list for sure. I've got him on my, uh, my list to scout, uh, but just kind of slowly making him my way through Sloby. Uh, Eichenberg, I've got a fourth round grade. Um, Caleb Bullock, I actually have a second round grade on. So if he was the last into like the third or fourth, that'd be great. He's a fun safety. One of my probably top three safeties in this draft is Caleb Bullock, um, just behind Newbin and Kitchens for me. I might have Bullard ahead of him too. I've got to go look at more tape on Bullard, but uh, I'd be okay with that, Sloby. And yeah, Bowers would be the one guy at 16, Sloby, that'd probably make me jump on him and not move back. Jamarcus, if we don't go with the trade down route, who would you like to select out of the people that will likely be there at 16? Well, if you can't trade back and you've got to just go with where you've got to go, um, I would probably then just go for one of Jackson Powers, Graham Barton, or Troy Fatanu. Maybe it'd be a little bit of a reach at that point, but you've set the stage for the rest of your draft by getting the baseline of investment put in your offensive line. And if you come back and double back onto it in the third round, now you've really got an offensive line that you're starting to build up. Uh, a little bit like what we did with the Abraham Lucas, uh, Charles, Cross, Charles Cross draft with Jamarcus a couple of years ago. Kind of like you're replicating that. So I would do that. Sloby one, I like Cedric Van Pran. I've got him in the second round right now on my uh, on my big horizontal board. Mr. Dog, what is your strategy to not get cranky after someone drops a stupid comment after eight hours into a stream? Uh, I don't know. I sometimes get cranky. 
<laughs> I, most of the time I'm pretty patient with it, Mr. Dog, but there's been some in recent streams I've had where my patience level has dropped with it than it's been in recent years at times. Um, I don't know, there's certain subjects that probably trigger me as much as any others. Um, but it's few and far between. Most of the comments we get in here are very smart. People are funny, people are on it. Um, you know, yeah, identifying when I get in my most pissy and just where I'm like, boy, you're being moody. I can sense myself if I'm on stream. It tends to be when I'm four, five, six hours in, the stomach starts gurgling and I really need to get some food. It tends to be the big, the big thing as much as the comments. It's my own little, it's my gut making me mad. Slopey one, like it, Bullard Bullock. Let's go, brother. I'm with it. Uh, Howard Ma, what is your comp for Joe Alt? Andre Whitworth. Andre Whitworth, Howard. That's, I think he's going to be just that. Slobby Wad, what do you think about Jatavian Sanders? Jatavian Sanders is the second tight end for me in my draft board in this draft. Uh, the most at purely athletic tight end in this draft. Um, maybe one of the best pure pass catchers out there and, and what he brings as a receiver to the position, um, contested catches, um, going up over the top of it on guys. He brings some good yak with him after the catch. Um, hard to bring down in the open field. Um, decent blocker. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him an upper level blocker, but decent, willing to get his, get his head in there. It's, it's not always effective, but he'll find a way to try to do what he can do with it. But um, he's my only current second round graded tight end. So it's Bowers, Jatavian, and then you're, you're kind of dropping. I don't even think I've got a third round guy right now. Oh, no, I've got a couple of third round guys. And then third round, third round, you got Cade Stouffer, Jaheim Bell, Ben Sinnott. I think I'd have Sinnott actually ahead of Stover and Bell, technically speaking. Steve says 27 to 32-year-olds are top physicality years. That's your best potential. Yeah, so your prime. At least the Frank Clark signing was sad, man. Not much to be had on that one. Greg says, I'm all about baby. <laughs> baby. Cooper Bebe is great, man. Give you some versatility. You can play some tackle, play some guard. Young says, it takes a special kind of person to want to move off Metcalf. It blows me away. I get the little bit of the Geno stuff from people. I don't, I highly don't agree with it, but the DK stuff's been one where I'm just like, wow. And I've seen it throughout the year too. It was like, people were just, there's there's like a jump to to the second they get anything that reinforces it back to well well he got a penalty this game can we move him now I'm like yeah no no keep your hands off my DK Olivier Diet says we need him DK is a unit I agree Olivier or it's Oliver maybe I always like saying Oliver Olivier because it's just always that pronunciation is always fun. If it's Oliver, I'm sorry though, but I do agree with you. BP says, no one's saying DK is not a talent. He's a top 10, he's a top receiver, but if you had a chance to get a top 10 pick and more draft assets, especially with the wide receivers coming in this year's, this year's it's something I would entertain. Yeah, I've, and I know mine in the chat, but that's definitely why I just kind of tried to illustrate why I wouldn't entertain it. Um, 
ride receivers in a draft are always risky. And just simply, it's a little bit like quarterback and just the, the dedication to go take a guy in the top, in the top of a draft of the, at the receiver position in itself does not guarantee that you're getting a good receiver. But walk it through. We go up into eight. So we trade DK Metcalf and we're going to get a first round pick and a late second round pick. So we go up to eight. We get a guy in Malik Neighbors at the wide receiver position who may or may not be good as DK Metcalf. And then you're into the probably the late second round pickish that you're picking at that point. And even then, I don't think, again, uh, there's no way I don't think you're getting a top 10 pick for a DK. But even that top 10 pick, you're just kind of doing the same kind of move to go over at that point. Malik Neighbors comes in. He makes $9 million per year. You're sitting on $23 million of dead money of DK this year. So now between DK and Neighbors, you're spending $31 million of, of cap on that for the hope of what you would get of the guard, I guess, that you would get in the second round. But it's all built on that thought process that Neighbors comes in and gives you the production of DK, which there's no guarantee of that. It's a big old risk on that versus what you know you have in DK right now. And a player who's not old, who's not super costly. Remember the thing with DK on this contract he's on right now is it's actually pretty inexpensive. He went under the contracts of Debo Samuel. He went under the contracts of A.J. Brown. But no, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I don't think that that's a smart, smart fashion to go with DK in my opinion. But BP, you're not alone. There's a lot of people on this chat literally just on this show alone i've probably gone through a good dozen to 20 people here it seems like i've seen comments from that are on board with doing this so uh i hear you ricardo says i mean it's lean times for football talk as far as Salk's concerned got to come up with some controversy i guess to me it's like it's a little different if you're going to run a radio station show where you're supposed to be able to cover all these sports and as much as Salk. Uh, humps on the Mariners 24-7 when they do their stuff, you think that he could find something to mine from within that. But, you know, I, I I don't like disingenuousness, and I think that he was being disingenuous with that post, and I don't like clickbait stuff, especially coming from people like them that are supposed to be legit media. But, hey, I guess you got to do what you got to do, you know? I guess those in this game that don't have substance have to find clickbait. So... Good for them. <laughs> Ricardo says, Salk didn't even do the work to figure out trade partners. No, he didn't. Couldn't be bothered. You know? Couldn't be bothered to think about the dead money. Couldn't be bothered to think about who you're trading him to? Who's taking him on at this point? It's like, it's this proverbial trade that exists in this scenario of, of it's, I always say, like a vacuum. Like, teams don't exist with salary caps, their own situation going on, or why would they do that trade? Yep. Ricardo says, which team has a bunch of uh, spare picks to spare and a need a wide receiver one? I don't know. I don't know what that, that which were those trades. I can, that's where I can only think of Ricardo. It comes from a tra team that's picking late, late in the first round. Because when we've seen these trades move in the past, that tends to be where it's going to be like teens to late in the first round and you'll get like a first and a second round pick back. Yeah. If you look at just like the Tyree Kill deal alone, they got a first, a second, a fourth, a fourth, and a sixth. Is what they got.
And with Hill, it was more about getting out from under his contract than it was the guys you were bringing back in return, but... They selected Trent McDuffie, Sky Moore, Darian Kennard, and Rasheed Rice, and Keandre Coburn are who the Chiefs got for moving on from Tyreek Hill. And if you're telling me that that's the returns that I get equivalent for moving on from DK Metcalf, no. No. Team Bomber just saw a report that apparently an NFL team has McCarthy as the number two quarterback on their board. <sighs> Please don't be us. Please, by God, don't be us. It's Zach Wilson all over again, King. It's the Zach Wilson situation all over again. Like, whoa. BB, I don't think we'll trade DK, but if the Patriots would offer the third overall pick in the draft in the second round, that's hard to pass on. Um, yeah, I mean, that's fair to say. I mean, if you're getting if you're getting the quarterback in the draft, one of the three best quarterbacks in this draft, there's definitely a little bit maybe more of an argument to be made with that. But then there's the BP that there's no way you're getting that draft capital back. That's my only thing with it. We have so many trades in recent years of quarterback of receivers that are where DK's talent's at who didn't get those returns back or anything close to those returns back in a trade. So how how feasible would it be that we have no ba we have no baseline of there any kind of trade like that happening for a receiver? And then like you said, BP above, this is a real rich hist this is a real rich draft for wide receivers. And rich drafts for wide receivers don't tend to make teams go out there then trade for receivers on the open market that they'll have to trade for and then likely want to try to re-sign to a contract extension. If you're probably moving for DK, you're probably also counting on signing him to a contract extension if you're going to give up the draft capital. And that's where I don't think that that's, I mean, you can talk me into a little bit closer on getting down to that level of it, but I just don't know if that's feasible. He says, KJ, not podcasting anymore. Seems like you lost something when Pete was let go. They've been doing, they did the, they did the, uh, Super Bowl coverage down there, didn't they, Jason? A little bit. Hypotheticals is disgusted. Bears want DK. Trade him and get their native number one and the first overall pick they got from the Panthers and they eat the cap hit. I mean, again, if we could get this big a trade, I guess there, there does come a point where it becomes too much where it's like, okay, if we want to go that crazy over the top, I'm, then it's hard to say. You're right, you guys. If you go to that point, but it's like, are you going to get a team to do that? I don't know. Because uh, like to your point, BP, on getting that first, the third overall pick and the second rounder, what, the, what the, the, the Chiefs would be doing there or disgusted, what you'd be having with the Bears doing that there is they would be compensating you then for the dead money hit that you would have to sustain. In your case, disgusted having them actually just take on the money. Um, versus in BP scenario, they would be giving you extra draft capital to do so. And that's the part that I remain a little skeptical to believe that a team would give you that with DK. They might give you the assets for purely just the DK side of it, but... That then means a mid-first round, mid-to-late first round, and then a mid-to-late second round, I think, too. Maybe a kicker of a fourth or fifth round pick in addition. Did the Hawks Brandon Coleman, didn't he invent the thermos and tent?
BB says, and if you have a chance to get uh, time, uh, time a Dunzier or Malik neighbors with JSN and Kenneth Walker, Jesus. There'd be potential there with those guys, but there's also the bust rate with those guys, the potential that they may not be even that good of wide receivers, right? There's a good history with, when we look at the top 10 of receivers taken in that stance that are looked at as highly talented receivers that don't amount out to very much at all, uh, that are busts, flat out busts. That'd be a little bit my worry there is that it's, it's not as certain at the receiver position and what you're getting. Greg Kemp, what top 10 pick is going to be defended by teams? Number one cornerbacks, command double teams, and have the production DK has all while getting limited targets. JSN, the number one wide receiver took last year, got outplayed by Puka. Good, great points, Greg. And yeah, I'm not sure that there, I, I'm not sure there is. Maybe Marvin Harrison Jr., but you ain't getting him. You ain't, you ain't getting up there to pick him. And again, not a guarantee of it as well. Um, and the player that he'll be. Uh, DVD B, I'm not sure about the DK talk. I want to see what Grubb has in store for all our wide receivers and more. Bobo, DK, Lockett, and JSN might jump out of the stadium this year. I am too, man. We'll be doing some shows around a little bit of Grubb's offense this offseason, getting a little bit into what he brings into play for sure. Lord says, I think whoever has the number one pick pulls the upset instead drafts Harrison Jr. overall number one. Ooh, that'd be pretty crazy. That would be pretty crazy. Kristen uh, Fonte, uh, do you ever do PFF simulator mock drafts on your live streams? If so, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, we'll get another one going here um, really soon. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll try to do maybe even one on the next show if we can this Sunday. I'll put, I'll put one together. We'll kind of have some, because I'd like to run a lot of them. Um, I did do... Uh, as part of the, um, Kristen, as part of the um, uh, show today for the off season, I did run uh, a mock draft. I didn't do it on live. I did it kind of off live, off off whatever. But um, here was my mock draft over my right shoulder right here that I ran today, trading back a couple of times to pick up some extra picks in this draft. Might be unrealistic, might not get that, that value back in return for the trades for moving back twice. But it's really the spirit at play in doing these mocks, right? More than it is, this is exactly how it will work out. It's sort of, here's the spirit of what I'd like to accomplish when we go to getting to the drafts and how I'd like to run the drafts. So it's kind of the first one in there I was running here as a first sort of mock draft. But we'll try to do one, Kristen, uh, next Sunday for sure. We'll try to kick one out and see if uh, we can do kind of an updated draft here live with the folks because it's always popular. Everyone loves mocks, man. Everyone loves them some mocks. Uh, BP says, uh, last thing on DK, and I'm going to leave it at this. DK is putting up Calvin Johnson production, but I don't want his talents wasted in Seattle. And we don't win, especially him in his prime years, but he's been great. Well said on your part, man. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think he's very close to where Calvin Johnson was through his first five years. They are neck and neck in their productivity level. And let's remember with Calvin, he had a lot of stat padford rolling along doing what he was doing. Uh, meaning they had a lot of games they were behind where they were throwing for sort of empty yards to bump up Calvin's production, which has not exactly been what DK has been running through in his time here through the years uh, for what they've been trying to do. But uh, I get that. He is still only 26 BP. He came in this league so very young. DK's just turned 26. To me, he's still got a good four years of prime. So there still is that time to maximize him and, and have him to where you have the team rolling and he's still a, a really great player at that point. But uh, I get that, and I get that aspect of it too. Um, 
especially if it's in lock with getting the appropriate return back. Uh, Phoebe says, Trent Dutt, McDuffie's a beast. He is. I don't know if you'd go, as the way that trade kind of works as a bottom line, do you go Tyree Kill for Trent McDuffie? Yeah. And I think, obviously, it's the salary part that you've got to bring into play with, with Tyreek. That's really what drove that more than it being they were out on Tyreek as a talent. It was that we don't want to pay him the $30 million a year he's going to cost. But um, I don't know. The returns on the asset aren't always there. Maybe the only way I get rid of DK is if Caleb Williams is in the plan to Seattle B. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you get to one of the top two or three quarterbacks, like, well, I, okay, I get that. That gets a little harder. That gets a little bit tougher. Ricardo McCarthy's agent has been doing some serious work. First going number 16 in Kuiper's draft and now number two quarterback. Yeah, I mean, these guys must be chimed into something, I guess. People are hearing something on this. It's, it's not coming out of nowhere, I would think. Um, but boy, is it wild for me, man. I guess just every year there's got to be some quarterback who rises up that I just don't get. I'm like, man, I am missing, I am missing the boat on McCarthy completely. I watch his tape and I'm just not impressed. Certainly not first round impressed. Certainly not number two overall player impressed or two quarterback in the draft impressed. How do you look at like, a, I don't know. That's somebody who's obviously doesn't like Caleb Williams because they'd have Drake May as their one and then they'd have, you know, they don't want the improviser. That's what somebody's doing with their number, having him the number two quarterback. I want a guy that plays on time, plays on script, does what I tell him to do. <laughs> Greg says, Brandon, DK has better stats than Stefan Diggs when he was traded to the Bills. What did the Vikings get? I think they only got one. Uh, Stefan Diggs. They only had the number 22 pick. Uh, so, it was Stefan Diggs in a seventh rounder, Greg to the Buffalo Bills for their first round pick, which was the number 22 overall pick in the first round. That's why I said, like, I think, Greg, to me, the, the upside, you're right about the better stats, but then that's to me where you go, okay, well, then he'll get a first and a second. You know, if, if, if uh, Diggs got the first, then DK gets the, the same first round pick around that 22 mark. I think that's a good spot. And then you get the second round pick in addition to that. And then that's probably about it. Spaces you don't put a quarterback in front of our current line. Yeah, it wouldn't be fun for him. Wouldn't be a good day at the office, I'll tell you that. I dig docs. Brandon, is Zach's inter injured or did he recover? I believe he's injured. Um, I do believe it's going to cause him to drop a little bit. So he suffered a broken fibula and tibia against Ohio State. Um, and so he's still getting through that. But those the broken bones are the ones that are better, actually, weirdly, than the ligaments. It's the ligament ones that are the, the worry ones, like, you know, what Jamal had with the ligament, you know, what, what Jimmy Graham had with the ligament. So with the broken leg, it's not as much a problem with them coming back from that and being able to recover. Certainly, it's going to take him a little bit of time. That's why you get him dropping in this draft. That's why I was able to pick him in my draft, I think, in the, and why I think he'll probably be somewhere around the fourth round. 
where you'll be able to take him is because you're getting him with that injury. He's not going to have medical checks that he's going to pass um, through this offseason. But the upside's really great to be able to get. And if he's going to come back fully and we know the player we got on tape, then I'll jump on that in the fourth round. I'll take that risk. Long live the king. Thank you for the $5 donation, king. I appreciate you for that. Optimistic that pre-snap penalties and post-play penalties will be reduced this year. Seems like Baltimore emphasized mental aspect more than we have. Yes. I, I think that when it came to Coach Carroll, this wasn't a thing of Coach Carroll where he didn't know how to put a disciplined team together and he just didn't understand how to do it. And that's why you've, you were one of the most penalized teams going for the last 13, 14 years in the NFL every single year, just about with a couple of exceptions. I think that Carroll just put the onus upon other things, the value upon other teaching points, you know, emphasizing, let's say, playing fast rather than playing disciplined. That maybe he thought that there was a price that you pay in the discipline aspect to then play fast. And uh, I think with the Baltimore approach and with McDonald's approach, it's more of no discipline matters. Dif discipline adds up. And when you are undisciplined, it can hold you back in a major way. So it's a little bit of a different of a philosophy outlook, but then that's all the more reason, King, that I believe that the, the returns will be there so much more immediate with McDonald coming in, especially on something like a discipline point, because it's such a point of emphasis, whereas it was so much not a point of emphasis under Coach Carroll. It made sense why you were such a highly penalized team because of the way that they were coached and the way they went about it. Carroll was more big picture than he was details driven, I think. And that's why you have a little bit of that issue in year-by-year -year basis with the penalty front. Um, so it should be cleaned up, and I think cleaned up pretty quickly, King. I do. Yeah. That's one of the things I really like about McDonald, and I think that's what he brings into play here. I'm optimistic in that realm, too. And I don't think we're going to have to wait for it, King. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, I think a couple donations today, man. Thank you for a double donation today. Appreciate you on that. Lord Boom says, Calvin Johnson's situation is nothing like DK. The Lions had a horrible team and no chance of winning any time in that man's career. DK in Seattle. That's a different story. We have a shot. Amen. No, no, amen. No, amen. I was only making the representation too with the, the, the comparison between the fact that Calvin's got DK slightly beat through five yards on the yards. I think uh, they're right there next to each other on the, the touchdown receptions. But a lot of that came cumulatively from Calvin Johnson playing from behind in games. Stat Padford tossing him the ball over and over again and kind of built up those stats. Whereas DK, every year we're in the playoff hunt, to your point, it's, it's a different scenario with that. Despite that, he's put up darn near the same stats, uh, very close to through the first five years of Calvin Johnson. And Calvin Johnson's looked at this Megatron, and he's, you know, legendary receiver. And, you know, if, if you had 31 FL teams that were like, do you, you have your own kind of personal Cal Megatron? Would you, would you want to trade that? And he's only 26 years old. Do you want to trade that? Yeah, I think you'd have no other NFL teams out there that would be chomping at their bit within their fan base to be moving this type of guy. And, and in ours, we have a, a contingent that is. And it's, it is shocking to me. For that reason. I put DK on 31 other NFL teams. Nobody's looking at trading him. Everybody celebrates this guy being on my team. Everybody celebrates the fact they get to watch that on a weekly basis. But our fan base seems to have this, some in the fan base that have this little bit of a compunction to not appreciate it for whatever reason. I don't know, maybe it just rubs people the wrong way or something. You're disgusted. I hope Mike has a field day going up against Kyle and McVay, man. I hope so. 
Daniel W., the Tyreek trade worked out for KC because they got McDuffie and also were able to sign Orlando Brown to left tackle for a couple seasons. We aren't in that position, though. That's correct. Can't can't really apply the same comparison position-wise. It's a different situation um, for what's going on and, and who you have signed, who you don't have signed, where certain contracts are at. Also, the fact that they had Matt Mahomes rolling at that time. A different when you got your quarterback in play, especially the best quarterback in the sport. It allows you to feel... Plenty okay with making any kind of move in the book you got to move um, because you always got that QB to fall back on. But yeah, I agree with you on that, Daniel. Uh, Jamarcus White says that pick was Justin Jefferson. No, it was indeed. Yeah. Worked out better for them on that. They got the better player. And certainly that is an upshot of a possibility that can happen too. Though I think if we do go through most of these trades and, you know, as much as Kansas City was having to do that with salary, you know, you definitely lost cumulative talent versus offloading Tyreek versus bringing in, right? Uh, A.J. Brown trade to Tennessee. Tennessee did not get on the better end of that trade when you look at the assets that they got back in return for A.J. Brown. I think if we look at a lot of these receivers that are moved for these kind of picks, that we come back again and again to kind of, kind of finding that that tends to be the case in NFL history if we went through the multitude of them. But in that given case, the Vikings were able at 22nd to, to get a, a receiver like Jefferson. So McCarthy is rising because according to outlying analytics, he's the best scrambler, had the best third down and long conversion rate, and most accurate on sideline type throws. It's not about his tape. <laughs> yeah, it's funny if that's if that's what they're saying. That could make sense. Uh, I guess, you know, we're in an analytic, analytic age, you know? And I I guess that is it. With it where they're just they're they're drawing to these real advanced stats that they can point to with them, you know. And it's tough with the third down and long conversion rate or the, uh, you know, most accurate on, um, on schedule type throws or uh, the best, you know, how much was he being asked to scramble when he wasn't, when they had such a good offensive line or how many times were you actually in third and longs? You know, is there a sample size data with that type of stuff? Yeah, it's good data, but yeah, I think you're right. Maybe there's a little bit of that overriding versus just looking at the tape and what you're getting out there. Is Pumpkins a play fast or play disciplined kind of cat? Uh, fast. There's nothing undisciplined about... There's nothing undisciplined about Pumpkin. Or there's nothing disciplined about Pumpkin whatsoever. You might, she might see me just chilling here during the stream the whole time, but she's a... She's a Tasmanian devil when we're offline, aren't you? You go cray-cray. You go super cray. Uh, John says the chat, you guys are hilarious guys. You guys have been hard at work on all the channels telling people that want a different quarterback, Gino haters. Laughing out, laughing out ass off. Uh, Rob Stanton was talking about all you guys that were calling people Gino haters. I want to see Um Okay, John. I certainly haven't been, John. I don't go into anybody else's chat. I keep my opinions here to myself, but people go to all other chats with it. Um, kind of as if we were having the conversation uh, last time we were on the stream, John. It's, it's just, it's one that's been beaten into the ground over and over again. 
I don't hear a lot of new points being brought up from the people that are anti-Geno, nor do I see them counting a lot of the pro-Geno folks and the points that they bring up. Um, it seems to come to a gut instinct thing where somebody just says, I just feel like he's a bridge quarterback, or I just don't think he's the guy. What I've said to this is there's not really a lot of other place to go with it from at that point, John. You're dealing with the thing where a certain side of this camp feels like they're trying to bring up points and reasons, and this is that, this, 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 this. The other, the other side draws it all down to a very simplistic state. It all becomes very like rudimentary in the outlook of the quarterback position versus the complexity that exists with the position and how the position is impacted by outside factors, which the anti-Geno folks don't seem to bring a lot into play, John. Um, and I've been through this conversation for two years. Don't have to take my word for it, but I have. And that's where it stands, man. You know? So if John's talking about us, if Stan's talking about us, I just hope that he's presenting the arguments in the right state rather than trying to ad hominem or straw man the other side of the argument. That's been the whole thing I've been trying to do is just get to the actual tangible reasoning behind the anti-Geno sediment. Just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. John says, can we please stop calling people with differing opinions haters, please, for the love of God? No, it's something that I'm going to call people as far as on Gino if they're not going to bring valid points to it. Or you're going to tell me, well, I have my own personal gut instinct on what I see with him, that he's a bridge guy, or he is what he is. And John, the thing that I've seen over and over with the anti-Gino folks, and again, John, I'm, I'm kind of uniquely suited on this one than most people to talk about this, because I've been running a show for two years talking about Gino. I run multiple show, multiple three shows, four shows a week sometimes and having these discussions. And so I go everywhere, up, down, up, down, forward, and back. And doing these for four and a half, five hours, we're now five hours into the stream now, I get deep into these discussions. And there are discussions I get into at times within the fan base and segments of the fan base on given topics where I find that there are fans that are rooted down to a way of thinking that don't have anything to really back up their thinking but they just hammer on it and hammer on it. They passionately think it and they think their passion is worthwhile enough to sell their argument without actually having to sell their argument, without actually having to present their argument like you would if you were in the court of law and you're having to present your case. And rather than presenting the case, the anti-Geno folks end up coming down to these vague terms. He's a bridge guy. He is what he is. He'll never take you to the Super Bowl. It says, and rather than referencing actual specific laden points, and I think that that's where it starts to feel like hate. And I think that that's kind of accurately put. And if it's not hate, John, then the onus becomes on the anti-Geno folks to better present their arguments, which they have not done now for two years. And they continue to move the slit. They, they, they tend to slide, kind of slide the line of what makes Geno good, John. It's like two years ago where people tell me, well, he's a bad quarterback because Really what it comes down with a quarterback, a whole quarterback's value, and John, multiple people for a year made this presentation to me. Really what a whole quarterback's value comes down to is their ability with that final drive at the end of the game to take you down the football field. That's the ultimate determination of a quarterback's value. And then when he started doing that, they just kind of ignore that now and run past that one because you can't make that argument because he brought you from behind five times last year. So now they move on to the next thing and we start playing whack-a-mole. And it, stops to be, it starts to become a disingenuous conversation. One where one side's really at my point being with the anti-Geno thing of just, just believe what I think. Rather than you presenting your argument, just believe what I tell you guys is the truth of this. 
No, you got to present your argument. And I don't care whether it's Danton, average fan, or anybody else. If you have a standpoint of being anti-Geno, build your argument up then. Don't speak in magnanimous terms like, you know, somebody's on high and they just see the sport clearer than everybody else. And they're just such a genius in how they see the sport that that's how, why people should believe them when they say Gino ain't the guy. You got to build your case. And John, and you don't have to take my word for it, but this is what I'll tell you, man. I've been doing this for two years and I've had a lot of conversations with anti-Gino folks. And more often than not, at like about a 99% rate, I don't get anything tangible back in the conversation from them presenting the case. It becomes like I'm chasing ghosts, chasing empty, vague terms that don't mean a whole lot when you still try to really pull them apart and get to the depths of them. So if the folks don't want to be called Geno haters on the other side of it, then present the argument to not make it seem like you have a built-in bias against Geno that you had from the moment he walked in as the starting quarterback, which a lot of these guys had, John. I, I see a lot, not you, I'm not applying this to you, John, but I've had a lot of usernames that came in here two years ago telling me this and telling me that about Gino and speaking with ultimate authority on what they knew was the beat-em boss line on, on Gino Smith. And you know what? Their ultimate authority at that time, two years ago, was never the Gino would have produced like he has the two last two years. So now again, we move that line. We move that line of, okay, well, he's not this, but he's this. He's not this. Okay, well, he's that, but he's not this. Okay, well, he's that, but he's not that. Just build the arguments is all I'm asking for. That's what's gotten me frustrated with this, John. That's what's frankly kind of started to piss me off about this conversation is nobody is willing to really on that anti-Geno side fully build their argument for mu as much passion as they're bringing to play. Plenty of passion. Plenty of passion from the anti-Geno folks, but not a lot of solid argument on their, on their ground of their basis. That's the part that's missing. I'm good with the passion. Love the passion. You got to build your argument though too in addition to it. And in my opinion, in doing two years of this, Four, four shows a week, John, and this discussion coming up just about every single show, multiple times over. I don't see it. Uh, CJ King, all people complain about with DK is penalties, which most likely come from him outmanning the guy across from him. Soft. Agreed. And it's not even that crazy, the penalty situation. Is it good? Is it something that should be correct and fixed? It'd be nice. It doesn't help when you have teams targeting him, like San Francisco was trying to target him as they admitted Shannon's like, yeah, we we're trying to get DK to get a penalty. We're targeting him to do that. Well, it's, it gets, I think, even a little bit tougher on that. I think the officials definitely are watching him with a very keen eye as well, which doesn't help. But uh, yeah, it's not enough in itself for me either to be wanting to move off of him. I think that you're right. That is a big part of it, though, in some of the folks' minds. Lord says, to be honest, I don't care who we actually draft this year. I'm going to be in it with a clear head. We have new coaches, so we have a new team coming. I'm good with it. Excited to see what happens. It's a great outlook, Lord. I'm with you on it. John says, no, I think people want better for their franchise. We just want a young and upcoming star quarterback like when we had Russ. Yeah, I, I just think that, that wanting a young upcoming seems more to me like, John, of, I want something new and fresh. I don't want something that's been around for a while. I want new and fresh. Well, that again doesn't have anything to, to do with tangibly building an argument for why Gino's not good enough currently where he stands. That's more of just the fascination of wanting the new.
Mikkel Cam, Brandon, do you think you'll go after some big hogs in the defensive line, like maybe sign Williams, but also go after some fast but big defensive defensive tackle, nose tackle, as well as faster, stronger edges, like Mike McDonald had in Baltimore? I think Jadavian Clowney would be a, a possibility here, Mikkel Cam. Um, I don't think you're going to have a lot of money to go out there and really go out there and go hog wild for big hogs on the defensive line. You're going to be kind of restricted on that. I think it's more likely you try to maybe draft guys than sign guys there. You know, if Michael Pierce was to get released by the Ravens because they have to then sign, um, who's the kid, Justin Matabuke to a big contract, and they've got Travis Jones ready in the ranks, maybe you'd look to target a guy like that. But I think it's more likely you try to draft than sign just because the money situation will be tight. Disgusted, I got in trouble in Jesse's stream from last second sports for trolling too hard after they lost. Yeah, they knew it was coming a little bit, probably. They had to know it was going to come a little bit. Yeah, John, so I don't like, uh, so John, and again, John, I, I almost think, John, I got your number on this. I think what I'm going to do is give you a call and then we can talk on this man-to-man -man on this and just maybe get to maybe some common ground in our, our understanding of where each person's coming from on this one. Because I think there's a, something lost a little bit on the on the uh, lost in translation between the text on this. Um, I, again, John, I think it's really hard when you start to evaluate a quarterback that doesn't have consistent ground game, doesn't run to the perimeter, doesn't throw to the middle of the field at the 22nd level, has a very... Uh, you know, dusty playbook that's not exactly trying to push things forward. And then you have a defense that spends three-fourths of the field on the field. They end up dominating the time position so that your offense has to be maximally efficient while all of those other things are dealing at play. As I've said to the folks that are anti-Geno or however you want to put that, whatever term works that's not going to, you know, trigger on that, John, no quarterback seeing in that environment. No quarterback, even that young up-and-coming Russell that you're looking to target is going to be doing good in that environment. Do we all understand, John, on this? The last two years, any quarterback from a Justin Fields to uh, anybody you want to put back there is going to fail in that environment that you put that quarterback behind. That's the part that's inherently lost on this. You speak about red zone. Is a red zone completely only on the quarterback? Does it have nothing to do with pass protection? Does it have nothing to do with running the ball, John? John, you're a smart football mind. You know as well as anyone, red zone success is as much dictated by your ability to run the ball in the red zone. If you have an inability to completely run, run, the, uh, run the ball at all, for the most part, and you're especially bad at running in the red zone, you're going to be an ineffective red zone team. That doesn't specifically go to the quarterback itself. Does the quarterback impact that some? Well, sure. But again, when you come back to, I don't run the ball, I don't pass protect well. And John, do you think that maybe the lack of being willing to target the middle of the football field might affect our red zone effectiveness? If you think about the red zone touchdowns we've had over recent years where we've been in the red zone, how many of those throws go to the back corners? How many of those throws were actually coming into the middle of the football field? It's these things, any quarterback you bring into this environment, John, in the past couple of years would have likely have fallen on their face, not been serviceable, not been a top 10 quarterback, would have fallen on their face. And that's the part, again, that I, I think that that two and two doesn't connect for the anti-Geno folks at all. And I don't know how you overlook all of those things. It ain't just one thing. Bad packs protection can sink a quarterback's play alone. Not having a running game can sink a quarterback's play alone. Having a defense on the field for three-fourths of the game could sink a quarterback's play all on its own. Not throwing to the middle of the field for the 30-second rate sinks a quarterback's play 
all on its own. Collectively put those all together. Can you not see that there seems like a cognitive dissonance, John, for the folks who ignore all of that and just come down to, I just think he's serviceable. If he's serviceable, John, how did he get to a top 10 rate over the last two years in his play dealing with all of what I just talked about? That's not serviceable. That's playing much better than serviceable at that point, where we've got maybe two different definitions of serviceable. What's up, Flag? Uh, E36 swinging. My beef with Gino is that he holds on to the ball a bit too long with zero pocket awareness. Drew's accuracy not great, but at least he knows when a sack's coming. I'll try to look up the stats. I don't have them readily at, at hand. I, I've not seen the stats that back up that Gino holds onto the ball too long. I think if that's a feel, it feels like he holds onto the ball too long. I don't think Gino would be up around the top echelon of, of quarterbacks holding on the ball too long myself. But I'll try to get that stat and see if I can find it at some point offline. If I can find this here. It's one of those stats that's a little bit hard to find. They always get it presented at some point this offseason. So once we do find that stat, I will try to present it to back up what I'm saying here. But I would estimate that Gino is not even in the top 15 as far as holding on to the ball on average per throw. He's top 15 in getting the ball out of his hands. So if it just if we're putting that stat, then that would be representative of the fact that he's holding the ball three seconds on average, right? That would that would function all up to that point. Dude, Bob, what's the cat's name? The cat's name is Pumpkin. Rob Stanton has the best argument for moving on from Geno. It's not about 2024. It's about the future with the new coaching staff. So even if we are worse next year because Gino's gone, that's fine. It's not about next year. Well, I, I, there are people that want to take, I guess, completely just a, a pass on next year and say that there's no chance that we can compete. Um, and okay. I mean, if the people want, want to bear it down to the ground, I guess, uh, okay. Um, I don't think that we're as far off as maybe others think then on that, Daniel. But again, we come back to these things that are all things that have nothing to do with Gino himself as a QB. It's all, well, what's this thing for the future? The timing on this? Well, I want a young quarterback that it never comes back around to, what about the evaluation of just Gino as a QB though? Why does it have to be these other things that come into play in the decision? Why should those other things come into play in the decision? Does moving off of Gino get you closer to that quarterback in the foreseeable future? No, not necessarily. Does it save you a significant amount of money this year? No, you'd actually probably save more money next year if you're really looking to move on from him or at least to make sense. I, I don't know. I think we have a potential on a team to be better over this next year, even with some of the growing pains that might happen to happen, but that's going to be probably an inherent disagreement between me and others on that and the outlook of the team.
Rando says, Cooper Bebe is one of my favorite players to target the draft, but I see a lot of mocks have him going late second to mid third. Am I crazy? Because I see him as a late first top 45 pick. That's also where I see him at Brando. But I like you have also seen many of the mocks have him push down just a little bit in their outlook of him, which is, uh, I guess, well, maybe, we're, maybe we're a little bit higher on him than we should be, you know. Well, Levy King, I'd like to hear a statistical data argument that proves Geno isn't worth being a top 10, 12 quarterback. Only argument I could see is age, but his mileage is low and better than average mobility. Agreed. Part of, part of why I don't understand. Um, I was just looking at, for instance, as well, too, this upcoming season. Uh, even at $31 million, where this is an argument people will make, King, as well. It's one thing when he's on a $10 million contract, but now he's on a $31 million contract. You know, he's going to be like one of the higher paid quarterbacks. Like, no, he's not. I was doing the work last night, and with the quarterbacks that are ahead of him and the quarterbacks that are going to get paid new contracts this year, Gino is likely to go from being the 17th highest paid quarterback in the sport to being the 15th highest paid quarterback in the sport. Seems like still pretty good bang for buck for me. Dizzy91, who can replace Gino right now that's going to elevate this team more than he can? Honest question. I don't see anybody that can, Dizzy, and I don't think anybody's going to the next even two years be that guy that could be that. So if we're just talking about competing next year, we're going to bring in a quarterback next year, and then we're not going to compete for next year as well. So we're trying to wait three years until we're actually going to compete when we have a quarterback into year three. I don't think that the team is that far away myself. John says, the main knock on Gino is he cannot create... To do, he cannot do a good enough degree when plays break down. For the most part, he's statuesque. Well, a guy looks like he's under statuesque, looks like he's statuesque when he's pressured a lot too, isn't he, John? I mean, when your guy's under constant duress, that's going to make him look statuesque because he's always got guys running around him. Uh, again, I don't, here's the thing with this. If he's statuesque, John, he's got 28th best pass protection in the league, right? But yet he has a, he's under the sixth rate in the NFL in sack rate, Right. So let's take what you're saying there. He's a statue. Can't move in the pocket. You get close to him, he's getting down to the ground. Those two stats don't add up, right, John? 28th worst pass protection means I'm under an onslaught of pressure, which means I'm going to get sacked all the time, seven which ways from Sunday, right? But he's got an under six sack rate for the year, meaning that he was getting himself out of, out of trouble, meaning he was getting the ball out of his hand, meaning he was getting rid. This is the whole thing about him holding on to the ball too long as well. If he had a, of a, of a problem where he's holding on the ball for too long, well, he'd be taking more sacks. He wouldn't be top six in the low sack rate. It'd be up there in the 20s, right? It would, it would fit in alignment with the pressure rate that he was underneath. But that doesn't fit in alignment to that. Um, but could he, could he make some better decisions in movement? And again, I'm not saying Gino's even a perfect guy here. I'm saying he's a top 10 quarterback, which means you're going to have some, some holes to your game. You're not going to be perfect but you're still going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the sport, one of the top one-third quarterbacks in the sport. And paying that guy 15th, uh, and to John, it's just like, conversations, just one. I'm so over. Flicker switch, always a conversation about Gino. That's the thing about the anti-Gino folks is that it's a conversation that also comes in to dominate. It's like, John, it's got to come in and then just dominate the whole discussion over the top of other stuff. And it's like, you guys are a small contingent that want Gino moved on. I don't think that's the majority of the fan base. And even though there's a good amount of you they're talking about, like you're so loud about it with all of the other things that we could deal with, John, on this team. This is, your, this is the number one issue on your plate right now. This is the number one thing bubbling for people is the, is the quarterback and Gino. 
all these other things in this team we could correct and get fixed and, and need to get fixed and help, but it's Gino at the forefront from some folks. That's why I say where it's, they're so loud and it just keeps coming. That's why every stream, every stream, Gino, 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 can we get rid of him? Can we get rid of him? Can we get rid of him? How about now? How about now? How about now? How about now? Uh, Daniel says, Rob, Stan's overall point was let's move off of our bad contracts this year and stop teetering, thinking we're this close to the Super Bowl when new coaches get out of the bad contracts and rebuild a bit. It's a way of going. Um, it's, again, a little bit, Daniel, down to the outlook of where you stand with the team. So Rob feels like this team is nowhere close to a Super Bowl um, and that it needs to be rebuilt back down to the ground and that you need to be three years essentially away or two to three years away from getting to a point where you're ready to compete is his outlook of it. Um, I disagree with him on that. I see a team that got to nine wins last year, Daniel, who's had two of the best drafts in recent memory of our history in, as a Seahawks organization. Um, I look at it as well of that you were held back and limited by a lot of things coming from the coaching staff on down. And that when you remove those limitations, when you remove those inhibiting factors, that the team now has more upside to it and its potential and what it can bring to play. Meaning that it can get a lot closer to get to a contending status than longer. And, and to my point on this, Daniel, John Schneider into what he said and in his actions and ownership's actions, fitting much more along in alignment with what I'm thinking rather than what maybe Rob's thinking on this one. Being that you moved on from Coach Carroll. Clear indication that you went, you know, problems not my general manager and his drafting. Uh, problems at the first and foremost with going and getting the coaching fixed. I've mentioned there's about a good seven or eight things, Daniel. Seven or eight strong things that help this team out immediately as Mike McDonald walks in the door and they don't take three years of transitional period to fix. Um, I think you get those things fixed. I think you can be two or three games better. I think if you're two or three games better, I think you're a Super Bowl contending team. Um, are you a front runner? Maybe not at that point. But I also think that just pulling everything down to the studs and going down and taking this team and saying, we're just going to be in Loserville next year and let's just own a year of losing. I'm not a big tank guy. I don't think that that ends up working out in the way that it ideally, it, it sounds good on paper. It sounds like that'll be the way and then we'll just turn it all around and we'll have all this free money, but it doesn't tend to work out that way in practice, I would say, when watching teams try to take that track. It, it might sound good in philosophy and um, again, it comes down to maybe just a, an inherent disagreement. This kind of started out, Daniel, more about wanting to tear down the contracts and more about the Geno assessment. Again, it's the moving of the ball thing for me on this, where it gets hard to have this discussion or debate, Daniel, because it's always, well, it's not about that with this. It's actually about that with that. Well, it's not actually about this with this. It's actually about that with that. I end up chasing my tail like a dog going in circles, trying to pin down the exact argument and debate we're actually having here in regards to Geno and what we're talking about, you know, but uh, I'm, I think I'm good on it too. I think I'm good. Right, right. Can you see us drafting Michael Onaway? He can play right tackle and has played right guard at an extreme high level. Um, possibly. I don't know if we would have the money to spend on that one, Rev. I'm not sure what he's going to get on the open market either, though.
John, we don't know if Schneider has gotten calls or Gino or not. It doesn't, it again, doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with what other teams want Gino or whether they don't want Gino. I, I don't think, John, when it comes to 33-year-old quarterbacks, there's ever going to be a, a ton of teams looking to trade for those guys with the exception of guys that have an MVP trophy on their books or something. So I, I, I don't know if that's a good, again, has nothing to really do with the play on the field of Gino at that point. It's a team-friendly contract. He's paying. He's being paid fifteenth. He was seventeenth last year. I don't. You're making the argument now that we're overpaying Gino. Really? I gotta wrap this one up. Dizzy says he. Uh, Gino was top ten. When under pressure this year, John, he played well with a battered line. I think Gino was the one. I don't think Gino's the one to lead us to a Super Bowl, but I think he's an asset right now with his contract. Great way of putting it, Dizzy. Perfect way of putting it. And uh, I, I tend to fall in alignment with it. Yeah, John, it's not going to be a decision you're going to... John, here's the thing. I've been right on this whole thing so far with the Geno thing for two years now. I'm not going to be wrong right now. Right, bro? I was on this a, a couple years ago going, man, uh, by, uh, doubters beware. All you are doubting. I did a whole video on it before the start of the year two years ago. I've been on this road from the start, and I've been right on this road from the start, and you know what? I'm going to be right on this in another week. Geno's not getting cut. He's not getting traded. He's going to be on your roster for the 2025 season. I only wonder if the anti-Geno, I won't call you Geno haters, John, but if I wonder if that the anti-Geno folks at that point will start to give folks like me a little bit more onus and saying, hey, maybe the front office actually views it the way you view it. Very, with, rather the way I view it, maybe they're kind of viewing it the way you're viewing it went. Because if they viewed it the way you viewed it, John, then you would be cutting him here, wouldn't you? It'd be a no doubt about it. Post-June 1st designation, let's go, right? So if you guys are right, the people that are hammering me on the Geno stuff are so right. This should play out in the next couple of days. There's a decision coming down. So it should be straightforward and super easy for the team. I mean, he ain't shit, right? He ain't shit. So like, why are we have him on if he ain't shit? Get rid of that fucking dead garbage, right? Dump that in the back. Just dead weight, right? Why hold on to a bridge guy? John, it's not that I don't like talking about it. It's just that it, it's something that it's being hammered and hammered too much. There's other topics on this team. And for you anti-Geno folks, it's the only topic you want to talk about. And that wears people out. It's wore me out, man. I've been doing this for two years as a dance. And your side of this, John, keeps moving the line. Geno's this. No, wait, over. he's over here. He's not this. Wait, no, no, he's over here. He's not that. It's an impossible conversation to peg down. It gets nothing but endlessly frustrating and frankly, I've seen a lot of very, sm what I would consider smart football minds who've got a big dead spot on this one. And I don't get that. It has me completely perplexed, this outlook of things, John. There's, there's players that I understand the disagreement on. There's others that are just like, this is, this is so wild kind of to watch. The guy's been part of what's helped this team, John. There's been so much that's not helped this team. There's been so much that's, that's been failing on this team. Why not concentrate on that? Why concentrate on one of the things that actually has helped you over the past two years? You went to the playoffs last year because of Geno Smith. He had you beating the Niners through a half, scoring every time on the road in a playoff game. And it was only at the point, John, where you were learning as an offense, you're going to have to score all day because your defense wasn't going to stop a single thing from the Niners on the day. But like those games, those kind of situations don't do anything to fade the anti-Jesus. There's, there's nothing he can do to prove himself. And that's what's become clear to me. And that's why the conversation is kind of dead.
So I don't think that absent Gino going out there and having an MVP season and single-handedly winning the Lombardi, the anti-Gino folks will never be swayed over to pro-Gino folks. And so therefore, what's their debate, John? If you're locked in so heavily into what you're thinking and not building up really a very good case on the back of anything, what's there left to talk about? Especially too, it's been exhausted, man. Two years of talking about it, we've gone through every angle of it. There's no other place to go. It's, it's been moved. It's been changed. It's been autumn. I'll tell you what, John. I'll call you offline, man. I got your number, man. I'll call you directly, man, and we can have the back and forth, and we can get to maybe some common ground on it, because it's just not going to happen in the chat, okay? I've done enough of these talks now, and it's, it's not going there. Yeah, I'm okay with quarterback talk, flick of the switch, but bring something new to the talk then. Don't bring me old, tired talking points that aren't based on anything, but basically just your gut instinct for the position. And I'm at a point where that's where people are, or they're just like, let's, let, this is the other new argument I'm hearing. We want to just tear everything down to the studs because why? Why not? Okay. The original conversation is about whether or not Gino's a good quarterback. Are we getting the bang for the buck? Is he a top 10 guy? Not whether or not it has anything to do with tearing things down to the studs or this or that. And that's where I was, again, the, just, it's an impossible, the conversation moves every point, John. TJ says, I can't wait till Kalani comes back to Seattle. I feel like we'll come back. Plus Bobby Wagner wanted him back before he left. I hope so. I had him coming back in uh, the first roll around on this. Tony Wright, as I stated, Kyle Shanahan is the problem. I know from what he did to us in Atlanta by not running the ball, two more plays to kick a field goal to put us up 31-20 with three and a half minutes left in the Super Bowl. Definitely doesn't like to go to the run game at the right time, man. That's how it would seem. I'm really good. Like, honestly, I love all topics and I'm open to all topics. I'm five hours into the stream today. I'm, I'm going to let you guys know this right now on it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to about reach the point where I just can't go there with Gino on it. I'm not asking for my mods to do a thing. I don't want you guys to do anything out there. I don't need anybody to move anybody on anybody saying anything in it. But I'm just about to let you guys know on the thing on this. Like, the conversation is too, for, for John Robinson, it's a, you pop in a conversation here, one hour, I'm already four hours in the stream, haven't already talked to it. I've talked about it for two years. I'm not the only, when you talk about me having to talk about this topic, it ain't just you turning it over with your buddy. I've been hammered on the Geno stuff from the anti-Geno stuff, folks, for two years. You've been banging on me for two years on this thing. And I've been on the right side of this on looking on Geno and everything else. You guys have been on the wrong side of it that are on the anti-Geno folks and you won't own it. You're, you still double back down onto the negativity on Gino and the negativity of his and this, negativity of that. And it drives me crazy. I got nowhere else to go with it. I've talked it up and down every way. I've made every point I can make. If it's not resonating with you, I'm sorry. I guess I'm not good enough as a communicator to get across my given point. I will say this. You anti-Gino folks have not been good as communicators in getting across your side of it. It seems slanted. It seemed biased. 
And it seemed that way from the very jump of Geno walking out there as the starting quarterback. And that's unfortunate because you've missed some pretty good quarterback play. And he's done a good job under an onslaught. Radu, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate it, Radu. I see Garth, you got a dono in there too. I'll get to it in just a sec here. Sorry about that. Radu says, Mike wants an aggressive running team. Would Sharb be a better fit for the offense? Sharb and Walker are both second rounders. Could our starters be flipped? Um, I don't think so. I, I think that you got to commit in this modern age to a 17-game season, Radu, of needing a multitude of running backs. The uh, Ravens have had some uh, some ground and pounder guys in there. Uh, you know, your Gus Edwards types that can go in and, you know, just run it hard and run it strong up the middle. Um, and then they've had their, their fleet of foot guys that they can go to as a secondary option too. So he does have a history with the Ravens offense of having a couple of different running back style of type guys in there that can get it done. And uh, so it's not just one way for them or one type of back, um, which is would lead me to believe Rodu. I think that there's a two-headed punch here. You know, there's a two-headed... You can use these guys as a punch, counterpunch kind of uh, flow. And um, that is the way to maximize this running game to the utmost. Um, so I would I would say that uh, I don't think that the starter is going to be flipped there. I, I think Walker is your starter. He's more dynamic. He's got more big playability. But you're going to find a way to get both of them carries. And so that it becomes a little bit more unimportant as to who the starter is if they're both getting, you know, Walker might get, 50 to 75 more carries on the year or something, you know, if that's the real difference between the two. Thank you though, Radu, for the $5 donation. I think Walker stays though. I think he still stays. Uh, Remember too, Radu, you're going to have, there's definitely a lot of power elements with Grubb, so he's going to lean on to Charbonnet with that, but there's also going to be that getting it to the outside and working those edges. And that's where Walker will really uh, fit in there on that side of it. Garth Knight, thank you for the $10 donation, Garth. I man, all the donations tonight. Thank you for my, so much for you. I really, really, really do appreciate that. He says, Geno Smith is the Kwai Chang Kane of football. He's learned, grown so much during his career, but every city block has a dusty saloon with an inebriated patron who calls him a Chinaman. It's <laughs> pretty much it, yeah. He is like Kane from Kung Fu, man. He's been wandering, just kind of helping out taking care of things, but yep, can't get no respect. And uh, I, 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 it, I don't get it. I don't get it. As I've said, I think you put just about any quarterback into this league, into the environment that they would have had to deal with in this team over the past two years. And every quarterback would have just about failed in that environment. Every quarterback would have suffered or, or struggled to find some sort of competency. It's, it's having all of those factors working against you. I don't know what people were expecting from anybody who played the position. And the fact that he's done what he's done should be drawing more applause and praise, but it, it won't. Kane will just have to keep Garth, uh, I guess, you know, walking the lands, walking the earth, doing good, helping people out. Maybe eventually when he's like 40 or something, <laughs> somebody like, oh, he's a pretty good quarterback. Not a bad player. Not too shabby. Uh, not the long-term answer. Don't lose and take advantage of that. Win now. Keep bomber. He's not the long-term answer, but don't lose what we have now and take the advantage of his contract and win now. Amen. That's the route I'd go. And Garth Radu, thank you for your donations on the channel here. I appreciate you for that.
Hey, Barbara, I want to tear this roster of the studs, but that doesn't include Gino. What's up, Phoebe? How you doing? George Squitter, how many UW players did the Seahawks draft with Ryan Grubb? Uh, the Seahawks draft uh, at least one. I think they take one drunk. So I, I think either get one of Troy Fatanu or uh, Rosengarner. I think. Edifon, an option as well. Swedish says, my joker moment, I'm tired of pretending Gino's not capable of leading this team and to a Super Bowl with an above average line. Top five running back, wide receiver room, and a top 15 D. D-Mac and John Schneider can get it there. It's my outlook on it as well, Swedish. That's how I look at it as well. You give him those items, he can't be a Super Bowl. Why not? Well, because there's been Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady in recent years. Well, I don't think that they were the only way to get there. I don't think that that's the only pathway that you get to a Super Bowl just because they've recently been there. I think that there are other ways and that's a way to do it, Swedish. And we did this 10 years ago. So think about the people that think it's all about the QB. 10 years ago, we got there, not on the back of our quarterback solely, not on the back of him being a superhero, but on the back of a team that got you there. Greg says, our fan base has some weird sex, mostly the anti-Geno, anti-Metcalf people. I don't understand the hate they get at all. I don't either, and you're right. On, in regards to specifically those two people and on this team, I don't get it at all. And it is something. It gets brought up a lot. I hear a lot on my channel. And uh, I, I don't, it's, it, it really is mind-blowing to me. It's frustrating. It's mind-blowing. I don't know where people are coming from in their standpoint on this at all. A flick and switch, how about Cedric Gray out of North Carolina? Maybe a mid to lower third round pick. Cedric Gray's fun, really athletic, covers well in space, a little undersized for the position flick of the switch, but I'm sure he's going to test well and run really fast. I think around the mid third round place is a good spot for him. Yeah. DJ says, why is everyone hating on Gino? He's being paid one of the least amount of money. Plus he led us the playoffs and almost got again this year. He's cheaper than Russ, got players around him and he's good. That's my thinking as well with it, TJ. I don't understand it either. And they don't like calling it hate, but it starts to seem like hate when there is not much of an argument for why he's not those things you mentioned. He doesn't cost a lot. He's not taking up all the money. How hard is it to find value in a quarterback contract in this day and age? We found it. How hard is it to find a quarterback who could take less than he probably could get on the open market, but we found it? it, it like... Johnson, the bottom line is we have the right staff now, so there's no excuses. I trust Schneider and quarterback's evaluation, and he'll do what's right for the team's future. Glad to hear that, John. I'm glad to hear that. That's right. Merritt ran the cut. Think Mafia has a Pro Bowl type season. He showed great improvement. Yeah. I think what happened is that you had Uchenna go down and the double team started to shift a little bit more to Mafia, and I don't think he was able to be quite as productive once the double teams came his way at a little bit higher rate. But uh, he showed that what he could bring in the potential as a pass rusher and I'd expect him to continue to take these steps forward. Jocklear says blank's weight is not smart at all. It's it's not. It's it's a good theory in 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 theory on paper, but it's a little bit like tanking. It just does not quite work out in practice. You know? Cardo says it was inevitable after Pete left. The anti-Pete people now need a new person to slander, and now they're focusing on Gino. 
Could be that. Dizzy says, hard, in, hard, to, hard not to want a quarterback like Gino at the price with his knowledge and capability. Makes, makes it possible to build around him. Exactly. And build around him quick. Because you know you have a lot of things taken care of at the quarterback position that he can handle. John says, Pete wanted to continue with Gino, I think, until he retired. He loved Gino. Well, yeah, John, but remember, he also loved Russell, right? He didn't want the Russell trade to go down either. He would never have even gotten to Gino if he was able to have overrode John at that time in the trade. Fimi, be what's your opinion on Colby? He's ascended as a blocker next season and a good receiver. I think we should sign him back, or does he have another year on his contract? He's a free agent, feed me. Right now, Sports Track has him listed out at being $6.3 million per year what he's going to get on a contract. That's going to be a bit expensive for me. I don't think we'll quite have the money to spend on that. I think we're going to have to go for more of a lower cost option at this point. Drunk when can teams start signing and trading for players? They could do it now if they wanted to. But probably... Um, it, it can kind of happen anytime. It's, it can start happening even now. You might have teams wait to the new league year that's, that's a good kick-in spot when the new league year goes in and now you're on the new books and, okay, now you can start to do some things then as well. So you might see that as being the, ne the next kickoff spot. But you have the first week at the end of the season. So in the side of this first week, you have guaranteed contracts like Gino or the Russell Wilson deal, which make the decisions driven down to the front offices to have to make that determination. And then once we get into early March, the new league year turns over and then, uh, and then you're good to go. Jeffrey Thistle, thank you for the $2 donation. He says, Geno Smith is better than Brock Purdy. Prove me wrong. I won't prove you wrong, Jeffrey. I, I would agree with you on that. I think Geno is a better quarterback than Purdy. I think if Geno was on the San Francisco 49ers, I don't know if there's anybody that can't tell me that that's a team of the Niners that goes and wins that game. There are three or four games in that, in that game where what Kansas City did to San Francisco was exactly what Kansas City did to, to Lamar and the Ravens. They had a quarterback that they knew didn't have the arm strength and the arm accuracy to throw those nine routes deep. And so they forced those quarterbacks into a position of you're going to have to throw this three, four times a game in this game. And if you complete those balls, you, you might beat us. But we don't think you can complete those balls. I know Geno Smith could have hit some of those throws that Purdy was not able to put over the top. Even with pressure bearing down against him, I've seen him make those throws. But yeah, I agree. He's a better player. He can do more from the position in processing behind the, the line of scrimmage. He's got a better arm than Brock Purdy. And uh, I do think the Niners would have won that game if you had Geno in there instead of Brock. Great point, Jeffrey. Flick and switch would be nice if we could find a way to pick up a mid-second round pick. I'd love to see Braylon Trice on the Seahawks. I think Braylon's going in the first flick. I don't think he'll last to the second, though maybe some of this depends a bit on his testing times. I don't think he's going to test necessarily great, which might allow him to dip, to your point. Um, I'm My big thing here, if you look on the draft that I ran as far as my mock draft over my right shoulder here, I tried to make two trades at the top of the 16. So 16, 23, 23, 30. Try to get an extra second round pick back minimum, maybe a second and a third rounder back. That's definitely where I'm looking to go as well, Flick. Definitely looking to go as well. Samuel Carlson covering Seahawks content. The Geno haters would rather talk about it endlessly instead of talking about other stuff that'll actually help the team. Top billing is quitting Seahawks. I 
on some of these topics, I understand where he's coming from. There's stuff that makes sense where we come from on, on given points or outlooks. There's, I have this take and I go, okay, well, I might not agree with it, but I can see why you well-constructed and put the take together. There are others that you go, oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy. John says, Purdy also makes humongous plays in the most critical moments and excels when pressure is all around him and can make NFL players look dumb with his scrambling ability. He's got a little bit more of a get up and get away. Um, but Gino's ability to process, process pre-snap, know where to go with the right with the ball, have a ground game that he can lean on like he'd have with San Francisco, have the targets he could be throwing to on the outside, having Shanahan script up the stuff that he has scripted up for him. Um, yeah, I, I think he would have been, he would have gotten him to a Super Bowl. He would have gotten that Super Bowl win. TJ said, I was waiting on Taylor to be a pro bowler. I was way off. Well, I mean, the first time he saw the, saw the field, TJ, first five games, he had what, five sacks in that second year when he got back from the injury. So he, he's already doing that bursting on the scene. Uh, understandable that you're like, woo, we got some, got some upside here. He's on his way. He just seems to have topped out where that was, he was what he was walking in the door. And there wasn't a lot extra beyond that. You know? Not a lot of extra. Samuel, oops, sorry, got that Samuel in there. cut you off there, Samuel. Uh, Samuel, thank you for the two ordination. says, this anti-Gino stuff is why people don't like... I think you were saying... Sorry, I cut you off there. Thank you for the donation. I think I caught you, though, in the comment below there. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely one that just... It becomes an endless topic a little bit where there's not much more to plumb. I get the people... We all stand in our different camps on it. Um, and I have respect for all my fellow 12s. I do. But this one's gotten damn frustrating. For the reasons that you mentioned there, Samuel. Drunk says, like with Jimmy G, the 49ers can't win because their quarterback position doesn't have that X factor. Purdy and Jimmy G made the 49ers lose. Jimmy, Jimmy Geno Smith isn't the best quarterback in the league, but he can light them up with those deep throws and bullet passes. Exactly. You can't just run a stack box on Gino and then he can't hit the, the, those throws over the top that like Brock couldn't hit. Um, Cause it's just not in Brock's bag. Brock's got a lot of good things, John. I definitely wouldn't say Brock's just trash as a player. He's definitely uh, elevated himself in my eyes. And I didn't think that game was necessarily on him, but having a QB that can make all the throws at the end of the day, especially when you have a defense that's going to fit that limited quarterback into the throws that he doesn't make. Well, that's something I think Gino could have made happen. Dizzy says, Gino slangs that rock. I can't wait to see him with an OC that takes advantage of his strengths. Me neither, man. Flick and switch. Well, the Niners probably win that game if McCaffrey doesn't fumble on the first drive. Probably. Yeah, I'm going to flick the switch. You're probably right on that. Uh, you can recognize players being good and not be a fan of the other team. That's ridiculous. You can recognize players being good and... Uh, not be a fan of the other team. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Rob Lucci says, that mock draft wasn't bad at all. I take Newbin at 31-30. Thank you, Rob. 
yeah, I was uh, I, I turned over it a lot. I thought a lot about this draft, so I I tried to go through a, just a couple different iterations to get right around where I wanted to really be with it. And uh, the value of Newbin there, I think he's the best safety in this draft. He he fits um, to Mike McDonald's defense, and I think you could use him in exactly the same role as Hamilton. That gets me really excited with him. And Devondre Sweat, best nose tackle in the draft. Junior Colson, maybe the best middle linebacker of the draft. Cooper Bebe, then you get the best guard. And with Van Pram, maybe the best or the second best center behind Jackson Powers. So uh, you pull that off with your first, I, I think in the first three rounds, you get all those starters, you're in good shape. And uh, I really like coming out of this draft to be able to rebuild the offensive line like I was able to do. Hopefully John Schneider can pull, uh, pull the, same, the same boat. Drunk, I think if the Niners didn't have CMC, they would have been a disaster this season. I thought he should have gotten the MVP, Drunk. Um, I thought no team was more reliant on the one player as the Niners were reliant on Christian McCaffrey, to your point. BB says, Gino has a great arm, decision-making, great accuracy, good on the run, good under pressure, clutch, and has a great leadership. Everything you want in a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Preach. Preach, feed me. Preach. TJ says, okay, one thing. If the NFC West could combine to one team, we'd be 17-0. Yes, we would. Uh, yes, we would. Yunked, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that. Yunked, hope you're having a great night, man. A moment of silence for Purdy's four interceptions against McDonald's defense. There we go. Unfortunately for Brock, the boogeyman McDonald is back. Gonna make it hard on that Niner team next year when they play the Hawks because the Hawks are not going to sit in and do the things that are going to allow Brock Purdy to succeed like they have in the three times that they played Brock Purdy up into this point. Or no, no, four times that you played Brock Purdy up into this point. You're going to take it to him. You're going to stack those boxes. You're going to take away the short routes. That's why you had those interceptions in that Ravens game is that the Ravens said, hey, we, we've got the Browns film and we're going to do a lot of that same stuff to you. And we don't think that you're going to have a counter. And it, it that fallout, fallout came all the way down to this Chiefs game in the Super Bowl where the Chiefs brought a lot of those same concepts into play. Where it's, it's, it's the understanding that this guy does not have really an NFL arm as far as pushing the ball down the field goes. He can't do it accurately and he can't do it with velocity. So let's force him into those throws as much as possible. Like you'd force a, three, a guy that can't hit three-point shots, you'd back off of him and be like, I'm not going to let you drive. I'll just let you take your three-point shots here from the edge and see what you can do with that. And so that's what those defenses did. That's what smart defenses should do against a guy like Purdy. And it's the reason that he had so little success against them. On top of the fact they're a great defense on, you know, just from their talent standpoint, but also the schematic, the, the, the tactics that Mike McDonald employed in that game. Dizzy says, when Penix has to move in the pocket, his accuracy takes a big nosedive. It does. Yeah. Ball tends to sail on him, Dizzy. John, property plays games at a high speed, almost like Kyler. Everything has to be quick in the modern NFL. Your footwork, your decision-making, your release. He does have that, yeah. Philip Castle, poor old Gino, almost had to carry a knife to cut his way out of these sack attempts. O-line, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amen, Philip. It, it, it got brutal in some games. I mean, yeah, those games like the Cowboys were over 54% of his dropbacks, he's under pressure under two and a half second rate pressure and sometimes from multiple edges and yet still went out in that game was balling dropping dimes all over the field
John says, that's the thing too. I wouldn't want Purdy for my team because of his lack of arm strength, but with Shanahan's offense, I think he's more than adequate, but not everyone can have Shanahan. Yeah, I, I think Shanahan's a great fit for Purdy in what he does. You know, I do think that there is a John thing here where there may be more of a growing book on Purdy and how to go after him. And these teams that watch what these other teams have done with the band base concepts on the outside, stacking the boxes, um, you know, not making it as easy pre-snap for Purdy to determine where he's going to go with the ball, may challenging him to process back there in the pocket a little bit more often than some of the other teams like we, for instance, have done in recent years. Um, I think that that could be kind of a growing book on him, but I'm not anti Purdy in the respect of he's a good functional quarterback for that team, but I do think Geno's better, and I think that you, you couldn't have put Geno into that same box that the Ravens put him into, that the Browns put him into, that the Chiefs put him into, being that, you know, we're going to just basically stack the box and you can't beat us up over the top. No team would dare do that with us um, on a consistent basis. Samuel Carlson, thank you for the $2 donation, says, what players would you stay at pick 16 for? I think if we're talking about feasible guys that land there, Samuel, because that's the thing that I would say would be feasible guys that, and, and the thing you have to understand and win with this too, Samuel, um, let me show it to you right now, because I think that this does kind of uh, exemplify a little bit of what's going on with my big board here. So you've got my big board here for offense. And what you'll notice right out the gate let me lower it down size a little bit here. What you'll notice here out the gate is that I, my blue chip guys are going to be in uh, emboldened. And so what you see here is I don't have a lot of guys emboldened here on the offensive side of the ball. I got three quarterbacks, three receivers, a tight end, two left tackles, and a right tackle. Those are true blue, blue chip guys, Samuel. And I think if you're talking about standing pat for 16, then it's got to be for a blue chip guy. On the defensive side of the ball, I do not have any blue chip players. No blue chip players in this draft. First round worthy grades, no blue chip players. So if you're talking about who's the guy, well, I think there's really only three possible guys who could be there for you if you're going to be picking at the 16th pick that would be blue chip players. Uh, I think it'd be Romo Odunzie, Brock Bowers, and I think Talese Fuanga. If one of those three guys are there, I would pick Fuanga. I would pick Brock Bowers, but I would still move if Adunzie was there because I think that with Adunzie, you'll have a team that's a playoff team at 24, 25, 26 who will say, hey, there's one of the three best receivers in this draft. We'll move up for that and give up a second round pick to go get that guy. That's what I think is going to play out in the way that this will go. Um, so I would do it for those two guys because they're just so good. But with Adunzie, I would still move back because I think you get the draft capital to make that work, Samuel. That would be my, that would be my want on it. But I, it, it, there are not many players I'd stay there for 16 for. I really am going to be pretty hard sold to, to move back just because you only have the two blue chip, 10 blue chip kind of guys in this draft as it is. And all those guys are likely to be long gone by the time you're picking at 16. Thank you though. I appreciate you, Samuel, for the double donation tonight. Marcus, thank you for the $2 donation. So anti-Geno fans want to be loudest instead of right. I think that's a great way of putting it, Marcus. And it's part of why it's, as we go forward, I'm going to be just leaning a little bit away from having too many more of the discussions on Geno. I understand it will burn up the, I know it's something that the fan base does want to discuss and, and get into, but I, I, I've gotten into my exhaustion point on it. 
I think we've talked it every which way up and down, left and right. I think we've discussed every angle of it. And as you say, it just, it, it does seem to be loud for the folks that do. I, I have no doubt for the folks that are anti-Geno, not to call it Geno here, just anti-Geno, don't want Geno, would like to move off Geno, whatever you want to apply on that. I have no doubt you passionately believe what you think. I don't think that you guys are being disingenuous. I think that you're being completely truth and honest with your outlook on Geno. Um, but boy, is it loud. Is it loud? And especially when there's not as much substantially there to back up what's really feeling like what's being said so loud. That's the way it somewhat seems like it comes off to me in doing all of the conversations I do is I just come away going like, I don't feel like there's a lot on the counter argument to this that moves the needle to be this passionate, to be this anti-Geno, especially again when we come back around and looking at this team of, there are so many holes on this team, there are so many things that need to be addressed that have nothing to do with the quarterback position. Uh, but Marcus, that is a wonderful way of probably putting it and it's definitely a way that it feels to me in having the conversation do you discuss it effort seattle super full super champs here we go because of the crazy thing though is the modern nfl is going away from taking deep shots it's all high percentage intermediate throws which is probably analytically the way to maximize win percentage it's definitely where it's heading, man. Could be cylindrical. Maybe this goes in a different way eventually on this, but that's definitely where it was going this last year. Rob says, I, could, I just see John trading down unless they have someone they're really confident in. I do too, Rob. You got the, the fact that the blue chip guys are off the board by that point. You got the fact that they're missing a second round pick in this draft and you know John would like to pick up that second round pick understanding his track record for wanting to more accumulate picks rather than reduce down the number of picks. And so I, uh, I do think that this is going to be very, very likely that they end up making the move of moving back to some degree or another. And maybe it's only to get a third round pick, but just to some degree or another. Uh, John says you, can, you play man against Debo and he can do much. He can't do much. Agreed. You saw how a lot of the concepts Kansas City applied. I mean, he's not a pure route runner out there. You know, he is a gadget receiver and his route running is not going to be super sharp all the time in what he does. Um, you know, I, I think he's a good receiver, um, but um, I think definitely when you start getting into man on Debo, that's not necessarily how he wins. He's better of let me sit down in the zone, catch a little, you know, dump off here and then take it up the field. Dig Docs, Brandon, a quarter, regarding Drake May, quarterback in UNC, does anyone know the average quarterback pressure rate and DB rating SEC defenses? I don't. I don't have any information on that one, man. Sorry. I'll try to dive a little bit more into it. I think I did see some initial stuff on him. His pressure rate was, I think, pretty low out there in college, but uh, I can't remember for sure. Drunk, wonder how Trey Lance would have turned out Maybe he was the X factor for the Niners. The 49ers shoot, shot themselves in the foot. Still don't know really what Trey Lance is, man. I think that they went for what was the, the, the safe answer versus the unknown upside of Lance. And you had the safe answer in Purdy and that he's functional, he's cheap, he's, uh, he'll execute the offense the way we want it executed versus you know, having a little bit of that unknown in Lance where there was that bust. There was maybe the downside there that it would come with him along with the talent. Flick of the switch, JC Latham at 16 would be great. I'd be okay with that flick. I like him as well. I like him as well. If they took him there, value would be appropriate. It'd make a lot of sense. John, somebody all usually emerges as blue chip defensive players in every draft. They just have to develop. Usually they do. Usually they do. 
Um, and there's certainly some guys here in this draft that could become those guys. Um, I, I, I mean, hell, I see uh, Tyler Newbin, Cooper DeJean, Terry and Arnold, Quinnen Mitchell. Um, one of the edges in this draft. I mean, hell, a guy like Chop Robinson's really talented, but he's got a, just a long way to go to get to that talent level. Latou, you know, one of these guys eventually could get there. My whole thing with it was just, John, with all of them, there just ended up being some questions with them on the defensive side of the ball for the most part. You know, John, just some little question mark to me in their game that held them back from that. And usually the blue chippers, you want them to have that clean, clean background to it. Dizzy, I honestly love that. I love that run it down your throat, smash mouth, smash mouth defense style of football. I miss those days so much. That's why watching Ravens ball was so much fun this year. Their defense was fire. Yeah, they took it to you. They took it to you. And it was fun. You could see a, a, a difference between the Ravens and how they ran their defense versus other teams. It's part, it's why Schneider was mentioning that it stood out to him from the past year where team, you know, even after that game, players were coming up to him going, man, what was that? You know, it was like, it felt like they had 15 guys on the field and it really did. They were on all their details. They were multiple. They were disguising everything. They were stacking the fronts, dropping into front four rushes, confusing our protections. It was a great, great defensive game plan and, and certainly very impressive, that defense. Johnson's isn't saying that Geno fans want to be loud and hot and intact. That's a logical fallacy. Maybe that's just the way you're hearing it. As I said with it, John, it's it's more of in doing it for two years and having, and not, this isn't just a conversation with you in this point. Understand it's it's you and so many others that I've had conversations with on Geno. And I've spent times running in laps and people can, I know not always everybody's in here for all of the streams that I'm in here, but there's plenty of people even in this stream right now with as many as we still have in the stream right at this point who can attest to me getting into these debates, John. And I go round and round, round and round. You came in last week, for instance, you came in about like the last hour and a half. I've been going round and round with somebody else for the first three hours. And, and it was constantly trying to pin them down on this thought process that this is what's got to be burning up the, the phone lines. This is what's got to be burning up the talks is how Gino's the centerpiece of what we need to put at the forefront of our talks and discussions here. And it just ends up dominating it. And it ends up just getting hammered, hammered. And I end up trying to find and plumb the depths. And I don't pull a lot out of there, John. As I said, if you can't build up a strong argument, but you have a passionate way that you believe on something, well, what do I derive from that? And I'm sorry, John, if it's not that it's not that the, the the arguments are resonating, but you guys on your side don't deal with any of the arguments I presented. I've asked this question a multitude of times, John. I have yet to get an answer. Which quarterback in this league am I putting behind 28th best pass protection? who doesn't attack in the run game to the perimeter, who hammers A and B gap runs constantly, who attacks the middle of the field at a 30-second rate in pro football, who has an offensive scheme that is as rudimentary as you will find, whose defense spends three-fourths of the football field on the field with the time of possession, meaning your offense has to also be maximally efficient against all of those parameters that I just described. Not one person has been able to present to me, John, which quarterback exactly would have excelled in that environment. Who, who's, who, we think Burrow's coming in here and doing good against that? At least with Burrow, we had the Rams offense when he walked in, right? He had a modernized offense. So he kind of had that at least a little bit. I don't think that there's just about any quarterback in the sport that comes in here and exceeds, succeeds. Mahomes doesn't put up the type of years that he's been putting up even with Kansas City without Tyreek Hill over the past couple of years there in this offense. And that's the part that you anti-Geno folks don't take into account here, John, at all. Zero. 
is the supporting cast and the supporting structure and the way that it's been put together here. And that when you don't address those things, and then it comes back to, well, maybe we just need to tear it down to the studs. Well, maybe, wait, I just brought up all these other given points about him, and now we're going to more team stuff and more that. What about from a team-based building standpoint? What about just talking about Geno here? Those things he dealt with. Any quarterback fails in that environment, John. You fix those things. You take the steps to fix those things truly. And then you'll get better play from the position. And the proof of this, John, is, I think you'd attest to this, First 12 games of Geno starting last year, he was playing at an MVP level. What did he have through those first 12 games? He had pretty good pass protection, and he had good run blocking. Those two things alone. The offense still didn't target the, the middle of the field. The defense still spent a lot of the time on the football field, right, John? We had the, that game against Detroit where they didn't, they had, I think, uh, one punt, or didn't they didn't allow, even cause Detroit to punt once, I think, in that game. You still had games like that. So there were still all those negative parameters that were still part of this, but just some of it was cleaned up and you had MVP level Geno. You got to week 12 and onwards through this year and all of those other factors went in the toilet. So again, John, I bring that up. None of that gets referenced back to the person that's countering the argument and they come back and they move the ball onto something else. It feels like hating at that point. It feels like I was soured on Geno. I had an opinion of Geno prior into him being a starting quarterback and that opinion has not changed or been moved one iota. I view him how I viewed him. And to me, that doesn't seem right. That seems like hating. When a guy, one comeback player of the year award last year, has put up some good years, statistically productive years, has been efficient with the ball, has not been a turnover-worthy quarterback dealing with all that. But I, maybe you'll have an answer, John, of who's going to be the guy that would have succeeded in this environment. Who's the quarterback who would have looked great in this environment? Gino's gone to back-to-back -back Pro Bowls, which I'm not going to add a whole lot to Pro Bowls, but again, it shows he hasn't failed. Shows he hasn't fallen on his face. Five, come back from behind victories. Another thing, John, that was told to me, which was the true value of a quarterback, which, John, I have had dozens of anti-Geno folks whose usernames I can remember and start if you want, just reeling them off here on the stream, who came in two years ago and said, that's the value of a quarterback in this modern age. Every game comes down to the final possession. Everything's about your quarterback at the end, and can he bring you from behind? And you know what? I know Geno. Geno is what he is. He is what he is. He can't bring you back from behind. And then he does it five times this year. What do you think those anti-Geno folks have said to me, John, in the chat? Do you think they've come into the chat and they went, well, I was wrong on Geno in that regard. I, 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 I was off on that part of him. He's still a trash quarterback, but I was off on that part of him. They don't even say that. They won't even give the bare minimum acknowledgement of correcting their prior BS take. And so again, how do we get to a point, John, where it feels like hating? It feels like that. That feels like hating. And if it's not hating, build the arguments better because they're wispy thin right now and doing this for two years. Yeah, I've spoken to why I'm demonized. I'm going to demonize the other side if you're not going to bring up strong arguments. If, if, it's, if it's silly, weird, paper-thin arguments on this, John, then it's going to be demonized. It's going to be called stupid. It's, and I'm not a guy to throw those words around on that, but it's, we're not, you're not thinking through fully the standpoint you have on a given player. And, I, and if, if you're not building the case, then I can only go to, well, there's an emotional reasoning behind that. And that's where we get to the fact where it starts to feel like hate. And if it's not hate, then what is it? Why can't they address these issues I bring up, you know? Uh, bra, Rob Lucy, Brandon, a couple of players you're anticipating seeing in the Combine. 
Uh, Junior Colson's testing numbers are going to be very important. Very, very important for what he brings to play. Um, what does Devondre Sweat weigh, weigh in at? What can he test in at? Um, Cooper Bebe, I, I, I want to see how he can move in space for the position. I'm going to be looking at Graham Barton, Troy Fatano. We're going to be looking at their three cones. We're going to be looking at their short area burst, 10-yard split. You know, how, how explosive can they be? Because we need that. Um, how fast does Tyler Newbern run? You're looking a lot at that one. Jaden Hicks and how he tests will be an interesting one too to me. Kind of want to see how Deontay Corleone, I don't know if he gets an invite, but I'd like to see how he looks. Hip-hop, man, uh, I'm hoping we can get a high-flying offense going, utilize more plays, then we shift the look before the snap to open up routes. That's what you're going to get, hip-hop. I mean, that's what Grub brings to the side of it is pre-snap motion, moving things around, spreading things out. Um, yeah, it's going to be much a high-flying offense is what you're going to get here, hip-hop. He brings spread concepts with an ability to still want to take shot plays down the field. And typically, like John Robinson was talking about above, when you get spread concepts in this modern age, it's just a dink and dunk and work your way up the field. You're not really scheming in as much those deep shots. But this is where it works really nice is you bring those spread concepts and you have the guys in Tyler Lockett, in DK Metcalf, that can then take the top off the defense if the defense starts to scoot up and take away those short routes um, a little bit more often. I think, John, let, let me just do this on this, John. Like, me and you, let's have a conversation offline on the Geno thing, okay? I, I, I'll ring you up directly, and you and I can have a back and forth. I have no problem doing that whatsoever. But let, let's put it to bed for now on the Geno stuff, and we can get back around another time. Phillips is a different concept. Can we afford Mahomes type contract, type quarterback, not having the moving part, Metcalf, Lockett, Walker, et cetera? We couldn't afford it right now with our books. Maybe in a couple of years ago, a couple of years we could. Flick of the switch also, I think we can restructure Ty Lockett's contract to free up some room as well. Flick of the switch, this was my, um, we're thinking alike on this. Um, this was my approach as well. So what I look to do is that I, I signed my deals. I had the cap down. Okay, come on, stop, honey, please. Thank you. I got the cap, uh, cap down to a good degree. We had about $2 million left over after I signed my rookie free agent contracts. I made a couple of free agent deals. Then as you can see at the top of my stop on that, then I, um, I, I converted Tyler's base to bonus, freeing up $8 million in this year's cap, giving me about $11 million of cap space to go into the season. I don't have to spend that money, but then you've got the ability, if you are a team that's competing midway through the year, to be able to go out there and make that mid-trade deadline deal type move where you know you can go out there and make a player to take you over the top if you seem like feel like as a team you're ready to roll in that way. So uh, yes, Philip, that's exactly, or um, flick of the switch, that's exactly what I did as, a, as an outlook on this one as well.
Milo, thoughts on Jared Verse if available or possible um, trading our pick for a lower first and second round pick? Um, I don't have Verse maybe as quite high as others. I have him high. He's, I, he's my fourth best edge and I do have a first round grade on him. So taking him in that spot of 16 wouldn't be a, a reach, Milo. Um, it wouldn't be a reach at all. Um, so, um, I would like to trade back. Trade back is the way I would go, Milo. As you can see here, I've ran my mock draft and my recent outlook. Um, if you look at the top of the show, I do a kind of a 20-minute opening at the top of the stream today on really going through my plan of attack for the offseason. One of them would be this draft right here where you can see I'm trying to trade back twice to maximize some more picks that I can pick up. I think that's the better way to go. I think you're out of the blue chip range once you get to 16 and you just got to you got to look to move back and get some more picks. Try to the, It's a better way to go. I think you add ultimately more better players. You have a better overhaul draft. Of, overhaul draft um, and it's got a lot of good upside to it as well, which sometimes you miss out on by trading back. You might get the depth, but then you don't get as much sizzle. Um, and this gives you the sizzle. Don Don, you have a good one, man. Um, Megan, we did restructure Tyler. All we did was con converted Tyler's base to his bonus. So what we would do this year is we would convert the base to bonus again. Uh, so that would basically take his, his base is at $16 million. You slice that in half, base to bonus. So now his base is at $8 million, or the bonus money is at eight. And then the $8 million moves into next year's cap as far as a hit. But even with the $8 million moving into next year's cap, you could still then move on from Tyler and collectively save money at that point, if you wanted to take that route, and it wouldn't be the worst of ways to go if you wanted to do it. Have a good night, Dom. I appreciate you, ma'am. I do think we are going to go ahead and uh, wrap this one up on that note. We're almost six hours in, and I think that's a good time to call, uh, call the ball on this one. Um, I appreciate all of the good discussion tonight. Uh, I want to thank all of the people who donated here in the chat, Marcus, Samuel, Youngt, Jeffrey, Radu, Garth, Long Live the King, Randall McDaniel, Glasgow, Jesus, Garth, Poncho. So many people. Garth Knight multiples, Corey Olson multiples, uh, John, thank you for all of your guys' donation today on the stream. It's uh, very, very much appreciated. You guys allow me to do what I do here on this, and so I thank you very much. We also are uh, going to be doing a members-only stream in, in addition to the BNB show tomorrow. So we'll be on at 5 o'clock for members of the channel. Look at your community post. I put over on the community post a link to that show for a call-in show tomorrow if you want to join me on that and chop it up, talk things over a little bit, get into the depths of things if that's uh, appealing to you. I want to thank as well the sponsor of this show, Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy sponsoring the Hawks Nest throughout this year. And even though we are at the end of football season, still there are plenty of prize packages to get on with Underdog Fantasy. We got basketball, we got hockey, we got baseball starting up very soon. Hey, March Madness. Get on in. They got a lot of great ongoing contests. You can do a fantasy thing, get a bracketology thing. You can do everything you want under the sun with this. But if you go to their site, click the code below at the top description section and you go to their site, utilize their service for the first time, deposit up to $100 and you will be matched up to that $100 up to 100%. So $100 on the Hawks Nest from me to you. All you got to do is utilize this code NEST or click the link below when you go to the site for the first time. So win, 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 win. We all win on that one. And uh, they got some great ongoing prize packages you can get into right now. Go out there and uh, you know win yourself a little bit of money this offseason as we wait for Seahawk football into the fine, fine future. So we will be back here in 24 hours with the BNB show and the Hawks Nest 
uh, members only show as we will continue to be doing some members only shows throughout this off season for you guys that are uh, supporting that way. Thank you to all of you guys on that. Um, I love the discussion. I, I appreciate all the folks again that do come from the standpoint on the Geno stuff. And I'm, I appreciate the patience of those that allow the conversation to get kind of flex, flexed out here a little bit. Um, it's one we're going to just try to, I think, keep in just to other areas because there's plenty of other spots to talk about with this team. And uh, I think luckily with the Geno situation as the week passes, his base salary becomes fully guaranteed for the 2024 season. And maybe this discussion gets put to bed just a little bit more firmer because I think there's some other exciting things on this team that are just a little more exciting to potentially talk about. But uh, we'll be back in 24 hours, folks. Thank you guys for watching today. Please do, if you could, for me, hit that like button on the way out the door. I would really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate all the support as well. Thank you to all the new subscribers here. If you're not subscribed, please get subscribed. So we're trying to get up over 20,000 this year. Back in less than 24 hours. But until that time, I appreciate you guys for watching. But please, by God, don't you ever forget. Pumpkin and me say, Mmm. Go Hawks! <laughs>